Hello. <laughs> I was wondering if we were just going to let him keep going on and on. He'll eventually hang up, though, then. That's true. Right, Hello. See. Welcome. Hello. Um, okay. Uh, do you have any questions about what's about to happen? I, no. I, I, this, I'm sure this is like our third or fourth time. <laughs> Whenever you say that, it always sounds like... <laughs> oh, um, um... Well, I usually ask that record- of everybody, and they're like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute... Something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition! No, Boy Wonder, I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls.
Sawate, I'm your host, Stella, and this is Back Row the Oracle, the Barber Podcast, episode 129, the seventh anniversary, part one for December MMXEI. Back Row the Oracle is brought to you by Required Reading, hosted by Tom and Stella. Hooray! Oh, adolescents this generation have no respect and are a far cry from my sweet Jane Eyre and her friend Helen Burns. Why, just this afternoon I was Stella. walking across and, and you know what? Men too. Well, uh, 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 Stella. serious men like the tragic Mr. Rochester and teachers, pa, they're all like the villainous Mr. Brocklehurst. Hey, Stella! Uh, yes, Thomas? As much as I enjoy, um, indulging your insanity, uh, we have a promo to record. Oh dear, and what might that be? That is you and I telling everyone that we have a brand new podcast out there. It's called Required Reading with Tom and Stella. Once a month, we will take a look at a single work of literature, discuss it, analyze it, and determine if it's worth its place in the canon. Oh dear, that sounds delightful. Oh, I'm sure it will be. And you can find us on the Two True Freaks Network, which is at twotruefreaks.com. Oh yes, required reading with Tom and... Why is it Tom and Stella? Why can't it be Stella and Tom? It rolls off the tongue better? Okay. Well, that was easy. So... Required reading with Tom and Stella at twotruefreaks.com. Thanks for contributing to the promo there. You did a great job. Oh, you are so welcome. You can catch the second episode actually out now, and it was led by me this time, and it's on The Glass Menagerie by Tennessee Williams. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade per back. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Back the Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Support TBU with Patreon or by Patreon. I don't even know. By going to thebatmanuniverse.net. And BTO also wants you to review the show on iTunes. So throughout the fall, and we're getting close to when I'll stop saying this, I guess. I'm going to push iTunes reviews. So just give whatever star you feel comfortable and a review to explain why you gave that star. So don't just give me a one star and walk away. It's like a drive-by. And I will read it in its entirety on the show. Well, you should be used to this by now, but with the anniversary episode usually occurring in December, I must and have to have my two dearest friends... Donovan Morgan Grant and Joshua Lappin Bertoni. We're back. A dinosaur tale. Dinosaur tales. <laughs> this year with 100% less Starfire and Teen Titans. Oh, no. I, and and less insults of the co-hosts. 
I guess this time last oh. year, yeah. This, this is this is the first uh, anniversary post rebirth, so a lot has happened. That is place. true. That is true. Yeah, yeah, we didn't see that coming. <laughs> that rebirth, no. I, yeah, I guess we're bad comics. <laughs> As a man fans, the shame would say, <laughs> we can't. If we can't tell or gauge where DC Comics is going, does that make us bad fans? Um, no, it makes us good fans because we keep on we, we're kept on our toes. That's true. That's true. <laughs> it means that they surprise us. Yeah, it is true. <laughs> it, it's. It's it's all good. I mean, um, it, and, and we didn't know all the wonderful movies that we'd be getting. You know, like uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. Mm, yes. yes, one of my favorites. Well, speaking of favorites, I thought it'd be fun because normally we sort of refresh our memories of like high points and low points of 2016. But I thought I would turn it around a little bit and actually talk about favorites that happened throughout 2016. So, favorite series that you're reading, maybe a favorite single issue, a favorite movie. Of 2016. So, Josh, we'll, we'll start with you. Do you have a favorite comic series that you started reading or picked up in 2016? Can it be a one-shot? Sure, yeah. DC Rebirth number one. That knocked me off of my feet, mm. and it was everything I had been needing from DC Comics since um, 2011. Uh, it, it truly was, and I did not think that they were going to go all the way. And not only did they you know, do what they did, but uh, somebody – a few people have made the observation that it's almost like an apology mm. you know, for where they went wrong. And I really felt that, and it's just given me so much hope for DC going forward. And I'm reading more DC now as a result than I have in the last five years. That's great. Don, what about you? I'll stick in the rebirth, and I'll also say that my favorite series – uh, I actually like a lot of series. I actually like. I think that people are saying that right now Marvel's not very good. I've been enjoying Totally Awesome Hulk. I think I started that this year, and I have legitimately been enjoying that every issue. But uh, Detective Comics has been the best it's been since Scott Snyder came on the title, I think, which was like way back in 2011, uh, pre New 52. Is kind of my favorite comic in a lot of ways. I mean, I, actually, I, I feel like I enjoy the comics more than that, but like. I'm always worried that, like, it's going to get, like, I don't know, it's going to fall in the trap that a lot of New 52 comics did, and it never does. I actually just read the latest issue today, and I've been really digging it. So I'm thankful for J- James Tynion the Fourth for Detective Comics right now. Yeah, I don't think I was as taken with the Rebirth special as you two were. You know, I was a little hesitant and dubious. But to a certain extent, you know, I've started to trust Rebirth and I've very much enjoyed what it's had to offer. And I've been picking up books that I think I normally would not, like Wonder Woman, which I think is amazing. But I think my favorite series of 2016 has and continues to be Spider-Woman over from Marvel, uh, written by Dennis Mm. Hopeless. You know, it started off, she was pregnant and uh, she was sort of struggling with, you know, being pregnant and also wanting to continue superheroing around and then, you know, she finds herself in like a clinic uh, just to get a checkup. And it's like an alien clinic and it's taken over by scrolls. So you can imagine what that was like. Now she has actually given birth. And so now she's struggling between being a mother and wanting to do super heroics. And so it's just really interesting. Like if you just read it on paper, I think this idea of a pregnant superhero, you'd be like, oh, I don't know about this. But it's just amazing. I, I think it's funny. It has like sad and tender moments. Uh, the characters that she surrounds herself with porcupine and Ben Urich. You know, it's like a very oddball squad that she has herself with, but it's just amazing. And every time I read an issue, I'm just like overjoyed with it. So I think 
but yeah, that by far that is my my favorite series that I've been in 2016. How has she been dealing with the uh, Civil War too? That has been hard because like she's really good friends with Captain Marvel. Like she would say that they are best friends, and so she was helping Captain Marvel test out these different. Um, well, you know, Ulysses is mm-hmm. his visions and everything, um, and she was like, "Well, he's he's been right 100 percent of the time." And then she was witness to what happened with uh, Clint and Hulk. And, like, that completely, like, changed, like, switched it around for her because she had been dating Clint. So she realized that there's, like, been some disastrous things. And there's actually, like, a full-on, like, fight between Captain Marvel and Spider-Woman. It's really Spider-Woman just, like, punching Captain Marvel. And um, <laughs> Carol is just sort of standing there because, you know, she can take it. But basically their friendship is over. So in that way, like, it's really uh, affected her. And I think, like, the She-Hulk, though, she's not as close with She-Hulk because that's more like Patsy's storyline. I-, I think that affects her as well so i mean everyone's sort of they're making the bad thing about that storyline is they're making carol out to be the bad guy similar to like yeah. how tony was and i guess it was a way to redeem tony from civil war one but it's just a bummer because i feel like carol doesn't deserve that as a character and then you know roadie is dead and that was her love yeah. interest is Bruce really sad, is dead. You know? yeah i've actually been enjoying the the, the the crossover issues like all the books that i've been reading in civil wars like, like miss marvel miles morales totally awesome hulk the champions like They've been, I think the story's been very good for them, but the main storyline, I think it's engaging, but it is, it does paint Kara in a, in like, you know, the Tony Stark Civil War personality where it does feel contrived and that's, that's not great. I read, um, the Spider Woman during the Spider Women crossover and I enjoy the, I enjoyed those Jessica Drew chapters. Yeah. Yeah, I read that too. It was a little weird because, um, well, I was only reading that of the two of them. So I was like trying to figure out what was going on in the other ones. But I've somewhat been interested to, to read Spider Gwen and then Silk, but I just haven't uh, gotten around to reading Silk has been fun. And how's, do you read Spider Gwen normally? I do. Um, Spider Gwen has its moments. It's not a bad book, but other than like, this is Gwen Stacy as Spider Woman, you know, like there's not really. Okay. I'm not really too, like, you know, wowed by the story. I still think it's kind of trying to find its identity. Like, once the novelty wears off, you know, it's just another, you know, Elseworld story. Mm, yeah. We're not going to talk about Spider-Man. <laughs> so, <just> okay, <laughs> yeah, let's not do it. Yeah. So, okay, but, but I this think, is the yeah. BatmanUniverse.net, not the MarvelUniverse.net. That's true. If you want to start your own website, you can start your own website. Well, here's the but thing, what Stella did. This is my, yeah, I did, and this is my own little, uh, I can do whatever <laughs> I want here. I talked about a video game for two, please. Uh, you know, I think 2016 <laughs> has been pretty good to us, though, as comic fans. I think that there have been, uh, you know, if you're not happy with one potential book, I think within a, a publisher, there are other books that you could potentially find that are good, because I feel like with New 52, that was really hard. It was hard to go anywhere else in that publisher and you sort of were forced to go over to Marvel. But I feel like there are so many great options that there's no reason why you can't be a comic reader today. Uh, and it's so diverse. I think we've been, or they have been doing jobs. I'm reading more books than I probably ever have. Like That's my great. comicsology thing, like yeah. it was doing like $40 for my account oh, each no. week. And I was like, I, I need to drop some <laughs> of these books. Like yeah. <laughs> there's too many of them. I used to spend $20 yeah. on comics a week. Sometimes. Yeah. I, I was at a shop and I like, I seriously dropped 50 bucks on like 20 some odd single issues of like marvel and dc i don't know if i've ever done that before like on a single day that's great well let's move over to the movie world what was your favorite movie of 2016 and it doesn't have to be a superhero film we here at back the oracle is open to all sorts of genres 
I guess I, I guess it would be uh, Captain America: Civil War. I, I really like that. I thought that lived up to the the hype in terms of like where they put the MCU because I I really like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, I think now that it's kind of been going on, people are, are a bit more critical about it. Mm-hmm. But I I've been enjoying how they've been uh, translating Marvel Universe into the television movie area, and I, I was really happy with Captain America three. I'm trying to think of any other movie that I saw that I liked as much as that. Because there's some movies I haven't gotten around to see, but I think that's probably my favorite of the theatrical releases. No, Civil War was uh, was great. Probably my favorite movie of the year. I have to, you know, access my Bertone memory banks to see if there's another one. But uh, that's the most fun I had at the movies. And the kid who I took to see Civil War, I took him a few weeks earlier to see Batman versus Superman. And just like we had a completely different experience, you know, with with both movies. And there was a lot of smiling and laughing uh, with Civil War. Uh, a lot of a lot more joy. Well, that sounds familiar. <laughs> uh, the, yeah, I wish I could say um, Star Wars, but it's like just over the dead. That's line. on the cusp. Yeah. I know it's no, just on the cusp, but I think that you know it's so close. Uh, that that's the one I I would. I'm I'm, I'm getting together with John Wilson next week. We're going to see the new Star Wars together. Ooh, that's going to be exciting. But yeah, I think maybe I would say Captain America: Civil War as well. We saw we saw Destroy Pool together. We did see Deadpool together, and that I think I would rate the experience certainly very high on this. What else? Let's see. So it was Strange just came out because we can't forget, you know, what came out in fall too. Uh, yeah, I guess I'd stick with Civil War. I'm trying to think about Redbox. Well, that I guess doesn't count, but <laughs> uh, Suicide Squad came out. Yeah, and I did like that as well. I'm trying to think if I. Well, I guess I did boast that I liked it more than Civil War, and I uh, went on the uh, that other podcast that I'm. But it's hard. Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> that other. I think there are a lot of good superheroes. I mean, with the exception of Batman versus Superman, though I did. I did watch the extended version. And I did think that it was better, though I still, I don't know. <laughs> We're in San Diego, and Stella's like, let's watch the extended <laughs> version of Batman the Superman. I really <laughs> wanted to see it with you guys. I was the only one into it. Everyone else was down and out about it. That's fine. Well, we, yeah, it was. Yeah. We, we, we would have done it. We couldn't find it. We were, like, yeah. trying to find it, remember? Yeah. And it was, like, super expensive. Talk. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think we've been dealt wonderful, wonderful uh, shows and uh yeah movies things like that uh what any favorite tv shows that you've been watching 2016 we were treated luke with... cage oh it was a good one <laughs> we got oh, another season cool. of uh kimmy schmidt um I'm, i always love kimmy schmidt we had the summer of steven whole month and a half of steven universe oh. that was sweet i mm-hmm. uh, yeah so um, i yeah i binged luke luke was a big one gilmore girls is a big one for me too because that <laughs> just came out so i can't last four words which amy sherman paladino had like said that when she started it she knew what the last four would be or like what would end the show that made me yell 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 but uh <laughs> no it was great to do that and i watched it with my sister-in-law which was nice like bond so I, and netflix has been good to us I would say, this year. also uh did, uh did you see the uh dc crossover last week I did, yeah, the Thor oh, partner with the yeah, with Supergirl and Flash and Arrow and Legends, yep. Yeah, it was, it was like Legends, Flash, half of Arrow, and like one minute Supergirl technically. Oh yeah, so that's I, true. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was good. I would just say like, why, why now? But um, why, why not? not? I don't know. It just seemed like, oh, it's an alien invasion. I'm like, couldn't you have built this up a little more? But it worked out because it kind of blamed <laughs> it on Barry a little bit. He's, he's getting a lot of crap this season from, you know, selfishly ruining the timeline like he did in the comics. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> it's his fault that we've had the year that we've had. It's true. It is. 
And speaking of that, to end on a positive note, because we actually, listeners, have a lot of comics to get through. You have no idea what's about to happen. What are your hopes for 2017? What are you looking forward to? This could be comics. It could be, uh, you know, personal life goals. Could be professional goals. What sorts of hopes are you coming into the new year with? There are times where I feel like Clark Kent in Smallville. And like, and they're, they're always like, you know, you have a destiny, Clark. You must manifest your destiny. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure you do. And I feel like I'm on the cusp of like donning my costume and saving the world from apocalypse. So hopefully all my personal life goals that I've had building up over the last, I guess, seven seasons will finally coalesce in the doomsday arc of next year. Oh, we got a lot of uh, franchises, you know, happening in the next few months of 2017. Um, So we got a Lego Batman movie. And um, I'm really hoping that that will be, you know, fun. We forgot to mention Return of the Cake Crusaders. Like, that was just, like, brought us <laughs> on face. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the Lego Batman movie is similar. And it looks like Rosario Dawson's going to be Batgirl. I previously only saw her as Barbara Gordon in the trailer, but there's a poster where she's Batgirl. So, Ooh. And then we have the Power Rangers, which, you know, was a part <gasps> of our childhood. So hopefully... It's oh, done yes. right by them. Uh, Wonder Woman. Yes. Uh, and then Spider-Man Homecoming. Yes, yeah, Stella Spider-Man Star- Homecoming. And like, and uh, Star Wars 8. Like, this is going to be a big year. So, it's going to be a big year. Yeah. And yeah, the Defenders later on the year. And Iron Fist. Yeah, the Defenders. Will Patsy Walker finally put on a Hellcat costume? She better. I bet she's going to she date better. someone from hell. Do you think it's going to happen? <laughs> My name is Damien. <laughs> Damien Hellstrom. Nice to meet you. My name's Patsy. Uh, for for some reason, that sounds like the beginning of a CW show. Like, my name's Damon Hellstrom, oh. and I'm, you know, the son the of The fastest Satan. man alive. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> uh, my father made me something special. Now, with the help of my friends at the Hellfire Club, you know, we're trying to make the world, <laughs> like, get rid of, like, all these demons that, like, went out of the 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo it's chest. It's like a mix of Vampire Diaries versus the, um... Yeah. <laughs> I think my team Lucifer. Ye- no. I've not seen that, but, like... I that's also something that that would that would begin with with my personal life you know i just hope to keep on evolving to the next step i hope to you know make more money find more attorney charizard (laughs) yeah exactly catch more pokemon you know pokemon go that that that's been a fun thing this year and and let me tell you something i work with kids and it is really really hard to get like modern day kids to like you know go places and go outside so like pokemon go was like coming out in the summertime was just like kismet because the kids would like go to parks go to places like run across the highway (laughs) yeah well i mean and then granted their faces were in their phone screens but they were outside and they were like going to like new locales and stuff and like you know i didn't have to fight them about like you know leaving the house or like leaving their other video games so that was great and uh, for those of you who are listening who, who know about this, Team Instinct for the win. Take that, Jacob. I'm sure Jacob's probably Team Valor or something. Okay. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't understand. <laughs> there, 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 there's three teams in Pokemon. Instinct, which is the, the good team. And then there's the sucky teams like Valor and uh, Mystic. Mystic. Oh. Yeah, Mo, those teams sure did suck last night. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, as for me, I mean, clarity, I think, is is always good. Just, like, figuring out, you know, what I'm meant to, meant to do. You know, will that be 2017? I don't know. Gaining more knowledge, just, you know, personal knowledge and uh, yes. knowledge, uh, I guess, of, of my surroundings, of the world. Biblical knowledge is also good. And, uh, you know, I just hope to, uh, to keep my friends close, you know, that are, are close and, and make new friends and everything so hopefully 2017 will be a good year so okay. remember keep your friends close <laughs> and, and your, your enemies. enemies 
Close. Thank you, madam. She meant carnage. Um, <laughs> well, no, she didn't. <laughs> oh, it's venom. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we, like I said, we actually have a load of comics to get into, and I realized this when I decided to do this. And part of it, I have to give a shout out to. I call him Professor Cheap Skate. You guys may know him as Professor Alan Middleton, but he came to Virginia over the summer and. Uh, I hung out with him and with Pan Pan, a.k.a. Tom Panneries. And, you know, we, we had dinner, we talked, we went to the comic book store and everything. And he actually brought gifts, whether or not they were bought for, you know, 25 cents, I guess, maybe. But he actually gave me the series that we're about to do. And that series is DC Comics Girl Frenzy. So let me tell you a little bit about this. It was an April 1998 fifth week event that consisted of seven one-shot specials that focused on the female heroes of the DC Universe. So each issue was tangentially connected to a parent title, but otherwise they were unrelated to another. This was, as far as I could find, the only the second time that DC did this, the first being in late December 1997 with a fifth-week villain event called New Year's Evil, and focusing on characters such as Dark Nemesis, <laughs> Prometheus, Body Doubles, Dark Side, God, Mr. Mixia's Pithlick, Scarecrow, and the Rogues. So because, hopefully you've, you've listened and you've heard that we're skipping to 1998, so we're going to be flashing forward a couple years uh, within this podcast, at least because I'm, you know, in 96 or so. And some stories have not happened yet on my show, uh, but not too much to throw us off, I feel. Wait, so, uh, wait, yeah. so you said, yeah, this is not, this is 98, not 96. What made you decide to do this? I guess because it was a big event. You, yeah, I just decided to do something that was special, basically. Since it was an anniversary show, I feel like we always try to do something that's pretty special. And I was looking ahead, and I was not necessarily seeing anything that could be wrapped up within, you know, potentially one episode. And then I saw this, and normally I would have just probably done uh, Ravens and Batgirl. And I thought, well, as a special and the anniversary, why not do all seven? And so that's why I decided to, to skip forward. Is that okay with oh, you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all seven, just it, like the dragon. It better be because we're all prepared. Now. I know. What, what a way to ask now. Like, you, like, a month ago. But, but don't worry, El Curioso. <laughs> you should have. But, but don't, don't worry, know. readers. Not much has happened to Barbara Gordon in the two years. Anyway, as we open up, where President Barbara Gordon looks oh. over her country of Mexico <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, uh, with the dead corpse of her husband and son under her. Who is See, that? like I said, you missed nothing. Jason Bard, of course, oh, and her okay. son, you know. Um, from the other timeline, Damian um, Gordon. Yeah, Damian Gordon. Yeah, Rick Gordon. Yeah, or uh, who is who? Or Tony oh. Gordon. You know, James Gordon's yeah. weird son from Earth One, who like. He was a <laughs> Save for later, save for later. Whatever, whatever. Okay. So anyway, so we're actually, we're all in charge of particular issue. And some of them, I actually have like little backstory information before we get into it. I reached out to a couple of my friends um, just to get some, some history behind them or backstory or, or added information so you can stay tuned to that. We're actually going to start off with someone we know and, and love. Uh, it's Batgirl. And uh, this issue is called Batman Batgirl, number one. And the title of the story is Scars. Writer Kelly Puckett, artist Jim Ballant, and Rick Burchett, and colorist Trish Mulvihill. So Batgirl, a.k.a. Barbara Gordon, so beware of this, rushes to take out a group of muggers, then tosses a gun to the victim and tells him to just shoot them next time. 
We find out that Batgirl is rushing to find Zaz and catch him. <laughs> what? Is that wrong? Why'd you go that? Well, no, 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 no. But, well, it is wrong, but like I just wanted to like okay. audibly like. So we that. find out that Batgirl is rushing to find Zaz, Victor Zaz, and catch him first before Batman does. She finds a still warm victim in an alley and scans a crowd outside the alleyway to find Zaz walking nonchalantly into the subway. She just misses him. At her level two hoarder apartment, she considers Zaz's life and why. He oh. She considers Zaz's life and why he kills them and marks his body and thinks about where someone like that would hide out. She starts to go to the gym to clear her head when she meets John outside who reminds her that it is Jessica's funeral. Who are these people? I don't know. All throughout the funeral she thinks about Zaz, not Jessica. And even declines speaking at the funeral when asked directly by Jessica's mother because Jessica thought so highly of Zaz. She begs off saying she has something more important to do. She tracks Zaz to Le Hotel du Nord, which is right around the corner from the alleyway where she found that dead woman. She breaks into his apartment and sees his trophies, which happen to be ID the people that he's killed. Zaz enters as a new trophy and marks his body. Batgirl appears from the shadows and taunts him. They get into a scuffle, and Batgirl literally throws salt into his recent wound, which is the mark he just made, and knocks him out. Batman nice. appears and gives praise to her at probably the first time ever and asks if she wants to help him on an upcoming mission to Paul. She declines and asks for some time off. Back home, she stares at a picture of herself and Jessica and then glares at a knife. And that is the end of Scars. Uh, so my first question, because I, I think you're all chomping at the bit for this, or you two are, we're in a bit of a vague <laughs> continuity. Would you like to explain why this is so, or, or what are some of the reasons why you can't really pinpoint when this story happens? Zaz wasn't around when she was back, girl. To me, to me, it's it's like, you know, I better take care of his ass before I go fight Bane. It's like, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't necessarily matter because this is a one-shot, but, like, in, in the post-crisis, like, there was kind of a, a cast system as to when these villains started to appear. When you got the guys like uh, Cornelius Sturk and the Ratcatcher and Scarface and the Virtual Equist and Mr. Zaz, they were, like, very much, like, post-Jason like Jason Todd villains. And so, like, I don't know. It, it's not a big deal, but, like, she might as well have been saying, you know, I better call Oracle for help because it's kind of like a very... <laughs> kind of like like post crisis thing that she's doing, but it doesn't bother me. But when I first saw that, I like fell on my chair because I'm that kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, um, there's not a lot to frame it over, like when it takes place. Like she's obviously not in Congress, and um, you know, she seems to be living on her own, not with her dad. So, but I mean, I feel like this would still be early enough in her career where she's trying to impress Batman. But other than Zaz, this could kind of take place. Almost any time in background. I thought history, she was very which... experienced. Do you think it's earlier in her career? Well, and I was about to ask, do you think it's like pretty near the end because of that whole I need to take a break? So I wondered if it yeah, was right. really close to the <laughs> That's the thing. Special. But like, but like she really seems to be trying to impress Batman too. Mm-hmm. Which, well, isn't, isn't you know, that kind I, of like what she did a lot back when she was Batgirl? I, like, I feel I, like she would have gotten over that quickly. And like, but. I mean, I could blame that more on the writing than anything else. But yeah, I mean, the, this could take place like a week before the last Batgirl, you know, story. Or it could take place, you know, a week after she fought Killer Moth. I mean, it's... uh yeah. It's, it's only one line, though. Like, I can't wait to see the look on Batman's face. It's not like she's saying Batman the entire story, so... I kind of see it as like... But she's like before. really eager she's to catch r- him yeah, before Batman. Yeah, she's really rushing around, though, to like get the job done before well, he does. Yeah, like, include, like, oh, if I catch him before Batman... He'll give me a donut. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Josh, that I think it seems like this side of Babs we wouldn't really see until, you know, 
earlier in her career because there was a, but I think this is almost like symptomatic of like post-crisis and like the change of that because, you know, earlier on, obviously silver age, she was really having no work to earn the respect. But then there were moments where like, clearly there were really wonderful interactions between Batman and herself and that he did, you know, respect her and there was a mutual admiration and, I, and he trusted her and, you know, she was a part of that family. Uh, but this There's does. That here. I mean, were, were you going to say that, like, that's not present in this comic? Because he's No, I'm only saying that she didn't feel, towards the end of, you know, getting close to crisis, I guess, she didn't feel the need to prove herself anymore. Like, that wasn't really on the table. Okay. Whereas this, like, I just feel like, oh, what what is her, her end her end goal there? Uh, but no, no, I, I think that clearly, yeah, I mean, he doesn't give out praise very often, if at all. You know, it's very dependent. Yeah, on he, to her in the early days, you know. Well, in general, to his people, you think he's like, good job. Yeah. Well, I mean, at this point like in continuity, that's, that's, that's no. That's kind but of I mean, a recent thing. He, he doesn't, like, just yeah. ignore his, his friends, like, his entire history. This is, this is, like, 1998. He didn't, like, you know, just not give them There's, like, that Batman family issue where Alfred's, like, you know, are you surprised, you know, are you surprised that Batman and Batgirl did a good job? No, I'm not. I expect them to do a good job. okay. I guess you have a more positive perspective of Batman than I do. I feel like you really got to work hard for him and then like if he gives you praise like that's something you hold on to for your whole life because it's like something really special he's not a i feel like coach. in the million dollar debut of batgirl he was even like you know good job batgirl honestly it just depends on what's been writers and, and honestly it depends between eras because like the idea of like the, yeah. the prickly batman who like kind of acts on his own that's not that's that's kind of a dan Dio kind of thing i mean he was grimmer in the 90s but he wouldn't like if someone did like, if someone helped him out he wouldn't like ignore them i don't remember him doing that a lot in the 90s uh, uh i do like the jim balland art by the way oh yeah usually I think, he draws yeah buxom women yeah usually yeah, well, yeah, I I just think of like you know some of his Catwoman stuff, and then Tara Witch of the Black Rose. Uh, yeah. Like this is a uh, realistic art, and Barbara when she's um in her apartment, like looking at a thing, she's wearing like sweatpants and like an orange, you know, like sweater. Mm-hmm. Like she's not, you know, yeah, in her bra and panties. Yeah. Like, oh, I have to figure <laughs> out how to stop Zaz as yeah. I like as I arch out my yeah. back. And- <laughs> no, yeah, no. and wasn't is he the one that also likes the little feet? Or was that no? That was um the guy. From no, that's Donovan. um that no, that's that's Guillaume March. <laughs> oh, okay, Guillaume March. Yeah, not Donovan. Okay, uh, but no, I agree with you that I think the art is really pretty. I I mean, I especially I I almost get like a Batman the Animated Series vibe sometimes when I see Barbara smiling, like either as Barbara or as Batgirl. I'm like, oh, that kind of has like a boost. Well, uh, Rich Burchett, who inked this book, he did the Batman animate comics, so oh, maybe that's kind of okay. has that. There you go. So I want to step into something because. Well, this seems like a good story, and and you know I think it it certainly has some positive. <laughs> mo- I like have major issues with it, and I don't know if it's thank God. Just ma- oh, really? Am oh, I yeah. not the only? I thought I was the only one. Don was like not showing his hand, so I have major issues with Barbara Gordon's characterization. I think this is probably the Ooh, like, into this. one of the worst like characterizations I have ever seen, if only because of like how terrible it makes her seem. Number one, I will fight you on this. You're go, gonna go okay? I can't wait. Let me put out my <laughs> points. Who should go after me, Josh? Because you're gonna support me, I guess, and then Don, he can. <laughs> That's not fair. Well, what do you mean? Well, whatever. Let me weigh it out. What are you going to do? What are you going to do about it? It's a two-party system. Okay, here it's a two-party system. Okay, (laughs) number one, she throws a gun to a person and says, "Next time, just shoot him." Now, wasn't that his gun? 
No, I believe that it, it was it was a gun of the perp. She de de-armed, disarmed. She disarmed the perp and then was like, next time to shoot. I mean, it could have potentially. Well, and then that, she but... points the gun at him too, yes. like saying, "Run away now." And I mean, it could be like an ironic thing. It was like, oh man, if only she knew it was going to happen to her with the Joker. But I mean, even so, like she should not. That's not a joking thing to do. I mean, being someone who's associated with Batman. Oh please, being someone associated <laughs> with Batman <laughs> would not be like you know take. Uh, firearms lightly, but that's just that's just my my first point there. Why then is she we... telling the guy to run away too? <laughs> run away, tie him up, capture oh, yeah. him for the police. Because yeah, okay. so her priority is like Zaz and everything else. Like doesn't matter. I mean, I think there are some heroes that would like take it down and like I need to think about the present moment and then go after. Then I want to talk about this apartment. What if that guy kills someone's <laughs> uncle Ben because she said run away now? You need to wait your turn, sir. Then I want to talk about her apartment. I called it a level two quarter apartment. It looks awful. This is not, this is like <sighs> symbolic of someone who like doesn't care about necessarily, you know, their, their life and is just, I, 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 I don't know, but it just doesn't seem like Barbara Gordon. I think that she would be neat and mighty. Yes, it could be symptomatic <laughs> of her case and that she's just so uber focused that she's like letting everything else be strewn about, but this just does not look, this is like, I mean, like the clue master or somebody else, not her. Then we get to the even worst part, which is the funeral. Doesn't even think about Jessica in this very tragic moment. Her mother asks her to give a eulogy, and she's like, no, I have something important to do. What is missing in there is more important, because if I'm leaving this, and this was not as important on my list. And she goes on, and then only at the end does she regret the whole thing. And I just think to myself, she, while Barbara Gordon has made mistakes, I don't, you know, I don't hold her up to like this perfect you know example of a human i think that this was like the really terrible and this is something that barbara gordon the barbara gordon i know would not do so now i have said my piece there now you can uh, i guess agree with or refute my points well who are you allowing to speak i don't know well i would say well you said it was unfair that josh <laughs> goes so i guess whomever well i mean <laughs> Here's my thing. Um, okay. First of all, this is written by Kelly Puckett, who A, did the Batman Adventures, and two, did the Continuing <laughs> Batgirl series, which is awesome. Uh-huh. But he writes, if you've, if you've read either of those series, he writes very, he lets the artist tell the story. He writes very abstractly. A lot of the story's interpretive content you take out of the images. So a lot of the dialogue is meant to be kind of like, interpretive like the scenes with her and the funeral and stuff <laughs> you're supposed to you're supposed to like take out you know her state of mind it's not supposed to be like you know it's, 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 it's hold on before you suffocate it's supposed to, that's also supposed to be like an exposition laden sort of like dialogue you know kind of thing i think I, when i first read this and like, i saw the whole gun thing and like her like running around i did think this is wildly out of character but then I, I went back, I sat back like, wait a minute, actually, in the last like five years, what, what is Barbara Gordon's primary like uh, character description? She's like hyper focused to the point where like she's always, she's always been like, at least, at least recently, she's traditionally been de- described as so into being Batgirl that she traditionally foregoes a lot of her social life to, to be Batgirl. Now I understand that that's a very recent thing for her to be, to be like. And I'm not, I'm not familiar with her Silver Age and Bronze Age stuff to see how this con- contradicts that. But at first I thought this is kind of out of character, but then I thought, you know, I, I've seen this version of Barbara Gordon so often recently that it kind of just rings true that like, in my mind, she's been back row for several years. She's after Mr. Zass, who was a terrible serial killer. I can, Barbara Gordon is a woman who is very focused in her work, right? Like that's not out of character, isn't it? No. Where like she's so, she's so into what she's doing that she tends to leave people in the lurch. 
So I don't care that she's like having a messy room. And in the scene of the funeral, I mean, she's not necessarily supposed to be sympathetic, which is kind of leads to the ending where she needs, I need to step back a bit. It's supposed to demonstrate her actions in the funeral demonstrate how into Batgirl she's being that it's kind of like kind of pulling her, at, burning her at both ends. So she is actively intense in the story. She is kind of like, you know, a bit unsympathetic, but I think that's intentional to, to show you how into Batgirl is kind of tearing apart Barbara Gordon's life in itself, which is why she says, I'm going to take a break and I'm going to, you know, look at my picture and saying, look at, you know, she's looking at her picture in her Batgirl costume. You see Barbara Gordon in her normal life with her friend and they see Batgirl unmasked looking at it. It's kind of a juxtaposition of her two lives. So I think that actually this is a fairly smartly written issue that kind of demonstrates Barbara Gordon, not Bruce Wayne Batman, but Barbara Gordon and when she's trying to be Batgirl too much and what that means for Barbara Gordon as a person. So I see what you're saying, but I honestly think it's a little deeper than what you were giving credit for. Okay, so this whole thing about how the dialogue's meant to be interpretive. When she's saying, run away now, how am I supposed to interpret that? (laughs) That's not not, not the example I'm talking about. When she says here, next time, like... Whether well, it's well, the good thing, I mean, I mean, like, isn't she the, the daughter of a cop? Like, wouldn't, you know, if the guy had, I thought that the guy had a gun. I thought, I guess it's not his, but I thought that she was handing him back the gun that the crooks took from him. And if it is, if it is his gun, you know, I guess it is his legal right to shoot them. I thought I interpreted that as what she was talking about. It is about. his right, but is that something that Barbara Gordon would say in that situation? Like, next time, like, I feel like that's what her dad would say on Gotham. Like, next time, just shoot him. <laughs> like, Barbara would be like, you know, be more careful next time, sir. Or like something like that. Or I mean, I don't know. What is Barbara Gordon's stance with guns anyway? Has it ever been established? Her oh oh, Barbara Gordon pre Oracle. Right. Like like uh, what like does she have? Because Bruce Wayne has things against guns, but and he teaches his 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 partners to like not use guns. But like Barbara Gordon's such a a solo character. Why is she? Why would she have that just as well? Because she's on her own. Yeah, and I, you know, there's a connection with the the commandant or comorant that she went up against because that that was a real. I mean, he shot at her, and she was actually shot. So there's sort of a connection there, but it depends on like what continuity we're pulling this from, which again goes into the vague continuity. So I would mm-hmm. only say, was it explicitly stated about you know her belief in guns? No, but I can only assume that someone that's working with you know, with the exception of Jason Todd, someone that works with however separated batman is gonna also be against guns well and again it's just her it's choice of words next time just shoot him like i mean to me that's it like you know feel, like she, it she doesn't rather... feel like 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 what barbara gordon would say in that situation whether it's you know morally okay or not it feels like she would choose to say something else and then letting well, the but, criminal but, but get away quick though i mean like encouraging says, the criminal to get away well she says like you know in, in her inner monologue when she says next time to shoot him i'm wasting time like like in her match in her head she's like this is I, I ought to be somewhere else that's what she's that's why she's kind of saying that more than anything else like i would rather you just shoot these guys so i wouldn't mm-hmm. have to deal with you right now and, and it's and it's kind of but like you know she's trying to find a serial killer so i think that that kind of tracks consistently with like what's going on in the story I'm not as bothered by the apartment as Stella is, but the whole, you know, funeral thing, I thought that that was, you know, heartless, but I thought, okay, maybe this is going to like, you know, come back at the end of the story. So like when Barbara's like, no, I need some time off. I'm like, okay, she's going to like visit Jessica's mother and say, you know, I'm sorry. I, you know, I was distracted or like some sort of thing where she would like say to herself, is it too late to speak at the funeral now? (laughs) I couldn't face Jessica's death. So I threw myself into the Zaz thing, but I need to face it or like, you know, something like some sort of more self-reflection than her looking at a knife. But like, I mean, maybe not full on redemption, but, you know, something. (laughs) And like Stella said, we have no point of reference for who Jessica or John are. Yeah. And that might have other than that, they're Barbara's friends. 
and it might have given the story more meaning. Not to make them established characters or something, but, you know. That happens often in comics, though. You know, you can do a flashback or something, or, like, you know, Jessica was supposed to meet me for lunch. We haven't spoke, you know, like, she was my best friend from college, you know. Why didn't she show up? And then, like, that's the framing sequence for the Zaz story. She's, like, just, it's just such bad manners at the funeral. To the point where, like, she's smiling as she's running out, like. Because she, yeah, figured it out, yeah. Yeah, and and again, just the whole thing, like, you know, I gotta catch this guy before Batman does, because, you know, that'll show Batman, I can't wait to see the look on his face. Wait, like, wait, 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 did I, she say that? I mean, she said, when I catch him, Batman will be pleased, but, like, I mean, I don't find that as, like, the driving force for her getting after his ass, is because it's Mr. Zack. That's, it seems to be more about doing it, like, for Batman than she to, like, him saving the people. No, but that's but not like, how many times does she be like, "I have to find him before his next victim"? It's all of, like, yeah, because he kills again. I'm, yeah, I'm but she, she also say that. well, what's she driving says, her I, I'm more? Finding him for a bad. Yeah, because because he's a serial killer. Like, yeah, th- but yeah, the story, but the story doesn't say that. The story says. I'm finding him before Batman. Then that no, was, the one says, when I that, catch him story. first, like that's the exact, like when I catch him first and it's all about catching him first. Not when I, when I catch him before he kills again, Maybe that she's looking at a dead body and she's thinking on the very next page after she's catching first, she looks at the dead body. And what does she say? Jackpot. <laughs> Jackpot. <laughs> like, then, 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 then they hit the brakes on that. <laughs> yeah, like she's like she's like still still warm. Not oh my gosh, like this poor woman or oh you know like. It, no, she's a like, Yeah, oh, it, it's, it's not supposed to make her look sympathetic though. I get what you're saying that like well the, I'm, because I'm of that sorry, paragraph you think a that book it's called Batman Girl, about Barbara so. Gordon. I would like her to be somewhat sympathetic. Like yeah. she doesn't have to have no faults, but like don't make her this person who's like I can't wait to catch this serial killer before Batman dead body jackpot. <laughs> My best friend's funeral, yawn. I'd rather be somewhere else. <laughs> I'm like, like, oh, will this mom get off my back? I'm trying to, you know, like, to catch You know what that. I feel like? I feel like I've read too many bad Batgirl stories because this feels so familiar to me. It's like when Stella, <laughs> like, shrugged her shoulders when Batman was was stabbing and branding people in the movies. It's like, I, I'll, I'll gawk at that, but like, she's like, you know, meh. And, like, I'm watching Barbara Gordon be so self-interested in her Batgirl persona. And it's like, this is just like Gail Simone's background, which isn't good, but I feel that like it's not a million miles out of character. So I guess I'm allowing it better because I feel like it's written deftly enough that I, it, I, it just nothing necessarily uh, penetrates my, I don't know, being bothered or whatever. Yeah, there's just no concern for that dead woman. It's jackpot. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I just don't. Um, it's just hard but, but, to read but, this and see, like, oh, that's Barbara Gordon. Well, what do you think about the point of the story, though? That, that you know, she is too close to her costume identity, and she does need time off. Like, it demonstrates that. Like, it's not. I, it's I not like show her instead of tell. But that being said, they could have done a little more to both show and tell that at the end than like just like three panels of self-reflection at the end. And it's anticlimactic. Like, she went through all that. She suffered through all that. She made poor decisions with all that. And then all of a sudden, I'm going to take some time off. I also think that, like, this is, like, what, 10 years after the killing joke. So it's been a long time since they've had, especially in the 80s, regular Batgirl stories. So maybe writers thought that her characterization was a lot more up for interpretation as Batgirl. So maybe maybe that's why it's a little bit more nebulous. So when does this take place and what is her state of mind? 
Because I don't, because, like, like, because she was, like, you know, absent for a while in the 80s. So it is harder to, like, track her from issue to issue in terms of what her character was after a decade of her, you know, not being in the costume. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, I mean, I guess I'm making an excuse for the writer, but I feel that, like, it's, it's not as though she had an issue right before this where you could, where you knew how she was. So. Uh-huh. No, but she's had, you know, decades of characterization. Totally. And even though she wasn't appearing as Batgirl, like, every month, you know, she was, like, you know, we were getting appearances of her as Oracle. She's not, like, an obscure character. No, I'm just imagining say, I mean, her, ba- ba- Batman, like, you know, like, he goes home and he, like, looks at his two tickets to Nepal and, like, you know, his, like, book at the honeymoon suite and he, like, starts crying, like, so, Mastabi, did you ask her? Yes! <laughs> what did she say? What do you think she said? I'm hideous! <laughs> uh, and I will say that, you know, compared to the stories that have come before, this is, I would say, has a darker tone to it because Zaz, I think, oh, yeah. just oh, brings yeah. it down, you know, compared to other villains that she's gone up against. And, you know, as we were getting, you know, late 70s and the 80s, um, the stories themselves weren't very good. Uh, So I will say overall, you know, I think the story was better than what we had seen, like very close to crisis and then post-crisis. It's just, you know, the characterization that throws me off and, and disappoints me. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that. I, I, I think well, that uh, right. it's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. <laughs> okay. I don't know... If we're going to rate, rate these, I don't know. What do you think? I think should we rate them? Or, okay. So what would you give whew, out of 10 Zaz notches? Um, what would you give this this particular issue? I don't know. What would you give it? Oh, it's my turn first. Six and a half. Okay. Six and a half out of 10 Zaz notches. Okay. I'll give it an eight, an eight out of 10. I, 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 I thought it was a very uh, strongly written story, even if it kind of, uh, took advantage of her character a bit. So you're coming around finally. Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm giving it a five out of ten, and the only reason why it gets the five at all is because the arc was good. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to move into our next one, and it's Wonder Woman Donna Troy number one. And before we do that, I just wanted to read an interview of Phil Jimenez from the book The Titans Companion by Glenn Cadigan. And thanks to Pan Pan, a.k.a. Tom Panneries, for the scan here. And there's just one question, I think, that's applicable to this. Uh, so the Titans Companion asks, how did the Girl Frenzy story come about? And Phil Jimenez says, somebody asked if I want to write and draw it. And I said, sure. It was a story that had been percolating in my head for a long time. It was actually a miniseries. I had wanted to do a Donna Troy miniseries, but I was able to condense it, which I actually think is good. I think it was a much better one shot, and I wanted to do stories that dealt with our mythological based characters, Wonder Woman, Troya, and Captain Marvel, because I think it's an interesting connection between the three of them. And I love the Red Panzer. The first Wonder Woman comic I ever read had the Red Panzer in it, so I wanted to bring him back as a villain. And since Hippolyta was now the Wonder Woman of the 1940s, we could actually establish that story had actually existed, but in slightly altered form. So I got the chance to write and draw it, and that was also another really lovely experience. I just recently re-looked at that. I hadn't looked at it for a long time. The story is called Why, and I was able, through her, to ask certain questions that I was pondering myself about the existence of evil and why God would let evil exist. It was a very, very satisfying experience. From the words of Phil Jimenez. And now over to Josh, who is actually in charge of this issue. <laughs> That's right. I'm in charge. So all you credits, just sit down and listen. Uh, we open up with New York and um, the Twin Towers featured very prominently. Um, 
which uh, is a little uncomfortable, especially especially with how it ends. And um, yeah. Donna Troy is on her way to church, and she's there's a homeless person on the way, and Donna Troy has come prepared. She has a whole meal for him. And one of the reviews I read about this online said that that moment right there um, showed that like Phil Jimenez like immediately like gets Donna Troy. Mm-hmm. But in any case, um, she's going because she wants to have a talk with God. And the whole story is her asking some theological questions because she's not able to reach her gods. Quite recently in the Wonder Woman story, um, her um, kid, uh, Robert, died along with her ex-husband, Terry, and um, her former stepdaughter, who I forget the name of the stepdaughter. She's not mentioned in the story anyway, but just the ramifications of recent events in Donna Troy's life and discovering she was cursed. And finding um, an old news article among Terry's stuff is causing her to remember a fight that she, uh, Captain Marvel, and Wonder Woman had with the Red Panzer, as previously mentioned. He's attacking um, a World War II like memorial parade. And using the lasso of truth, Donna's thinking, and this is during her Troya days. At this point, Donna was not. Yeah, Donna had so many. Uh, yeah, Donna, this is like three or four costumes ago. Uh, Donna uses <laughs> the lasso of truth on Red Panzer, thinking, oh, well, this is going to show him the evil of his ways and everything and the truth. But actually, he's so insane and so warped that, like, it's just he still only sees hate. And that, you know, shook Donna so much that, like, you know, Red Panzer, he was willing to, like, kill himself and, like, kill everyone in the name of hate. Obviously, the heroes were able to stop them, you know, contain the bomb and, you know, and save everyone. And, you know, Terry saved the article from that because he really liked it. But, uh, you know, Donna's just remembering that, like, all this person had in him was pure hate. And she's asking God, you know, why hate? Why all of this stuff? And obviously, as it is when, you know, there's no answers, you know, like that can be, you know. So she goes out and she talks to the homeless person and he says, you know, are you OK? She says, I'm fine. And then very, very uncomfortable final shot. We see the World Trade Centers and says, I'll be just fine. <laughs> Lord. That's a woman, Josh. What? That that, uh, that homeless person's a woman. <laughs> well, okay. So, so, so what? I mean, it's the <laughs> year 2016. Are we good? Are we, I thought you meant the World Trade Center was a woman. I'm like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly there's phallic imagery there. So that's. I think we need to start this podcast assume. over again. <laughs> I'm not going to assume somebody's gender, you know, it's, uh, the art isn't, you know, maybe, <laughs> the, yeah, exactly. The art's, a, I, I, I'm relooking at this. There's nothing to say that it's a man or a woman. Uh, the, 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 when you first hear the first page, I think it's a little easier to tell. Maybe in my, what, what do you think, Stella? Um, I thought maybe in the beginning it was also a woman, but I could, I mean, the, the clothing is baggy, so there's not like any definable curves or anything. So it, it could go either way. She's not arching her back like, well, it's oh, going here we go either. with that again. <laughs> <laughs> but Bale she does like... notice that, um, Donna's tr- crying and I feel like men wouldn't necessarily say that. So I could be. Oh, come on. <laughs> My pride. I could run out in the, in, in my, you know, my mascara would be running and you guys would be like, okay, Ray, go get some pizza. Well, even if I said that once, that doesn't mean I'll say that again. Oh, okay. Anywho, okay, continue. No, oh, that's that, 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 yeah, no, that, 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 that's the story, you know. Donna okay. Troy uh, asked the theological question, and um, it's interesting the part where she says, you know, um, I can't reach, you know, my gods because she was with the Titans of Myth and the gods, and this is a really weird point in Donna Troy's history because she actually like it's one of the last her time she was focused on, right? Well, her origin had just been, like, redone in Wonder Woman again. Like, she had been Dark Star previous mm-hmm. to this after losing her Troya powers. 
and she just found out that like she was like an Amazonian clone. And this is before she rejoins the new Titans again. Like so she's not actually doing anything right now but appearing in Wonder Woman. Um and she just like broke up with Kyle Rayner by like um you know uh, edict of the Wonder Woman offices cuz they didn't want her in uh, the Kyle Rayner book anymore. She can do better. Yeah. So <laughs> But uh, how how did this story work for you, Stella? I enjoyed it. It it was hard to a certain extent, the back and forth. And, you know, once, like, the hairstyles clearly helped because the longer hair Donna Troy was the one in the present. And then, I guess, the Troya was Mm -hmm. the one in the past. But it was, like, to to some extent, I think it, it was a little jarring going back and forth. Um, and that could that could just be me. I don't know too much about Donna, and, and I regret that. I think that this would have been a more fulfilling comic for me to read had I known more about her. Um, as someone who is religious, I enjoyed those scenes where she was, like, brutally honest and sort of questioning and, like, why is this sort of thing happening? And um, very emotional scenes, which I think were very authentic. I, I, I think they elicited emotion from me, certainly. I, I thought that was great. And one thing that I also thought about this is that... That this whole issue, well, the with the red panzer and in the past, I feel like that story is like could happen today. Like it's so applicable to today with, with mm-hmm. you know the things that's going on in the world. And I think that's one of those great things, I guess, great and sad things about comics is that to a certain extent they're they're timeless. Uh, they could be put into other eras and they work completely fine. It's sad that we can look at this and be like, yeah, that's happening, you know, in uh, different cities and, and, you know, to our, our young black men and, and other people and, you know, our, our gays, you know, at clubs and things like that. And it's sad we haven't moved on from that. But it's very interesting that this was a very true, I feel, issue. Uh, it wasn't very fantastical, you know, besides, you know, the, the weaponry and the, and the lasso and everything. I feel like it was it was very realistic. Yeah, I think this is actually a perfect comic book story. The artwork is immaculate because Phil Jimenez is one of DC Comics' best artists ever. I mean, he is like he is like like the post-crisis version of George Perez because his style is so blatantly inspired by him. But he's actually even more detailed and expressive. He has great expressions, like that scene where you like those eight panels of Donna crying, and she kind of goes like goes. To, and the evolution of her emotions is is terrific. This story, is, you can tell, it's very personal because Phil Jimenez is a is a gigantic Titans fan. And I don't know if, if Donna Troy's his favorite character. I know that he's a big Wonder Woman fan too, but I know Donna's a favorite character of his. So you can tell this is a very personal story. Cause I was, and obviously, you know, Phil Jimenez is a gay artist. And, I mean, I say obviously people don't know, but like, uh, Red Panzer. Yeah. I he's no either. Oh yeah. He's, 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 he's talked about that. He's a prominent gay artist and Red Panzer's attacking a gay rights parade specifically. Mm-hmm. So you can tell that this, I mean, not only is he writing favorite characters, but he's having, them to combat an evil that, that hits close to home for him. Mm. You have a lot of personal things in this issue, I think, come across, like, as personal as the story is, it never feels overly indulgent to where mm-hmm. it maximizes the characterization. And Donna Troy, because I, mean, I, I actually got to know her through my Teen Titans reading uh, earlier this year, and she is a great character. And I think that this just, you know, he's never, I don't remember him writing uh, or drawing the character previous to this. He might have, but... Having read her in Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman and George Perez, this feels very organic to that, and it, it is—it just feels right. And like, I, I love these certain panels where um, the bomb's going off, and you see like the panels zoom into her face, and it just—I there's nothing really wrong with this issue. I, I would like to hear any complaints that people might have because I feel that this is just one of those stories. If you like the character, you really should read this. And here's a slightly off-the-wall question, because even though he's not very, very prominent in the book, his shadow is over the book, and he's a controversial mm. character. 
Uh-oh. Do you guys have any strong feelings towards Terry Long? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess for, for, for me, because I was actually talking about this, ironically, I actually brought this up on my uh, uh, Questions on Avengers podcast last night. Uh, we were talking about fictional characters and people's love for them. I never disliked Terry Long, but I know that people dis, I know people hated him purely because that he married Donna Troy. And I know that a lot of male fans, like, were in love with Donna Troy. Not, not just like liked her. They wanted her to be like her, their girlfriends. I mean, I've, I've heard people on podcasts say that. So I've always had a very platonic appreciation for him. I've, I always liked him for what he, you know, before his, his character went down and, um, it's weird because I'm kind of confused by like why is he in the hospital, but they never they never show him on the ground during the fight scene. But I I like generally speaking until his character goes downward. I like Terry Long. I have no opinions on him. Like I I don't think it'd be right for me to offer any opinions. You know I I talk with Tom Penneries a lot, and it's not like. T- Terry Wong comes up in our conversations all the time, but you know, he did like this little conversation to send it over to Shag and Rob over at Who's Who about Terry Wong, and I like made up some stuff about how ridiculous he was. So I hear <laughs> the other opinions, and like I can completely understand those perspectives, but I think without having, and I think it's pretty awful that they want to get rid of him, and so they threw him as well as his two young children over a cliff to get rid of him. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, you know, that was John. However, I like to, I, I, you know, I, I like Tom and will support him. I feel like I can't really offer an opinion without having read. And, and I think I've read the issue where I have like a random tights issue. Oh, I wonder if it's the, I don't think it's the issue. It may be. I remember having something and like Terry is there because I was thinking to myself, who is this man with this like curly red beard? And this, like this <laughs> a sweet perm. I have an issue. I need to dig that out of my long box and like bring it. Uh, and I don't know. And we laugh over it but so yeah i just don't think i i have like the authority to, to make a comment so i enjoy people throwing because i think i only hear negative things from him so i enjoy hearing people like get really worked <laughs> up about him um, but i i can't say i can't say anything I, i'm really surprised about like how much he is hated like and he did leave a bad first impression on the readers because in his first appearance, like his first like two or three appearances, he is like very flirty with the other girls in front of Donna. And the fact that like he was her teacher and he's 10 years old than her, it does come off as creepy. But like I first knew him after those first appearances where like he was just this character who kind of like grounded Donna, you know, like and he told Dick Grayson that Jason Todd was dead. No, that was Danny Chase. Oh, yeah. Well, they're in the same scene. <laughs> Danny Chase was. Yeah, they were in the same scene. No, Terry Log, he, he, he not only grounded Donna, but like, you know, he kind of like was a grounding, you know, like force for the Titans too at times. And it, I, I, I kind of liked him, um, in that way. It, there was weird stuff where like he had this ex-wife who was like, Oh, Terry, you know, you don't need to date this Amazonian goddess, you know, I'm more of a woman than she is. Like stuff like that. <laughs> Keep dreaming. And then that woman comes and attacks the Titans at, at Donna's funeral. Tom sent me a scan about that. And I said, why is that woman even? Oh, yeah. She's like, how did this, that woman, that was that also Phil Jimenez. My lives. Oh, yeah. My yeah. She's like, it's, it's, it's Donna's fault that my whole family is dead. You know, yeah. like, yeah. You know, it's yeah. not. Yeah. Yeah. Terry Long's ex-wife was weird. She'd be like, like, she'd be like, oh, Donna, Terry stayed at my house last night while you were off, you know, in outer space. Like, always trying to, like, make her jealous. But that's, uh, you know, Donna Troy, unless you guys have any other thoughts. That's, oh, well, I wonder about the, because you brought it up with the World Trade Center, and it's so eerie. It's almost like 
a post 9-11 thing where like they put it there and it was like in remembrance of i mean any thoughts why they begin and end with the world trade center is it just sort of what the works are that go on and sort of the symbol of it i mean from what i i i was not i was 13 years old when the towers fell so i i, I don't think i've even heard of the trade center before in my own life but from what i gather it was like the the icon of new york like i, I know if you look at a lot of films set in new york there's always establishing thoughts of, of uh, the trade center uh, and i think that like yeah it was just a way to show you like you know the power of, it was just like kind of a symbol like you know this is new york and this this stands for man's man's um ingenuity and togetherness and i think that like that's what it was no different than showing the statue of liberty or the empire state building i think it was just like a way to show this is this is new york they did a king kong movie where king kong where king kong climbed at the world trade centers instead of the empire state building yeah. Well, I remember in the initial Tobey Maguire trailer for the first Spider-Man that he was like he swung past the World Trade Center and like that never, never made. The oh no, it wasn't ever. even that he swung past it. He like he he, he made a web between the two buildings oh, and like caught a helicopter. The helicopter, yeah. They also had yeah. um, levels in Spy- like the PlayStation Spider-Man Two Inter Electro game. They had to take out oh. those. They, some of those levels had the Trade Center in them. And like okay. so many early seasons of Friends, like you see the the World Trade Center and like the establishing shots. Yeah, Donovan's favorite show. <laughs> oh my! My yeah. God! <laughs> yeah. Okay. I guess you know she played Harley, Harley Quinn, Quinn once. Did she play Harley Quinn? In uh, Joker's Millions, Joker needs a new Harley Quinn because like he's too lazy to get the other one out of jail. So he hi- he hires <laughs> he hires Maggie Wheeler and yeah. she's like she's Harley she's like yeah Mr G. <laughs> At one point he tries to shoot her in the head. <laughs> Boss no. Oh my gosh. Out of ten Terry Long, what would you give Wonder Woman Donna Troy? Ten. Uh, uh, yeah, ten, ten Terry Long perms out of ten. Ten Terry Long perms. Wow. I think I'll give it a solid nine. Nine Terry Long. Okay, uh, we're moving into our next one, which is Superman Lois Lane. And again, I reached out to someone. Uh, there, there may be more backstory that Joshua had, but I just had a question because uh, when she there's a kiss between Superman and Lois, and she says, "Although I'm glad you're back to your old self." Dot dot dot. And so I asked Michael Bailey what's been going on. So he said oh. that this is this is right after the Superman Blue period. So oh, yes. after Final Night, which I just reviewed with my main man Chad, uh, Superman <laughs> <laughs> Superman lost his powers, and the various attempts to bring them back turned him into an energy being. He had to don a containment suit to deal with it, and for about a year, our time, he would switch back and forth from the energy Superman to human Clark Kent. Eventually, he split into two Superman, red and blue, and then after something called the Millennium Giants, he was returned to his normal super self. So thanks to Michael Bailey for that, and Josh is also in charge of Lois Lane. Yes, and um, your old friend, <laughs> Barbara Kiesel, is uh, the writer Indeed. for this one. Indeed. And, uh, and you get Amanda Connor and Jimmy Pagliotti, who, you know, later team up a lot over various things. Including Jimmy, their lives. And actually, uh, the including fact that Superman... Lives. Yeah, including... It, are, are they married? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. I thought so. I wasn't sure. So there you go. Maybe this book is how they met. Maybe not. Probably not. But I hope uh, not. No. Actually, actually, a big deal was made in the solicitations in this that like we get Superman back in his classic costume in the story. So I'm not sure what month this came out in, but this must have been like fairly early in like Superman being back in his classic costume. But they try and do like a James Bond vibe, including like that opening splash page where the Lois Lane logo and the pen and the pad looks just <laughs> like 
I like it. Looks just looks just like a gun, but it's, Lois um, is um, checking um, in. Um, um, uh, for your eyes only. That's what it, the, the, for the your eyes only. Only for you. Okay. Yeah, Lois is checking in to a hotel in Canada, and um, the receptionist keeps on thinking that she's Lucy Lawless. Uh, despite what Lois tells her, she finally like gives up. Fine, I'm Lucy Lawless. Uh, Superman comes in, and they get a little kissy-huggy time before she's like, anyway, you know, I'm going to go work on this case. And uh, he, she won't tell him what it is because she's like, I don't want to get scooped by Clark Kent, you know. And he's like, okay, you sure you want my help? And then she's like, yeah, I'm sure, which um, I have mixed feelings about that both ways, um, which we'll get into when the story's over. Lois is waiting to meet one of her contacts who uh, has not shown up. But apparently um, the story is that there's some missing kids. Throughout Lois's, you know, James Bond-esque investigation, she finds this science research facility where they're doing these weird experiments with polar bears. They're, like, taking the, like, skin and arms off of these polar bears, and when she does find the missing kids, they're, like, trying to infuse these missing kids with, like, polar bear body parts or, like, turn them into part polar bears to, like, make some sort of an army. It's really weird. I'll, I'll be honest. I had to read this a few times. No. Yeah, I agree. It's not one of my favorite Barbara Randall Kessel stories. But she is able to, you know, break everything out and, um, you know, use her own, you know, physical prowess to break out of, you know, being captured. There's um a gunfight and Lois does, you know, like wield a gun. And she is able to save herself and save everyone without the help of Superman. Rather, the polar bears are the cavalry and they ripped the shreds, these scientists. And um, I was a little concerned that some of those decapitated polar bears were like kids transformed. But at the end, when she's at that diner, she does reveal that all the kids were recovered and sent home. And we do get a sense of foreboding with the shadowy woman who's saying, I have an agenda to fulfill. And uh, I forget that woman's name, but she does later appear in Superboy working with a group called The Agenda. So we get a the end mm, okay. with a question mark. So that was Lois Lane. One thing that I'm a little mixed on, and I want to get both of your opinions on that. On the one hand, a good Lois Lane story needs to have her, like, front and center. Like, she can't, you know, use Superman for help. we got to see that she's doing things on her own. But in a case where there's missing kids who, like, could possibly be dying or being killed, shouldn't she, you know, like, say this, Clark, you know, yes, I, I need your help on this one, you know, because kids' lives are at stake. Like, how, how do you both feel about that? Because I'm kind of mixed one way or the other. That's actually a good point that I never thought about uh, personally. I, I I I think that's kind of um, it's tricky because yeah, she should have called Clark. <laughs> I suppose. What was he doing? Well, because exactly? like, the, 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 there are lives at stake. Well, he's offering the helper, and she says, "No, no, no, this is my thing." Is it? Do you think part of the reason is because she had like that guy to help her? I but even if, when you have someone with super speed and X-ray vision and super hearing, you know, and we're talking about locating missing kids. And I get why the writer, you know, Barbara Randall Kessel right. didn't do it because, you know, you want Lois, but maybe come up with a reason why Superman's not there. Because there's other ways to show Lois being independent than, like, having her turn Clark away, I guess. I suppose. I suppose it's a flaw in the writing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, mean, I can see that. Yeah, it's like a legitimate story point that it could have been wrapped up more easily with her. But I think since, like, the the purpose of these, you know, is to have her sort of make it on her own, I can see why it was pressed that, like, she should uh, be able to do this. And, you know, Lois is also, I feel, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Josh, because I know that you, you're pretty well read on Lois. She, she always also seems like someone who leaps into stuff before thinking and gets, like, way in over her head before she realizes, like, oh, I probably needed some 
help. So I feel like this is like she's just on a case and then she like fell like really quickly into something and before she knew it she was wrapped up and, and but also like being able to hold her own. So maybe there wasn't like a lot of time for her to think of like, oh well I should have called Clark for this for help. That that is true, but we're dealing with like missing and endangered children. So like when it's missing and endangered children, like, you know, this is more than just her like, you know, I'm gonna see what this company's up to with no good or you know, like you know, maybe the mayor is really stealing the town's uranium. Like, this is when there's lives at stake. I agree with the decision to put Superman off the table. I just think that, like, getting him off the table, there could have been another way. to Like, you could have had a line from Lois at the beginning, like, you know, Clark is off, you know, in space with the Justice League, so I'm on my own with this one. Yeah, I can, yeah, I can, I can totally see that. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't have yeah. a good, I don't, I don't have a good excuse for that one. That's, uh, I, I don't think it kills the story for me. That's just, you just wish that there was a little bit more. It, it, it doesn't. It's honestly what kills the story for me is this really really weird like you know quest for if you were going to make an army why would you choose children to be the polar bear especially because when children go missing <laughs> that's more noticeable than like ra- you know random like homeless people yeah homeless people or orphans or like something or like and I, I just never heard of something so inane like you know we're going to make polar bear people <laughs> maybe it was because they needed younger specimens in order to like accept the transfer of uh transfer is not the right word the transplant of a um you know an arm because uh, you know little davy he's got a polar bear arm and probably it's easier for little davy to get used to it than it would be a grown person <laughs> that grown person could potentially die but i don't i don't know and this one's for don uh do you, do you have the book in front of you don uh yes i do okay so the page where lois finds the polar bears uh, turn to that page. Is that before she finds? Yeah, that's before she finds. Yeah, yeah. Did I say good? They're tried grotesque. Okay, so when she says, you see, when she's saying "poor thing," what are they doing with you? And she's petting the polar bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is more compassion than Barbara showed to Zaz's like dead girl victim that she found in the body. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing. You notice Lois? What do you want me to say to that? <laughs> it was getting so. It was like so serious. I was like, okay, where is this going? What's going to happen right now? And then of course, <laughs> Bertoni reminded you that he's Bertoni. So, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> what can I say? I'm more concerned about her her superhero costume that apparently she has in this issue. She was, she was yeah, designed like, by like a uh, Travis Cherish or something like that from Image. They're like the pads. I mean, well, it's interesting so. she has this these this gear. Period, because she's got like school gear too. Yeah, she's Lois Lane, international woman of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, we made a big deal about Barbara with with the guns. You know, how do we feel about Lois? You know, like shooting at bad guys. You know, potentially. I mean, her, her dad's a general. I mean, I don't. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, like just because Batman doesn't like guns doesn't mean everybody has to hate guns. So I don't care. It it, it it does not bother me either because it's a life or death situation, and she is an army brat. I just you know. Yeah. It is worth noting because very rarely, especially in the late 90s with the comic, you rarely ever see people shooting the kill in some of these stories. I mean, I guess that, like, you want to make sure that, like, the hero doesn't kill somebody with a gun in cold blood because that's a lot of action movie stuff. But I'm always aware that, like, I think that, like, DC was was pretty mindful to have her. I don't think she hits anybody with it, right? It doesn't look good. No, the polar bears take them apart. One thing that a lot of people had a problem with the story is that after everything that Lois has been through, Superman's name is still in front of hers on the um on the book's title. Well, I was saying on the Batgirl is like Batman Batgirl girlfriendsy, right? Or Batman yeah. Batgirl scars. 
Right. It's like that with all the titles. So, like, you know, I don't really fault DC for that, but that is something that bothered, you know, um, a lot of people. The more I read about this online, they said, you know, like, after all she's been through, she still has to have Superman's name before hers. But I think that's... I understand that. You know, the story did a good enough job of propping her. I don't have a lot of follow-up questions on this because it was just a weird off-the-wall story that didn't bring a lot of theological questions. So, um, (laughs) unless... And unless you guys have something to add, I do. I, I do have a, a comment to make. But who did you say the shadowy figure was at the end? The lady. Oh, I forget her name, but she works with the agenda over in um, Superboy. Okay. She um she killed Superboy's uh, first girlfriend, Tana Moon. Oh, oh that was yeah, her. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, actually, you know what? Because I never read that issue. Wh- her hand is white. That's weird because because she's like a black right. hair, but that could just be a miscoloring. I'm assuming this is supposed to be her because she looks like her and she says, I have an agenda to fulfill. We're getting the the miscolor and skin color and then birds of prey. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I will say when I was reading this, while I do agree that I was like, it was just super wacky and I feel like it got more complicated than it needed to be. And it could have been like a regular mystery, you know, with maybe arm thugs. It did convince me, I think, of how capable she is and that she could have definitely been a part-time member of the birds of prey because really there's that, you know, there's that one little one shot and she's able to hold her own with with Dinah but I just feel like it would have been a really fun dynamic if there was sort of a rotating roster and she reappeared in Birds of Prey but you know I enjoy seeing Lois in this capacity more so than just like uh, Girl Friday or, or something else mm-hmm. well out of I guess uh, 10 mutated Davies uh, what what would you give this? I give about a 7 I think it's probably my least favorite of the stories I think they're all they're all adequately written the Superman books in the 90s were very sci-fi heavy and I don't tend to really enjoy sci-fi comic books a lot. And I think this, this kind of reminds me of that era. It's not necessarily sci-fi. Well, it is sci-fi kind of. So it's not my favorite type of plot. But it was it was still a good story to show her off. And the, the art was decent. So yeah, I'll give it a seven. I give it a five and a half out of uh, ten mutated babies. It gets a lot of points for um, <laughs> for doing Lois right. For, yeah. you know, having her solve the problem without Clark. Having it be independent. But that being said... Just the rest of the story just made some weird choices. Like, I thought that there was way too many characters in that diner at the beginning to kind of keep up with what the plot was. That, like, yeah. we're following Lois on this adventure. You know, like... It, That's a good point. That, you know, like, that kind of made it hard to keep up. Like, okay, wait, who are all these people and why are they all coming? And just this weird, like, we're mutating kids in the polar bears. Like, what even? Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and other stuff, you know, but like the story wasn't super horrible. So I still give it that five and a half. And, and it got Lois right, which, um, you know, and and someone made the comment, too, that was that hard out in of the 90s? Gr- S. Chuck Austin, but he wasn't the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> if you if you ever have time still, you should ask Michael Bailey about Chuck Austin's, you know, take on Lois and Lana. Because smart was, and don't uh, do that. <laughs> oh, but oh, it would, be would so he get much. upset. You know, um, I don't want to make him upset, mad. But... Oh, okay, and I think I would give this um, a six, a six out of uh, out of ten mutated Davies. I, I liked Batgirl better than this, but it, like I said, it was nice to see Lois. I think. Oh, um, take that, Bertoni. Well, one comment about this, by the way, is that um, somebody made the point that out of all the girl frenzy uh, titles, this was the only one that was written by a woman. Oh, that's mm. interesting. Well, how many female writers were there around this time? Because like this is before Gail Simone, right? And Devin Grayson. You said before Gail Simone, you like the one other one. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He said Barbara Kiesel. Louis, um, Louis Kim Simonson. Gale would have probably passed away by then. And uh, Louise Simonson was on Superman. She probably left by then. 
Yeah, I guess it's just kind of, you know, in that kind of area. Cause I, yeah, I, I can't think of anybody else. Cause there's, yeah, in terms, in terms of the other, yeah, I guess these would be all the major female characters besides Supergirl. And Supergirl was rewritten by Peter David, so it's a shame. Okay, well, now into our next book, and it is Starman the Mist. And again, I reached out because I was unaware of this character. And I talked to uh, Michael Bailey. So this is what Michael Bailey had to say. He said, the Mist is the daughter of the Golden Age Mist, Mm -hmm. fought Starman. She has a mad on for Jack Knight. These are his words. The then current Starman, after the death of her father and becomes his arch nemesis. She at one point drugs him and has sex with him. Shag called it rape. Uh, That is rape. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Has sex (laughs) with him. Like, well, yeah, I called it rape, you know. <laughs> well, I just, well, I, because, yeah. Well, because I said, oh, is she a villain? And he said, Stella, what part of rape? She <laughs> like, well, you know, yeah, I'm so sorry. For so, anyway, she at one point drugs him and has sex with him while he's unconscious, which results in her getting pregnant. And so this ties into this baby that we see. So, Don, of course, um, the other information you can always add it, but Don is in charge of this one. Uh, yeah, just, just don't do that. Don't do what? <laughs> just for everyone out there who, who gets it twisted. Like don't you know make babies when people are not not aware of it. Oh, <laughs> so yes, this take is a that, story. Talia and Grant Morrison's retcon. And uh, tarantula. Well, she didn't. Have, oh God, she didn't have a baby from that. Oh my lord. I, oh my God. I can't even think about that. Oh my <laughs> God. Could you imagine? There's a little Dick Grayson running around. <laughs> Nightwing's the only Robin that's been raped twice. <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Marat, Marat, is such a relish. Like, isn't that funny? <laughs> you say that like all the time. It's like, <laughs> say it like all with Millhouse's teeth. Quit showing us that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's pretty terrible. Okay, Eddie, um, Starman. Okay, this begins in London. Uh, we see a baby in a crib sleeping, and then is taken. And Mist finds the the, the little baby uh, carriage that kind of thrown into the wall. And she swears revenge. So we see her listening to a cassette tape uh, from the captor's, uh, the kidnapper's uh, voice. And I guess she arrives in America uh, with her sweet Nike kicks. And she arrives at this hotel and meets Black Hand, who is a Green Lantern villain. And I only remember him from Green Lantern Rebirth. Uh, and he's uh, specifically the Alan Scott uh, Golden Age Green Lantern villain. And he says, I have been hired by some people to basically make this doomsday, doomsday weapon, but it requires a piece of technology that is in um, U.S. government. And I don't necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm a big rap sheet, but I don't necessarily want to have treason on my rap sheet. So uh, you do it and you'll get your kid back if you do it. And the entire time she's like, give me my son, give me my son. She's trying to give me my son, but she plays along. So she bursts into this government facility. I say bursts, she mists into her, uh, this government facility because if you don't know, her technique is that she can teleport via a mist cloud. But she runs into... Mary, Captain Marvel. I don't know why they call it Captain Marvel. It's Mary Marvel. Um, anyways, it is Mary Marvel in the post-crisis version, which actually she has her white costume. She says, how did you know I was going to be here, Mary Marvel? And she says, ah, my friend the Minuteman told me. So they get into a bit of a scuffle. And she tells uh, Mary that her son's been kidnapped and she's being coerced to do this crime. So we go back to the Black Hand and his cronies. And uh, Miss runs in saying, look, quick, uh, Captain Marvel's about to come and get us. And Mary Marvel does. She beats up the thugs and Black Hand and Miss escape to his second safe house. So when they're alone, she pulls a gun, on, a very technical looking gun on him and says, OK, that's it. Give me my kid or I'll paint your brains or I'll paint this house with your brains. And he says, you're not going to kill me. You know, that's, if you if you kill me, you'll never know where he is. He says, I could shoot and shatter both of your knees and your hands and between your legs and then take a knife to your eyes and tongue. And then you would beg for me to kill you. And she kind of, you know, psychs him out. So he says, OK, fine. He's in the other room. And she says, cool. I'm going to kill you anyway. 
And then at that moment, Mary Marvel shows up again and says, I thought we agreed that you wouldn't. Um, we agreed that if I burst and let you guys uh, give you a chance to find your kid, that you would let him live. And she says, that, you know, I, I was playing both of you. So she says, uh, yeah, no. And then Mary Marvel says, no, if you kill him, I will be complicit in his murder. And Miss says, still no. So Mary Marvel is very, very uh, distraught by this. And she starts to stutter, which is not very apparent in the uh, artwork. Mist, I, I read about this. She actually had a stutter when she was a little girl, and that she kind of, she kind of um, relates to that. So she ends up teleporting away and le- leaving Black Hand to live. And um, while Mary Marvel has been telling Captain Marvel Billy Batson this story the entire time, we see Mist stay in America and uh, ask for a flight to Opal City, which is where Starman, her arch enemy, is. Slash lover. Uh, well, <laughs> What's the difference? So that was the story. And I don't, I mean, Star, I'll say right now that like Starman is a character I heard a lot about, uh, growing up. I've never really read him until last year when I, I got his first trade. And I know that he's a highly acclaimed character and highly acclaimed comic series by James Robinson. So far in my reading, I'm not necessarily in love with him as much as everybody else is. I mean, it's, it's well written, but it doesn't necessarily grab me. So I would be interested to see if either of you have any familiarity with the Jack Knight Starman comic in this sort of like world. Nope. Because I don't really, I guess no. <laughs> Because, like, I know that he does give uh, Courtney Whitmore her, like, um, spear. Like, that, the spear that she has, that's, that's his. And she becomes, like, Stargirl. But uh, besides that, this is kind of a, one of those characters that I'm fairly unfamiliar with. Uh, so, did Stella, have you, did you have any knowledge of these characters before? I don't. You know, to a certain extent, um, Starman, I think the, the one before the James Robinson one, because he was, I think it must have been a firestorm, or it was something, it was something I reviewed with Shag, and so, like, he was bringing me up to speed of, like, who this is. And I know that James Robinson's run is very much um, heralded uh, as as just being really amazing. I've tried to find things. I don't know how you were able to find. Uh, but I, are, are you reading the Golden the Golden Age or like was it the James Robinson? I had the first two trades of the James Robinson stuff. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I've looked. I cannot. Uh, but uh, no, I am not well versed at all. I just have like some knowledge of it. Um, just just kind of switching up. What about uh, Captain Marvel or Mary Marvel? Uh, I said because I coincidentally I actually watched the Brave and the Bold episode where she first appears and then later on has powers. And I actually really liked her in those episodes. Um, I'm not totally familiar with the Marvel family myself, but I feel like I know more about them than Starman because you know their comic history and um. The 40s when they rivaled Superman and their appearances in other cartoons. But, like, I mean, it's, do either of you have any familiarity with the Marvel family? No. <laughs> I have a little bit more on this, and it's because I think the first time I encountered her, actually, well, I wonder if... No, I think it probably Mary was the first one I encountered, because otherwise my experience with the Marvel family would be from... Justice League, uh, especially with um, Clash. the big fight between... Yeah. So, Mary, I had actually read of when she, uh, in 52, the weekly comic that was post-Infinite Crisis, and she put on... She was somewhat swayed to the dark side, like she wasn't kind of the wholesome Mary oh, that yeah. She put on uh, a black yes. suit, remember? Because she was kind of working with Teth Adam or Black that. Adam at the time. Um, so, I know I know a little bit more of her just of that journey, which I, I still think is an amazing weekly... Um, um, weekly series uh, but other than that and you know the backstory between them and you know wisdom of solomon etc et pr- pretty base level more so than than um starman to be sure right right so what do you guys think about this story uh and i guess i start with josh like what'd you make of this story this was fun and um they say that every i say fun but you know what i mean like I know the character of Lois Lane. I know the character, you know, like uh, the Superman world. And I was just very, very 
lost in that complicated Lois Lane story. I do not know anything about Starman, Miss Girl, and Mary Marvel. And at no point in the story was I lost. Mm-hmm. I was able to, you know, like follow it. Um, I was able to understand the stakes, you know, and um, I didn't need overly exposition about these characters and what their abilities were. It was just, you know, a nice story that even if you're not familiar with these characters, it was okay for you to follow. And it, and it makes you curious about them. Like, Oh, you know, um, you know, maybe I'll want to read more about this person. And I liked, um, you know, miss girls, like the miss whole thing at the end, like I'm a villain. I lie. It's what I do. Just her whole kind of, um, yeah, she played you know, both like, both. yeah, yeah. I, I like that, you know, and then Mary Marvel's like, but I'll be complacent too. It, it was, it was a fun story in that way. What about you, Sean? Yeah, I I don't know if it was my favorite, but I think it was it was interesting following someone who was a villain instead of you know everyone else you know with the exception of the Raven. The next story, <laughs> and then you don't really know about about Secret. Um, it's sort of ambiguous who mm-hmm. she is. You know, it's a secret. If we don't want to spoil anything, yeah. But it's interesting to follow a villain and and all of that, and then it's it you kind of. She shows her hand a little bit because I think she's fighting and then all of a sudden she breaks down pretty quickly and she sort of doesn't look like that's something that, that would do that. That you're like wondering, oh, what's going on here? But Mary, I think, is such a sympathetic character that, of course, she went along with it and everything. And I think you, you can't also un- underestimate the fact that Mary is basically a child, you know. So some of the things she says at the end, I had to kind of chuckle at. Like the complicit thing, like why would a villain care if she's <laughs> complicit in a murder or not? You know, that sort of thing. But but she clearly cares and it was nice like that miss doesn't i mean whether or not it was in character or not i like that she actually doesn't end up killing him and just sort of leaves and it was also nice that she i mean it was basically a, it was a mother issue you know it, she, it was her devotion to her child that that put her to those lengths and i think we've seen that and that's certainly true to life as well i don't know if you guys noticed this but did you see that there were a couple times mary calls black hand black mask uh if you murder the black yeah. mask yeah a couple things <laughs> yeah. yeah isn't that weird i wonder if that's an actual mistake or if there. like yeah, that was in purpose she just had no idea. he was just such like a d-lister <laughs> that she's like black mask or I always ever. knew I'd see yeah. you again. No, but yeah, I think it's an is- interesting pair. I wonder if they put Mary in there to make someone that was more accessible than you know people who may not know Miss. Because otherwise, like Miss, I would have. I had no idea. That's why I had to write to Michael Bailey. I'm like, oh, what would you tell people about the Miss if they had no idea? But but overall, you know, not my favorite. But I, I think that, like Josh said, it was um, you were able to follow it. I think it had emotion to it and it was interesting. And there were no polar and the and the things. kid is going to grow up to become Tintin. Yeah. <laughs> oh like. boy! Um, at, at least that's what he looks like. And you notice that last page in the airport, the um the guy is wearing one of those pregnant shirts that says "baby" on it. That's weird. Why is he doing that? Baby. The- <laughs> Maybe it's pointing to his wee wee because it's like Are the you baby kidding factory. Me? <laughs> what do you think? Why was somebody? Why <laughs> well, he can't control it. <laughs> Let me have one enlarge. He, yeah. Maybe it's Iris. Got a mind of again. its own, sir. Oh wait, no, no, no. Continuity, Ooh. right? We haven't, we haven't done that. Oh, that's a weird. <laughs> uh, that, I don't know. I don't know that until just now. But um, uh, I, mean, I think that like I, I, I don't know if it was. I forget which one you said it, but like contrasting Mist with uh, who's a very sardonic. She's a very. She's an incredibly '90s bad girl with uh, Mary Marvel, um, who I love in the Brave and the Bold cartoon because I like she's how she says um. 
You know, then it, you know, oh no, there's trouble in the city. Then it's time for the magic words, and I don't mean please or thank you, because like the Mar- Captain Marvel and like the Marvel family are very like goody two shoes heroes, like more so than like most of the DC Comics characters. They're very very like sweet and innocent and ch- child friendly. So I thought that it, it made for an interesting, <laughs> until uh, DC contrast. corrupted them. <laughs> yeah, until the freaking New Fifty Two where Jeff Johns made them all horrible, uh, because you know we wanted that. I thought I thought it was it was it was a smart choice to contrast those characters. I don't think my brother actually has the power Shazam trade. He may have taken it with him, but uh, I thought this, I, I, when she popped up, I did not see that coming, and I thought, okay, this is an interesting twist. To, to like when you have characters cross over in, in DC comics or comics in general, it's good to actually think about which characters can make an interesting dynamic. And I thought that uh, these two characters, you know, not knowing much about the mist, but having her being well established in this story, this, I mean. I can tell, I can see why, why this run would be so acclaimed because this is some pretty good writing in a very short amount of time. Uh, so I thought this was a solid one. Yeah, totally. I would give it a, I would give it a 7.5. Uh, 7, 7.5 babies out of 10, I guess. I would give it, um, uh, 10 out of 10, you know, sexually confused men in a pregnant t-shirt out of. 10 out of 10. Wow. That's high bright. Wow. So equal. Or Donna Troy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest. I enjoyed this more than Wonder Woman. Really? Oh wow, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm going to give this a uh, seven and a half out of ten. Um, the same as me. <laughs> Take that, Shaq. <laughs> baby daddies. <laughs> okay, baby daddies. Well, you know, Jack. He doesn't. I asked if he found out. I think he does. He better have. Uh, okay. Well, who knows? Maybe that's what she's going to Opal anyway. City. Like this is uh, your baby, Tintin. <laughs> oh my gosh he'll be famous soon. next up is uh birds of prey ravens and uh josh this is his last his last lead in here and uh, i just wanted to give some background to these uh these people here yeah so pistolera and vicious were actually hired by penguin during gotham's great game war i.e war games oh, okay. and so together they were sent to create chaos in the city so those two people had you know were in in existence in comics history there's a war uh, coming well, War Games was after this, but they were, but they showed up again. The other thing is uh, talking about the, Cheshire. Uh, oh, Cheshire, yeah. She she gives up Leanne to to Roy. She lets Roy basically, yeah. yeah. And she, I wanted to set up the the correct thing or correct because that that comes into play here. Um, she actually saves Deathstroke's life so he could help her in stealing a nuclear weapon from Russia in an attempt to blackmail the world. And so to prove that she was not bluffing, she actually destroyed Kurak or Kurak. Oh my god! Um, I thought she did that. Reasoning that, reasoning that since Kurak was a stronghold for Muslim terrorists, the Western countries would secretly be grateful. But her plans were foiled uh, when her base came under attack and she was forced to flee. So then she creates her own group, the Ravens. So because she does mention, she kind of flashes back to Kurak. Yeah. So that sort of I see that. Holy yeah, crash. yeah, that, um, that that's yeah. hanging over the head throughout the story. Crap, and it makes I, I did not know that. That's a capital crime. Oh no, yeah, that 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 was a big because um, I never knew that. That was a big deal over in Titans because Roy still kind of had feelings for her a little bit because it was his baby mama. What is wrong? And people, oh, okay, yeah. and people were like, uh, you know, she nuked a country, right? <laughs> well, you know, she she didn't mean it. I mean, you know, like <laughs> what a pair of games. <laughs> well, they, they also referenced that Titan story up there with a uh, Hawk and Jason Todd, and I read that. Uh, uh, yeah, that's actually they color him green, but that's actually Roy Harper in the in the Arrow costume. <laughs> yeah, and they and they color Leanne like a white baby with red hair, but that's how she was in that original Titan story too. Like Leanne's race like inexplicably changed like at one point when she was a toddler. So she was once Indian. Yeah. 
But actually, yes, um, that cork thing is important because um, it means that the stakes are high because, you know, here Cheshire yeah. is after um, a neutron bomb. And the story is called Simon Says Armageddon. Um, I didn't say Simon Says. And uh, there's a framing sequence where, like, um, they got this guy who they have at gunpoint is threatening to um, activate the neutron bomb, you know, even if it means that they're all going to explode. And Cheshire, you know, kind of, you know, flashes back to how this whole adventure began, complete with all these, you know, miscolored heroes and babies. And we see, you know, her <laughs> team. She's been playing this operation for six months. So there's her. There's um Vicious. And she says Vicious is a wild card, but her lethal abilities overcome vicious. my reservations about her unpredictability. And then there's a new character who, you know, will have many great appearances for many years to come called Termina. <laughs> She's more stable. Beneath her cold exterior is a professional killer I can rely on. And yes, you can definitely rely on Termina. She'll never betray <laughs> you or anything like that. Nice. And Pistoletta, one of the world's... um keenest long-range snipers and an astounding hand with a firearm um so aside from that you know the the ladies banter at each other they show off you know some of their abilities like termina she can like touch things with her breath because she has this like like flies and she like kills them because she has this virus in her so it's you know they're advancing towards this base we get flashbacks about cork you know flashbacks about leanne harper being given up they get to the base. We see more of Termina killing people by like kissing them and doing things, uh, you know, just to kind of set up what's going on with her. When we finally sync up with the present day and they have the neutron bomb, Termina just like touches the guy. Well, he's dead now. And it's like, okay, great. You know, let's disarm and get out of here. And Termina's like, actually, no, I'm going to activate this thing because it can possibly cure my disease. And they're like, well, won't it kill you as well? She's like, yeah, but. If it does, then this disease is over and it won't spread to anyone else. And I'm willing to take that chance. Cheshire says, I guess I can respect that. But if you live, you will have made a mortal enemy out of me. So the remaining Ravens get out of there. And we see Oracle for the second time in this girl frenzy month. Um, yeah. And the most in character <laughs> that she's been, you know, she doesn't say jackpot <laughs> when it explodes. <laughs> you know, she's like black. Screw <laughs> you. <laughs> well, you know, the art, it's meant to be in the dialogue jackpot's meant to be interpreted. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm giving you double oh, fingers. No. <laughs> it's, it's interpretive, Don, you know. Uh, <laughs> when she's saying jackpot. <laughs> He's going to remember those words. So, uh,. Our one panel of articles, she's reading the radiation and, you know, uh, she's saying to Black Canary, who's off on another mission, we're going to have to look into this. So um, the Ravens get away and they're like, what does Simon stand for anyway? And they're like, I don't know. But, you know, six months Ooh. of that operation down the drain, Cheshire is going to have to find another weapon. The end for now. Mm, they will reappear. Yeah. I have two comments. <laughs> Okay. Go uh, on. One, this this is such a this is such a Chuck Dixon story. I mean, if I didn't read the uh, the credits, I mean, this this kind of screams Chuck Dixon, especially in the nineties. Um, I guess because it's based like you know the uh, the negative or the bizarre version of Birds of Prey. But also, do they ever appear again? Because I don't, I don't I've never heard of the Ravens before. Does anybody know? I'll be honest, I don't remember. I guess plus celebrity. Uh, well, I mean, at least to you know, in in war games, they certainly do. I I do believe they go against the Birds of Prey, but I I mean. I'm so far off from that reading that I can't be absolutely. It's like the it's like it's like the Justice League in, in the uh, in the Legion of Doom kind of was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, th th this was just a fun heist story. Now, when we're focusing mm -hmm. on villains, 
it's very hard to get readers like emotionally attached to them. Like, you know, with Mist, we did mm-hmm. that by stealing her baby. So like, you know, we like mm-hmm. immediately felt for her. Did you feel any like were you rooting for these girls to win? You know, these people who had nuked a country and were trying to steal another nuke. Were you rooting for them at any point? They were never honestly. They're, they're, I don't think that like any of them were done were portrayed sympathetically. But that I, at the mm-hmm. same time, I wasn't like mad at them because they these are villains, especially Cheshire. These are killers. These are you know criminals. So when they're like shooting guys in the head and doing doing, doing things, I mean, I wasn't like grr. I was. I was I mean, that is who they are. You know, if you're gonna have somebody be like that. You know, have them be like that. I guess I just never paid attention to all like the nuclear bomb panels in the comic. Now that I'm looking at it, but uh, I mean, I wasn't necessarily. <laughs> I, was, I was watching to see what was going to happen. Yeah, I think you basically have to go in thinking, well, these may be bad guys, but they're fighting off against worse bad guys, or you know, Maybe. some such thing, uh, and that that may help you. But no, I mean, you know, the only emotional moment then I, I think at all would have been with Termina and just feeling bad for her because, you know, this is her life and, you know, she would she would rather die basically because her, her body is like destroyed. She betrayed Cheshire. Or whatever. I know, but you, you got to feel bad for someone who's living like that basically. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, but no, no, I, I think it was just more like, yeah, these, you know, these girls are crazy and awesome. Yeah, they may be on the wrong side, but that's okay for this one time. I suppose because uh, this is after this, the story where she nukes the country. Um, what did you guys think about uh, her costume in this story? Cheshire. Yeah, it yeah. was. It was a. It sure was a Cheshire costume. I mean, <laughs> it wasn't I mean, her traditional she, look, but I mean, yeah, I, it's not I don't care. Her, like a dress. Um, I mean, honestly, it, it feels very much of this time because there are a lot of female characters did have. There were costumes that you felt were kind of like course corrections, like like Black Canary did. Like you, I guess it's like a lot of the costumes that female characters had that were different than their initial costumes were kind of like let's make it a bit more. For lack of a better word, feminist. Mm. It kind of looks comfortable. Like I don't know, it's like, it kind of fall asleep in that thing. It's all very baggy and pillowy or whatever. But uh, the artwork's pretty good. And I like, I like how you know they have R's in, in different places. Like she's got the headband, and I know Pistolera has like a little thing around her neck, and which I think is cool because it's kind of like the birds have like little. Symbols. I thought that was, I thought that was a, a K somewhere. It looks like a K, but I've been out. I'm looking. It looks at, like a K, but yeah, I, I could see that it's an R now. Um, it should be an R. I mean, oh, the okay, yeah, 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 uh, yeah. It's actually kind of like they're not the Cavens. What <laughs> you thinking, man? Or maybe the K Cavins. has something to do with like her. That oh, but no, everyone, oh. everyone's wearing it. Yeah, everyone's wearing it. Yeah. So there you go. So, the, so they do. Act, they, it, the Ravens isn't just like a trade dress. They actually call themselves the Ravens. I dig. Um, Correct. Vicious. Pistolera. I no, I dig uh, Pistolera's uh, hats. Oh yeah, you know, like yeah, a West, Western preacher look. <laughs> yeah, and her, yeah. And her, uh, I kind of dig tails. their costume. Yeah. That's actually that's kind of a funny costume. They reference Gunhawk, which I, I I know that guy's appeared in both Detective Comics and in Robin, also written by Chuck Dixon. Um, I don't remember seeing her, but uh, that was interesting. Mm-hmm. Now, as the um you know audience and the writers of the Suicide Squad movie um you know make clear, sometimes it's hard when you're doing a team thing to give all the characters enough time to show off their abilities and personality. Do you feel that this book uh, did a good job of that? Like, did you get a sense of who each character was? Do you all feel that they had their moments to shine? Yeah, I, I mean, Cheshire was the leader, and Cheshire has been established, so I wasn't necessarily begging for characterization. Cheshire is the leader, and she likes to party down. Right. Uh, vicious, uh, not not vicious from Cowboy Bebop, was like, was like the mean one um, because of her name, I guess, and her hair. Pistolera, I guess it's kind of the most bland one, but but you know, she didn't like uh, Vicious, and Termina was out, was very well characterized. So yeah, I mean, again, it's Chuck Dixon. He, he does characterization well. I never thought that like you know they were like dime a dozen characters. Although again, I don't remember seeing them again. <laughs> but I guess they did. It's the show. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think enough spotlight. I think more spotlight was paid to certain ones that uh, it was due. So, you know, Termina getting those moments uh, because she is going to betray them. And then uh, she's going to basically kill herself. And I think you learn more about Pistolera and Vicious through their interactions because they like bicker back and forth. So it's kind of interesting that those two would (laughs) work together at all. Uh, But it's sort of like maybe a friendly camaraderie. I don't know. But yeah, I I feel like I got a good sense of who each of uh, these women were. That's all I have to say about um, that. So out of um, 10 neutron bombs and uh, quark rebels, what would you give 10 ravens? (laughs) No, no, no. No, neutron bombs. Okay. That doesn't go off in this issue. I would give it a 7. I mean, the artwork's very solid. I've not seen this artist before. But it's like a cross between Graham Nolan and Tom Grummet. And, you know, it's your – honestly, it's your basic Chuck Dixon. Let's let's fight guys who are trying to destroy the world story with guns. But – it, you know, female characters, and I, I, I like Cheshire as a character, so like, yeah, it's solid seven. And uh, and I, I would give it. Oh, no, no, you can go. Don't forget about me. I Who would give you? it eight out of ten dead flies. Oh dear. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm gonna give it seven out of uh ten. You know, uh, neutron bombs and quark rubbles because uh, it was a it was a fun adventure story. Okay, and Babs appears. So. She and does, Babs. and she's and she's in character. Absolutely. She was good in the first story. And Relasia is mentioned. My fa- oh, don't let's not go back to <laughs> yeah, Relasia, Re- real Asia, your, the, your favorite country that always exists. That is one of my favorite. I think that's my favorite fictional country. Yeah. Okay, we only have two left people. Both of them are led by Don, and uh, I don't have to really give any introduction to this one. So I'm sure Don will let us know about it. It's Young Justice, the secret. Yes, this is the first appearance. Of the Robin Impulse Superboy trifecta, and this 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 is like the first of a couple of stories that leads into the Young Justice uh, series. It's also uh, illustrated by Todd Knock and Larry Stucker, who did the majority of the Young Justice ongoing series. And if you I can't figure it out right now, Young Justice, the comic book series, is awesome. Yeah, it's called The Secret, written by Todd DeZago of Sensational Spider-Man fame. So this this is actually kind and of he a- also wrote he also um, wrote the lead into the Young Justice series, uh, World Without Grownups. Wasn't that after this? Like, wasn't that right? Yeah, yeah, no, that, that, that was after right. this, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, I, that, actually, yeah, I should have mentioned that. Right. This is actually a, a kind of straightforward story that I, that's done a little more complicatedly than I think is warranted. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll just go to the main points. We start off with Robin under the spotlight being grittily interrogated by no one that we can see. And he says that, like, he, uh, there, he, on the news, Gotham was talking about these, uh, in Gotham, he had heard news about these military convoys, and the next night, there were people be, going to be evacuated, uh, upstate. So he got, uh, got into the Redbird and drove up there and met Superboy. And from what I gather, this is the second time he met Superboy after World's Finest 3, when they first met, fought Metallon and Poison Ivy. And I don't, is this the first time he's meeting Impulse? Does, do you know, Josh, or maybe not? I don't know. I guess, I guess after a zero hour. I mean, there's been, there's been group shots where he's been with Impulse. Like, yeah, I was, I was thinking specifically zero hour. I don't know if that's their first time meeting. I know Impulse was in Batman, uh, Impulse issue 50, but that was Batman. I couldn't say if it's their first time together or not. Okay. Well, I mean, th- this is definitely the first time the three of them were at, at like Ed and Eddie of the DC Universe. So, uh, uh, they're like, what are you doing here? And like, I saw him. <laughs> Before I saw the Kanker sisters show up in issue three. Right. <laughs> yeah. Nice. No, boys, like, I saw the news on CNN and Impulse, like, I saw it on MTV News. So at, right at that point, the DEO of Supergirl fame show up. And they give Robin the lowdown that this smoke monster that's kind of broken out of uh, their science experiments has, has, you know, broken out and is, is very terrible and dangerous and they must find her and subdue her. And they specifically call it her. 
So Robin, it, it, they've been given, because they're superheroes, they've been given a couple of hours to check out the situation. Otherwise, there will be an airstrike. So Robin tells Superboy to kind of do a recon mission. And Superboy's like, why should I do it? And he's like, dude, Impulse can't do it. This needs stealth and you can fly. So let's not argue. And that kind of sets up, you know, their dynamic uh, for a long time into, into the Young Justice uh, run. Before they come BFFs and Teen Titans, because because Robin did not like Superboy back then. Basically, they had they basically go into like upstate where all these kind of suburban areas are, and eventually throughout in the graveyard, uh, Impulse runs runs into the Smoke Monster. They grab a canister, and Impulse creates a tornado, and Superboy sends the middle tornado and sucks the monster, the Smoke Monster, in the canister. But upon further inspection, he sees the face of a little girl. Of course, I say girl. Yes, Greta. I mean, Susie. I mean, a little girl. So it's a she, secret. Actually, she she tells them, "Please let me go. Let's do what I have to say." And she was experimented on by the DEO, and they didn't like her powers, and they tortured her, and she tried to escape because she figured out that you know eventually kids who are experimented in the DEO disappear, and she pretty she pretty much knows she knows that she'll she'll die sooner or later. And so Robin and, and the others are, are saying, okay, is this right? Is she, is she saying the truth or whatever? She, this, the monster could be tricking us. But Robin didn't notice that the DEO did mention it to be a her. And she does look really scared. Uh, apparently, Seeker could have gotten out anytime she wanted, but she wanted them to believe her because she's a good guy, you see. Uh, she convinces them that she really thinks she, she, she'll die if they don't help her. So long story short, Robin uh, takes out one of his back uh, smoke capsules and uh, fakes it into the canister to where whereupon the DO says, oh, we're going to insert this uh, this this oxygen to uh, li- re- um, render it unconscious. And then the canister explodes, which is what their plan was the entire time. It's like, oh, it was a terrible tragedy. Luckily, Secret's still alive because it was it was a ruse and she flies off and wants to find out who or what she is. And they'll never see her again bum, until, bum, the, like, until two stories later. We see this, but, but like they're actually telling their uh, interrogators that I guess they they guess it was killed in the explosion. And they're all being interrogated separately, Impulse, Superboy, and Robin, but their stories match. Um, so we see that they were being interrogated by Superman, Max Mercury, The Flash, and Batman via Skype at, um, I guess, the Watchtower in, uh, it would be the Watchtower on the Moon. Because uh, I guess, it's, yes, it's around that time that would have happened. And they're going, they're going over the story, like, does this make sense, whatever? And they all come to the conclusion that this, this probably happened. We trust the boys, <laughs> they know right from wrong. Batman finishes the story by saying, I've dealt with the DEO before, I don't trust them. Their methods leave much to be desired. Ah, they're, they're probably telling the truth. And if for some reason they couldn't tell us the entire truth, I mean, we all have our little secrets, don't we? And then the place blows up at the end. Uh, <laughs> so that's, that's the end of, of Young Justice, The Secrets. Stella, have you read this before? Because I know you've read the Young Justice series. I did read this. Yeah, I, gosh, it seems like so long ago. I feel like maybe five years ago, I like burned through all of those, um, <laughs> those issues. So that was actually, I remembered once I started reading, I was like, oh, wait, I read this before. So <laughs> yes, prior to this, I did read it. I just didn't know it by, by the name. Yeah, I forget that like <laughs> Young Justice, bless you, it didn't start off as its own series. It, it had a couple of shots to kind of bleed into it. Cause it, like I said before, after this, it was World Without Grown Ups. Um, it was just, you know, kind of just setting up the trifecta of Impulse, Robin, Superboy. Cause throughout the 90s, uh, Josh was telling this, talk, telling this to me earlier. Danny O'Neill was so stingy and salty over control of the back characters that Robin did not really appear with other teen heroes often. Like, he was going to be in, like, the Dan Jurgens Teen Titans, but th- that was vetoed. Um, he met Superboy once before in World's Finest 3 when they fought Poison Ivy Metallo. I'm sure Superboy met Impulse before, but I don't necessarily know or for sure or if I have, but, um, this is definitely the third. This, this is a pretty iconic first meeting. And Secret, as we all know, who's read Young Justice, the comic, in my opinion, she's kind of the main character of that story because she's an original character and 
her story kind of you know kind of begins and ends the team and, I, and she's great i love her i love her costume i love how top knock draws her um yeah she's awesome so what do you, i mean in terms of like this being uh i guess I guess in the larger sense, the the start to the Young Justice saga. Josh, what was your take on this story? Yeah, at the time this came out, it, it reminded me of kind of how the Teen Titans started, where they had a feature in Brave and the Bold, but they weren't called like the t- they weren't like in the Teen Titans at the, the time. Ones, it was yeah. just like, right. It was just like you know the three of these characters teaming up, and then like there was another story where they were with Wonder Girl, and then like eventually they became the Teen Titans, and I felt like. DC was kind of purposely trying to emulate that by like, you know, here's them teaming up when they're not called Young Justice and anything but the title. And then here's their origin story about becoming Young Justice. And here's their series. And I, I read this when it first came out. It's it's a good story. It's funny because in the last like month, I've been living, breathing and like sleeping Young Justice because one of the kids that I work with, um, he's really big into like the CW like Arrowverse show. So he's been wanting to like get into DC Comics and Young Justice has been like... Aww how like you know his like gateway because it's like very young reader friendly Mm -hmm. and we've read like maybe six young justice issues like every night the last few weeks or so and uh we're almost up to the end now so (laughs) it's just like oh yeah i'm reading this like yeah like secrets about to like turn evil with dark side and like the part that we're on we're we're, we're nearing the end but but you know i I love how her story like eventually ends and everything and and we've only seen her like once since and like jeff john's teen titans for like five seconds she also had an interesting appearance in the injustice cartoon which was that episode was written by peter david her her and her brother harm uh, they were they were different, yeah. but they were they were. I never thought I'd live to see the day where she was in an animated show. But um, Stella, what did you think about the interaction between Robin, Impulse, and Superboy in this? I think it's to be expected because they don't necessarily have that team like set yet. I think they have an interesting dynamic, and it points to what their future is going to be like. But it's more like we're working together because we kind of have to right now. We're not necessarily on a team. You've got the the bickering and the back and forth, kind of like what we had with the Ravens, but it's humorous. You know, it's not like anyone's being insulted. And I think Superboy is always like a pretty salty character anyways, and always is very like egotistical and feels (laughs) like he's the best of everybody. So it's all very true to uh, character and everything. And, you know, Robin taking on leadership, even though he's not really been asked to be a leader or anything, and and Impulse having the wittiness. So I, I think, you know, there are more individuals in this particular issue, but in the end, I think they come together Together, but I think they have a lot of work to do, which is as it should be with you know the beginning of, of this particular squad. Yeah, um, I mean, I mean, I miss these versions of the characters because because they were like these for a long because like Dimples and Superboy had been around for a long time. This is near the end of the nineties, and they had not changed. These characters have not changed. They don't really change until I guess two thousand three when Impulse becomes Kid Flash and Superboy wears a T shirt. Um, well, aging. Superboy, Superboy did change before two thousand and three. He um. He, he, he did, but he was a lot more solid after, later, later on, I think. He got, he got rid of the jacket after Tana died. He, um, he got rid of his, like, I can't age thing, cause he had this, like, genetic disease where, like, he couldn't age for a little while. Peter like, Pan. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, Superboy's, yeah, I mean, Superboy went through a lot of changes before his title ended. Um, Dan DiDio wrote, like, the last, like, ten issues of that series with Jimmy Palmiotti. It was bad. Oh, his original series, or, like, his, uh, Adventures of Superboy? His, his original series. He became the super of a building. Get it? Because he's the super. Nice. Like the PJ, like the PJs. <laughs> Eddie Murphy and the claymation. Yeah, project. yeah. I mean, wow, wow. 
<laughs> Deep cut. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I haven't thought about that in like forever. <laughs> PJs, like projects. There's a chance that like I wouldn't have remembered the PJs till like the day I died again. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, it's upon a time in the projects. <laughs> Cardboard condo, homeboy in a homemade bungalow. In the middle of the end of the Okay, but um, she is almost a means to an end in terms of the plot. Uh, we you know we got a lot more secret in the series proper. Um, I mean, yeah. do you want to give any thoughts about her in this and uh, her origin story here? Sort, of, I guess her sort of origin story. I mean, like you said, she's a means to an end, and you know, you see the whole thing where she pretends that she can't get out because she, um, you know, wants them to trust her. But otherwise, we we don't get that much of a sense of who she is. But that's okay because this is just a one shot, and it's more about you know the story, you know what you can do in like a 20 page story and also, getting the boys to work together and giving them a reason to lie to their mentors. Also, I just, I just realized this is girl frenzy. She's the reason why this is a girl frenzy issue. Cause otherwise it's just, you know, the three boys. But, um, I mean, I love, yeah. I love the secret character. I like, cause like she's implied to be just a little bit younger than them. I'm not sure how much, but like, like she, she's drawn the same age, but she, I think it's the that secret is character. So... It's, it's not very well established, I think generally that, that that's weird because the kid who i've been reading this with like he was saying that like secret acts like she's like much younger than them like throughout a lot of the series like she'll go all demonic and everything like i'll throw you into the abyss but then she'll like she just has this like weird like childlike nature like despite all the stuff that she's been through a lot you get the feeling like, that like if like the, if like wonder girl and robin and the others and arrowhead are like 14 or 15 Secret's like 13 or whatever, even though she does look just like them. And there's no, it's not like the runaways where there's a clear delineation of the characters' ages. Um, and that might yeah. just be a good to talk Nox artwork, but I don't know. Yeah. So overall, what did you guys, uh, what would you guys rate it out of 10 smoke capsules? Smoke capsules. Oh uh, well, I guess you know. Before I, I'll, I'll go first. I, I would like to say that I liked that it, it had a different tone. I think than all the other one shots. I think it was a lighter and happier tone. And I think with some of them, um, we kind of needed something to, to do that. And I mean, it's not like we always have to have something that's light and we can't have seriousness. But I like that this was a lighter tone. Mm-hmm. And I liked how the actual action doesn't match up with what the characters are narrating. So, like, there's one point. I mean, it does most of the time. But, like, one point, Superboy's like, and it was my idea. But then you see Robin telling him to, like, do something. Uh, so, clearly, it wasn't his idea. So, that's sort of uh, fun about it. I think it, you know, it is the origin of Secret. But it's just, a, it's a little disappointing that, you know, to a certain extent, it's not really about her. It right. is at the very end. But it's more like a team building exercise. And then, um, how are these kids relating to the justice league or you know what is this all about uh but overall i really liked this uh i highly recommend the whole series kind of hard to find these days to be honest Mm -hmm. but if you have a good friend they will buy you she will buy you uh the last issues that you may need very good (laughs) so i'm gonna give this a 9.5 out of 10 smoke capsules oh josh yeah this is probably you know um an eight and a half out of 10 smoke capsules for me you know, I enjoyed the issue. I felt like it could have been more than what it was, but, you know, that's okay. And it's probably because I've read so much of what Kim comes afterwards. So, like, to me, like, Young Justice, I expect, like, a higher quality. Not that this was low quality. It's, it's like a pilot. You know I mean? 
yeah, like yeah, this is very much like like a pilot, like you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I, I dug this. Um, I would have liked, um, and they got all the character interactions down, you know, just right, and and the humor that we is later a staple of the series with like you know, Impulse doing his thing and Robin and Superboy bickering. Yeah, I think I'll split the middle and give it a nine. I think that, like, when I was reading the game, it's a little too, not convoluted, but there's a lot more like, you know, okay, you guys go here, we'll go here, we'll go here. And it's a very straightforward story. I don't think, I don't think we need to see Tim's plans so intricately, because ultimately it didn't necessarily matter in the, in the, in the end game. You just, you find her, you fight her, you free her. So I kind of, I think I kind of held it out, held it back a bit. But yeah, the characterizations totally make this story, as did this, this series itself. Um, I really like mm-hmm. the interaction between the three uh, main DC heroes of the 90s. And, I, you know, I just like the secret character a lot. She's, I think she has one of my favorite characters. Um, so I will give it a nine. It is a big deal that they're um, keeping this a secret from their mentors, too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also like that 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 uh, edge to it where you did have, like, the mentors of – um, like, basically, right. like, like except for Robin, like, the other ones who are not – because Impulse and Superboy aren't sidekicks, although you think they might be. But it's cool seeing, like, kind of like the, the parents and, like, the kids interact in that way. Right. Well, and, and the parents don't find out until um, Sins of the Youth that, like, yeah, they lied about Secret. <laughs> when I explicitly told you not to. <laughs> okay, well, that brings us to our last Girl Frenzy issue, and then we'll have some, I have some overall questions asked about the series. And that's JLA Tomorrow Woman. Uh, and I'm sure Don may add some stuff here, but Tomorrow Woman was created by Grant Morrison in the main title, Justice League of JLA. Uh, really just in issue five. She has a short-lived life, I guess I can say. Oh, she was created jointly by Professor Ivo and Professor T.O. Morrow to destroy the newly formed JLA at a specified moment. Won't really go into details about that. And I also want to note that if you're reading this and you're wondering why Professor Ivo looks like Mr. Hyde, I kind of had to do research because mm-hmm. he looked horrible. Apparently, he discovered an immortality potion and he drank it, but this ended up making his skin turn scaly and he became horribly disfigured. And of course, he blamed the JLA. So if you're kind of wondering what's going on there. So take it away, Don. Yeah, actually, I, I was reading um, the Legends tie-in with Justice League of America. Actually, in the last versions of that original series, and he gets revenge on the Justice League. And he's in the middle of kind of like, you know, transforming. So I recently learned yeah. about that part. So it was kind of serendipitous. I'm gonna try to get through this. <laughs> only because only it's a little much. Basically, there was this thing in this in this in the atmosphere, space, 70 years ago that uh, shot a probe to Earth. 10 years ago, from 1998, the probe arrived on Earth, and at that moment, all of the babies on Earth that were being born, like the newborns, started to glow, and they were born nine months later, perfectly healthy. Uh, I, I guess you know when they were in the rooms of their moms. But ten, when when those kids became ten years old, they started getting violent and murderous. So we cut to the Justice League of America, aka the JLA, as was the title of the comic, um, where we see Electric Blue Superman, Martian Manhunter, Wonder Woman, and Tomorrow Woman, who's kind of like, wah, wah, wah. Has a Ginchy costume herself. And they're basically saving the day. But little do the Justice League know that Tomorrow Woman is actually, as we mentioned before, an implant from old enemies Professor Ivo and Professor Morrow to destroy the League. So she's a bio-android or some such thing. Mm. Which is kind of sad because like, like, throughout both this and this – because this actually takes place – like that plan happens um, initially in JLA 5. And it's kind of sad because like the League really likes her. Like you sure are a cool character and like you know she's meant to kill them. Uh, unbeknownst to those characters, everybody, there is this alien thing straight out of the 90s. Kind of looks like something out of Men in Black called – his name is Taint. Okay. And I guess he's he's observing the oh, yeah, no. No. <laughs> You're showing your hand. 
Uh, am I? I guess he's observ- <laughs> observing the children and laughing maniacally. <laughs> um, that all is going to plan. Tomorrow Woman, she's quasi sentient. I mean, she obviously she's kind of roboticized, but she's starting to like really enjoy her time in the league. She's interacting with the Jean Jeans. Uh, she has telepathic powers of some kind. And when she and Jean are investigating these killer children, she is helping using her telepathic powers to basically, uh, you know, sort of like Raven's empath powers, get into their feelings and into their head and send the bad thoughts away. And the more she's doing that, the more the more grateful people are. She feels really bad, you guys. So as she's flying with Jean and she's like giving her a, a Martian pat on the back. She um, feels bad, goes back to her masters and says, I, I can't stand this. I can't stand being praised and being a hero. Can I kill them now? And they're like, no, we'll tell you when you need to kill them. But until then, shut up. So um, as the JLA are continuing to thwart Taint's plans, uh, she can't take it. And as a, <laughs> it's a little confusing. Like, they, they, she and uh, GL fight Taint and the, the psychic feedback with the children and her powers and her psychic, uh, cybernetic abilities kind of have her feeling, I mean, she's kind of, you know, she's kind of upset and emotional, but they're saying, oh, that's just because of this guy's telepathic powers. We know you're not really an angry person. So they say to, to save the world, you link telepathic minds with both John and Aquaman because he can talk to fish and stuff telepathically. And through Superman's mastery of, uh, energy, we will focus this, these good vibes all across the planet and cure all the children. So the JLA continued to pat her on the back saying, we sure do love you tomorrow, woman. Um, you'll never betray us. And so she kind of, you know, has a, has a long droopy dog face and feels bad for it. And she has a vision of JLA 5 where she sacrifices her, her life to save the, the league. Spoilers. Returns to her masters and they kind of comment upon, you know, how you're just a machine. You know, let's, let's, let's junk her if you, if you, if you malfunction and. It's kind of a sad story because, you know, she's a really a hero at heart, but, you know, the masters don't see mm. it that way. And it kind of ends that way, uh, with the, with the, with the dialogue, uh, don't come back till it's time to show the world how worthless you really are. And the, and the background is like, you know, thank you, Tomorrow Woman. So that is pretty much the end of the Girl Frenzy Tomorrow Woman one shot. So have either of you read the original Grant Morrison 1997 JLA comic book or or can you remember if you have or not? Or do you remember this team at all? Do you have any memories of this team? Or are you aware of this team? What's your familiarity with uh, this version of the JLA? With like Electric Blue Superman and Kyle Rayner and that kind of stuff? I mean, I remember this team when they were like the thing. Like I didn't read a lot of them, but I read like various issues of it. And I remember like this was like the book. You would see these characters appear in like other crossovers and stuff like JLA Titans. And mm-hmm. um, and I remember when they added like all the new members, like because they had like the big seven. And then when they added like Huntress and everyone else on them. And uh, I'm like very nostalgic, like reading this book, because I remember when it was this team. And I remember when Superman, I'm sorry, I love when I see that blue costume. Like, yeah, I wouldn't me want too. Him to have it. I wouldn't want him to have it now, probably, but I was like, oh, yes, the 90s, Superman's blue suit. Give it to me. Absolutely. <laughs> so good. <laughs> um, uh, Stella, do you have any familiarity with this? Because shortly after None this. None whatsoever. Shortly after this, they added, like Josh said, Huntress, Steel, Green Arrow, Co- Connor Hawk, and. Uh, uh, Orion and Oracle. Oracle was on the league around this time. Um, so I don't know if you ever read any of those issues where she was on there, but yeah, that, that, like, like, I mean, like, however popular Scott Snyder's Batman is now, like, that was Justice League of America by Grant Morrison back then. And it's funny because, like, like the first four issues of that of that new series, like, reestablish the league. And issue five, they're they're you know they're scouting for new members. Like, you know, we you know we want more women, we want more characters like this. So they look you know look after Hitman and Max Mercury and all those kind of guys. And to, like, as we said, Tomorrow Woman is kind of you know kind of a diabolical plan against them, but she 
she knows she likes being a hero. She sacrifices herself and saves the day. Did you find her story, Stella, uh, sympathetic or engaging? I did. It, well, it's interesting because of how much I guess caring or you know, love or like fond feelings takes time. Because at the the very beginning, she comes back and she's like, "Can I please kill them now?" And then you start to see all this, and I think surely it's part of it. You know, the effect of her helping out is like changing her. But also, I was really struck by her inability to say the word free. And I know that it was certainly something of like a program that was just not put in there because um, Maro and Ivo didn't want her to understand what that thing meant. But, uh, you know, at, at a deeper level, uh, none of us really are free. We're sort of a slave to something. Mm. And so I thought that that was uh, anyways that that, you know, is something I'm getting out of it. But but I enjoyed it. And it's a bummer that, you know, in the end, it doesn't turn out well for her. So this is really this. And then JLA five is really where she gets to shine or time to shine it. I know she does reappear later on uh, in DC Comics history, but I I enjoyed it for, you know, not knowing any, having any reference point with this or not knowing who she was. I thought it was a pretty interesting uh, story, you know, mostly about her really Mm -hmm. the the villain. I was like, eh, you know, it didn't really matter, but it was what she was doing that counted. What did you you think about uh, Tomorrow Woman in this story, Josh? It was interesting. Um, I... Now, I didn't read JLA Five. Does the team know she's an android, or do they think she's just a superpowered human? No, I re- I reread this uh, earlier today. They straight up think like she's a, she's a normal person who has like telepathic powers and okay. is flight okay. super strength. Like they they have no idea what's going on the entire time. I am surprised that like even people like Batman are like, oh, she's okay with my like. There's no vetting process for like the friggin' Justice League. But well, I mean, they, they, they had auditions, and then she passed the audition. But more than audition, you gotta vet these people, come on. But I mean, of the new characters who, like, I read, like, for this podcast that, like, I did not know about, she was one that was, like, particularly interesting to me. And, and I was like, oh, it's the old Tara Markov plot again. It's complete with, like, you know, the, 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 the cameras, like, and the villains watching. I was like, man, super teams are stupid. They fall for this every single time. But, uh, <laughs> whatever they do, they fall for a hook, line, and sinker. <laughs> I know, but um, no, I dug, and I, I like when um, you know, she psychically linked with everyone. Then the villains found out. They're like, "What? You psychically <laughs> link with them? <laughs> you idiots!" For some reason, whenever like I re- I hear her voice, like talking to like her masters in the Justice League, like I imagine like Sally from Nightmare Before Christmas, like this whole like naive like you know science experiment thing. I guess I guess it's a pretty simple one and done. Some of these were longer than others, I think. And I think this was almost like a short story. It felt like, even though I guess it's not that short. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's honestly, that's all. It's, it's pretty straightforward. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Uh, I am ready to grade. So, Stella, out of ten, out of ten killer children, oh what would you give Girl Frenzy Tomorrow Woman? I think maybe a seven point five. And Joshua. Yeah, I think I'd give it um a six and a half or a seven, you know, out of like this this really intrigued me. I mean, it wasn't the best story though, but the character, you know, really intrigued me. I was really disturbed when that little girl almost like stabbed her adopted baby. Yeah. I mean, I would have just looked at that dead baby and said jackpot or something. Yeah, I'll give it a seven. I think, I think, it, was, I think it was a solid story. What was that? <laughs> That's how he's going to react to that now. I'm, I'm, I'm guffawing towards your reference to, you know, simple conversation and discussion. You guys are going to, you know, hate on my opposite opinion here. I do not put me in the same league as him. Give me a break. I've not done that. How dare you? <laughs> you were really yelling. <laughs> um, 
Uh, yeah, because you say you guys. I will own up to things when I do it. Do I play a part in the foot fetish? Absolutely. Did I have any part in this? No. He's you gave my guy. phone Not to Kristen to do that on my Facebook. I'm pretty sure that was you. Maybe, maybe Josh. I'll give it a 7 out of 10, too, as well. I, I thought it was it was keen. <laughs> okay. We're still friends. Well, don't. Um, I have a couple questions, <laughs> if they ever, uh, about <laughs> this overall. First of all, do you think that this was a worthwhile event? Yeah, it was, it was, it was like one-shots for characters that you either liked or would like to see. Um, I, I, I mean, I don't know if 195 back then was expensive or not. I don't, it doesn't seem the way now. So it's not necessarily an event. I mean, when you say event, I think of like crossovers and sagas and stuff. And like, I mean, th- I mean, these are harmless one shots that don't necessarily take up any continuity. They're, they're kind of plugged, I guess, for, except for the Batgirl. They're kind of plugged inside of certain storylines. You know, we got Young Justice out of this. So I, I mean, I, I can't see any downside to this at all. And there's also, you know, female characters, which is always great. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this was, you know, a fifth week event and it's done because, you know, uh, you, you know, the story behind those where like, you know. When you have a month where, like, there's five Wednesdays and it falls on when there's no book ship to, you know, schedule to ship, you know, that is a problem. So you need to have some sort of an income in there. There was even a Peter David book that, like, joked about it. It seems like these type of events happen every fifth week or so. That was during uh, Sins of the Youth. So I really like the covers. I, I think the covers are cool. Yeah. Well, I remember what I remember when this happened, you know, like I checked out the books that were like, you know, the characters that I liked. Like if DC did something like this now, I might get a few of them if they were characters, you know, who I gave a few licks about who didn't have their own. Because it's also a good way to spotlight characters who don't have their own like series, you know, like Donna Troy like didn't Lois have Lane. her own book. Lois Lane didn't have her own book. So, yeah, it's worthwhile. Yeah, and I think it's certainly more successful than some of the stuff that they were doing in 52, like then, like the arc breakout and, and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, I think maybe that these were more well thought through than other ones that we've seen. And like you said, we get to learn more about specific characters. And for us that aren't casual comic readers, we got to learn about characters that we don't normally read, which I, I thought was great. This event was female character based, but did you think it was actually female led? Uh, and I ask that because it seems like the majority of issues the women were actually influenced by or manipulated by men. But do you think overall that it, it was successful and true to having these female characters be the lead? I mean, having men be important in the plot is kind of the nature of comic book stories because comic book stories are, you know, a male-dominated industry anyway. So it's kind of like the devil you deal with. I'll go, as I'm looking at the cover, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go comic by comic. I think, in my opinion, you know, Batgirl, it was a very kind of like, like intimate story with Batgirl, so I, I thought so. Donna Troy, absolutely, absolutely with Donna Troy. Lois Lane, I guess pretty much. There's a lot of characters, but, you know. And The Mist, I think The Mist outsmarted everybody, so I would say yes on that one. The Ravens, they killed all the men, so I guess so. I will say the secret one is mainly Robin, Impulse, and Superboy, and she kind of just skates by the girlfriends and thing because she's almost not a – I don't want to say she's not a character, but – She's not the one whose characterization that you leave with with that one. So I will put a question mark over that one. I still like to, but you know, in terms of like the strict definition of it, I, I think that's, that's up for debate. And Tomorrow Woman, I think it gave insight to a female character that you didn't get before. So I would say, except for the Young Justice secret one, I would say yes to all of them. Stella, do you know what the uh, Bechdel test is? <laughs> I have heard of it, and I know by whom it's based. Uh, on whom it's based, but you have to refresh my memory. Okay, it's um, you give it to a story, and it's um, it asks the question: Does this work of fiction feature a scene where two women are talking to each other about something other than a man? 
So, like, mm, if you have a, okay. an issue of Betty and Veronica talking to each other, it doesn't pass the Bechtel test if they're talking about Archie. But it passes the Bechtel test if they're talking about homework or community service or something. So, of these books, Troya might pass possibly pass the Bechtel test, depending on if that homeless person's a woman or a man. And she, but she does talk about Terry. But you have to you have to talk to somebody else. You it has to be two women talking to each other about okay, something okay. other than a man yeah. at one point. Okay. So if that's a homeless woman at the end, it passes the Bechtel test. Batgirl did not pass the Bechtel uh, test. She was Actually, the only woman well, maybe because you know. Um, oh, the funeral. She, yeah, at the funeral, she says, you know, when she's talking to the mom. I mean, honestly, Batgirl is driven by like her desire to please Batman in that story. So you know that that say. Did you say what? I disagree. He disagrees. Okay, so jackpot then. Um, <laughs> Lois. <laughs> <laughs> Lois Lois Lane. Um <laughs> I don't <laughs> That's just gonna be it's like not even a touche. That's just like your response. Yahtzee! He says something, Jackpot. I mean, yeah, that's yeah. it. Okay, can Yeah, Lois, Lois Lane, Lane Bechtel test missed. Let me see. When she's talking to Mary Marvel, I mean she says they have my son, but otherwise, you know, they're before that. Well, I mean, I, I think that like we don't want to be too strict on 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 the what how the Bechtel test operates because it's like this is these are still stories about women. It's not yeah. about a story that features women that you know where they're always concerned about things. So I, think, so I don't want I don't want you to like you know put too strict restrictive because I think we might get confused. It's it's but it's not my restriction. It's the test restriction. Eh, but I, I don't know if you're applying it. The, I don't. I don't. I'm not in the mood to argue necessarily, but like I, I mean, mean it, it's it's a very straightforward test. Oh yeah, it is. It is, and I, I'm not saying it's, it's not worth doing, but I think that like, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we're say, saying that the mist isn't feminist because it doesn't pass the Bechtel test because she's dealing. I didn't with the say it's not feminist. Black, black I, I I just said, does it pass the Bechtel test or not? You know, that doesn't mean it's not. But feminist. that's that's the kind of reason why you put the test out there in the first place. I think it's or, just or, a fun exercise do. for a girl frenzy event. Uh, Ravens <laughs> passes the Bechtel test. Oh yeah. Uh, Young Justice does not. In fact, I don't even think that there's any other females in the story aside from Secret. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah. So let's see. And then Tomorrow Woman, I don't think that it passes the Bechdel test. But no, Wonder Woman talks to her briefly, and there's like you know, like, like I guess technically her and the little girl, but it's usually Wonder Woman and all the men around. Her, kind of. <laughs> yeah. Or I check Tomorrow Woman, I should say. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, the other solution to that would be like there's that like Titans issue where it's like Raven and Starfire like skinny dipping on like Lesbian Island for like a month. <laughs> <laughs> he ain't joking, folks. <laughs> Uh, I don't know that issue. What'd you say? <laughs> he ain't joking. No, that, that's an actual issue. It Absolutely. was like, Starfire, I want to steal your boyfriend. You can't, but we can skinny dip and have naked adventures. <laughs> For I'm days on end. <laughs> okay. Um, I wonder if Tom's right back. Um, moving on from that, I will say, you know, I, I think it was successful that it was female-led um, and it's focusing on these characters. I was just a little bit bummed out that, to a certain extent, some of them are either reliant on upon men. I mean, you know, Batgirl, it's like, I need to prove myself or I need to um, get this job done uh, before Batman. So I'm like, oh, that's a little iffy. Why can't you just get it done, you know, to save people? Lois Lane, you know, you have to have, I guess, the, the Superman thing, but at least she does go off. I think it, you know, it would have changed had he come back and, and rescued her. Mist, she's manipulated by a man. Young Justice, you just have basically the three guys and then, wait, sorry, Secret, 
Yeah, I said Young yeah, Justice. Uh, you basically have, you know, the three. Uh, Tomorrow Woman, I, I don't know if you could, well, she's being manipulated by the two people who created her, which is a bit of a, um unfortunate thing there. Uh, so it's just like, could you have done it without the men? I don't know. And I see where Donovan is coming from. I just wish, like, they legitimately could have could have been um on their own, kind of. And I, I feel like Ravens almost was the most successful with this because it's just that they're going up against men. They're not forced, like, they're not on a mission and they're handlers as a man it's just them and it's against these other bad guys that they're fighting but that's just me uh, my last question and then we're we're moving on we're taking a break what was your favorite and your least favorite of this girl frenzy event i feel that like young justice is almost an automatic answer because it, it this you know whatever the story was it had major positive ramifications and it was a fun story on its own donna troy one was was pro- i think donna troy one was probably the best in terms of its craft I like the Batgirl story. So it's a toss-up between like Donna Troy and Young Justice. And I think as a one-shot, I'll go with Donna Troy. But Young Justice, had, was, I think, is more important than that story. I have the most emotional attachment to the Young Justice one. But I think my favorite one that I read was probably the missed one. Okay. Mm, that's interesting. I think Young Justice was my favorite. And then least favorite-wise, it may have been... Lois Lane, just because it was super weird. I think that might have been that. my least favorite. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was Lois gonna say Lane just, was weird. Just, just one last thing. <laughs> and though. the only one written by a woman. Yeah. <laughs> Our friend Barbara Kiesel. Uh, just, just one last thing. I mean, kind of going back to the battle test real quick. I mean, I think that like a way to kind of, in my opinion, a, one, a way in which kind of it fails is, as, in a way that kind of shows it to be not greatly feminist was that Birds of Prey shot where like they're chasing after that one guy, Catwoman, Huntress, and uh, Dinah. Because that was that was, that was totally like kind of like playing at the, at the female ego. Whereas mm-hmm. these, if they involved men, I don't think it was at the expense of the women's ego necessarily. I mean, I, I think that the Miss is actually a pretty feminist story. So uh, that's just kind of my comment on that. Gotcha. Anything else on this one? I uh, know it was a okay. girl frenzy. Ready to move on wow. to modern stuff. Where's boy frenzy DC? You know, anti-meminist nice. much? Well, they had the Villains Month previous. I, I'm, to I'm, I'm, I like how you took that seriously. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Don't worry. We kind of have every to. Every month when is he does boy something. frenzy month at DC. Are you kidding me? Like, wow. <laughs> that's like the people who uh, say so like, gonna, we're, never mind. <laughs> okay, uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we're gonna review Batgirl and the Birds of Prey number four and Batgirl fifty-seven slash five. But first, Zias's Radio Hour featuring a moment like this by Kelly Clarkson. What if I told you it was all meant to be? Would you believe me? Would you Tell you love has come here and now A moment like this Some people wait a lifetime For a moment like this Some people search forever For that one special kiss Oh, I can't believe it's happening to me Some people Like this 
I love how you do that with Batgirl 56. It's just, it's, it's just sarcastic. And I actually got to remember. In a moment like this, some people wait a lifetime for a moment like this. Okay, thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Isn't that a gospel song? Where's Simon when you need him? Uh, is it a gospel song? For, for no. is, that's what she's saying when she won American Idol. Uh, that okay. was like her first single. When she won American yeah. Idol, do you think that um, that was a big break for her? Is that a rhetorical question? What What do you think? think so? Like, if you could sum up oh what her thoughts uh-huh. were in one word, what would you What would you think her thoughts? I mean, was this is one long, long <laughs> way to just insult me. <laughs> do you think she said jackpot? jackpot. Oh, yes. Well, you said it. Not <laughs> I didn't connect it until you said something. No, I can tell you what his ass was talking. I was going to say spectacular, or miraculous, but then jackpot. John just took it to another yeah. arena. Jackpot's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say jackpot when that? I see something awesome, like, you know, <laughs> like winning the multi-million dollar award show. I don't say jackpot when I see the body of a decapitated girl. <laughs> I didn't write the comment. I don't think she was decapitated, oh. but I get your meaning. <laughs> oh, man. Well, well when she said, said jackpot, jackpot that was that, that was supposed to be hand? interpretive. Like, yeah. you know, like. <laughs> Is that really like, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your life? <laughs> You bastard. Oh, no. <laughs> I hope you guys are friends after this. That's all I have to say. For once, I'm not involved. Okay, well, we're back. Uh, we're going to review uh, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey number four first. Uh, and I'm in charge of both of these issues in case you... Uh, we, we're all even. We all had three issues. Uh, this is Who is Oracle Waiting for This Moment. Writers Julie Benson and Shauna Benson. Artists Rohe Antonio and colorist Alan Pasalacqua. 
In narrative form, Helena tells us the history of mafia in Italy, that they started as vigilantes but grew sick with power, and how her family, the Bertinellis, were one of the first of these and partnered with the Casamento family. Both families ended up moving to Gotham in the 1930s and continued their partnership for a while until the relationship soured, and Frank, Helena's father, thought that the Casamentos had his father, so her grandfather, killed. We learn that Santo, this guy that was kidnapped and they were trying to get and she's trying to kill, Santo is a member of the Casamento family. So there's the connection. Helena goes to where Santo is being held and doesn't regret getting rid of Batgirl and Black Canary when the three serpents attack and Santo and Finice, or Finice, we still don't know how to pronounce that, flee. The timely arrival of Black Bat, ooh, of Batgirl and Black Canary. I got really excited Save for a Huntress second. For Black Girl? No, Black Bats. <laughs> Oh, black bat. Well, I said black girl. Uh, <laughs> we just found out something. Josh has jungle fever. Um, <laughs> no, <anywho>. black bat <laughs> was Cassandra Kane. That's why I was excited. Is Don still on the call? He's probably yeah, on mute muted for your, for your recap. Oh, okay, because you would have yelled at me normally. Okay. I was. I was Ooh, time we... <laughs> what do you mean, black time... girl? <laughs> I don't know like that. <laughs> Okay, so the timely arrival of Batgirl and Black Canary save Huntress and rout the enemies. Batgirl drops Huntress's real name and tries to get her to come back with them. While there is some suspense as to whether she's going to return, she ends up coming with her mask off. Batgirl is able to decrypt a lot of the files that they got, most of them being old newspaper clippings and photos, but there were also a lot of files on Helena. Helena then tells us of the night her family was killed by Santo and her last memory of them being connected to her mother's special or jackpot spaghetti. Possibly still in danger from the Casamentos, Helena, young Helena, is sent back to Sicily to live with her aunt and uncle. The latter teaches her archery and fighting in order to help her move on. Little did he know she had other ideas. The birds are back, and they move towards the abandoned Gotham Towers, where the source, a.k.a. Oracle, should be. Batgirl throws an EMP battering to shut down power to the building, and they make their way to the 30th floor, which shows the most power usage. When the power returns, they are attacked by robots that are designed to look like Catwoman, Penguin, and the Joker. They make it through and open the door to find no one. There is a bit of a shrine to Batgirl, though, with suits and cases. However, that person found or was able to get those suits and all. So it's very much like uh, an Arnold and uh, Helga situation. Uh, so clearly, Oracle is Batgirl's biggest fan. And next up, we have A Tale of Two Oracles. Da, da, da. Indeed. So I guess we'll start at the end. Now, there was a bit of a lie, I think, um, because, and I even on Batgirl, or on the Batman Universe, I brought this up because we were told in the solicits that we were supposed to find out who Oracle was in this issue, mm -hmm. but that didn't necessarily happen. But I wondered if you had any guesses once we get closer, because we're getting little, we're getting more clues um, as to who Oracle could be. And I'm going to put it out now that I think it actually is Noah Cutler, uh, the calculator, because he in the past has made robot duplicates of himself. He has the tech know-how and he has a history with Babs, so I feel like it's a good fit. But do either of you have an idea or a thought of who this villainous Oracle could be? I guess that's the best, best that's as good a guess as any, because the Bensons are big fans of the previous Birds of Prey stories, and... The calculator up right until the new fifty-two kind of set him up, set himself up as anti-oracle, and they would mm -hmm. they would not introduce a new character because that would just that would just not be a very good end to the mystery. Yeah. So I think that that's probably a 
good as guesses. I think it's, it's a better guess than Velvet Tiger or Frankie. <laughs> I'm I'm just thrown by the whole like they're a Barbara Gordon fanboy thing, and I'm just trying to think yeah. like and like for about five seconds I thought oh Bet Kane I was like no that that doesn't work for because she doesn't idolize Barbara so like. <sighs> She idolized Wasn't there that Robin? And then I, yeah, I was like, wasn't there that boy that kind of had a thing for Barbara in the Gail Simone run? But Ricky, I mean, the one-legged man. Yeah, but he's not techno babble, and no. So I mean, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss, truth be told. It's ben Riley. <laughs> I mean, at, at, at one point I'm oh, thinking, well. you know, okay, maybe it's um, you know, James Gordon Jr., but he's not mm. computer. That would be alone. really dumb. I would hate that. Like I'm so obsessed, I'm gonna become Oracle. Like, like, oh my god, I hope that's, not, I hope that's yeah. not. Well, he's the, shown his obsession before. That's sister. right, sister. You know, I'm even, you know, more, um, you know, of an Oracle <laughs> than you are. Oh, no. I even shot myself in the spine. <laughs> that'd be oh, that'd be sick. <laughs> and then I undressed myself and took a bunch of pictures. I showed them the dad. Okay, we're going too far right now. We're What's the you know, point of that? No, no, no. You've overstepped. You've overstepped. <laughs> it wouldn't be a BTO anniversary if I didn't overstep at least once. Well, that's all you get. You only get one like in Family Guy and the Spider-Man webs. What do you think about getting to know Huntress and her connection with Santo? Is that successful in this issue? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll put, I have thoughts on that. Uh, first of all, I think that they, I feel that like they're getting weird with Helena. I mean, we talked about, I, it was mm. talking about earlier. I think they're, I mean, I don't think, I don't know if they're actually trying to do this, but she's feel like she's just kind of morphing into pre-52 Helena Bertinelli, which would be fine, but I know that she was established pretty strongly as being a definitively different character, i.e. black, <laughs> and like Grayson. And this is just like, it, she just has a tan of this. And I, I've seen this before in comics, so it, it's not, you know, like with Connor Hawk and stuff. So it's not unfamiliar with, with me, but I feel that like there would be a little bit more cognizant of that kind of thing. But if you notice, they are actively hiding what her mother looks like in this flashback. Like in mm. the, the wedding, she wears like this kind of like, you know, mask, I guess. And then, and like when her family dies, her mom has, like, has like a, veil. a shadow over her, her face and they drag her out, which to me says that she's still alive. But it's like, mm. Okay, first of all, I mean, I have to know, is she half Italian, half black or not? And if not, like, you know, what's up with her mom? Like, what is, uh, what is up with this? What do you think? Is her mom Finice? Uh, that'd be weird, <laughs> I think. Um, I'm not is, sure. Is but, her mom Oracle? That'd be even weirder. Oh, but why would she be, oh, why would she be going after? I don't know. It's, 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 there's something going Oracle, on with this. Though, and, not and, and, I, and I'm wondering where it is. Here's the thing, like... When you do a characters with like you know like, like my family is our is slash are dead and I've trained all these years to get revenge, don't do it in like a flashback in one issue because that to me gives me nothing emotional to work on. It's like that's just the information. And she never mentioned of, this once in Grayson's. Like this is like I've been training for this for years. Yeah, it's it's, it's like you know you can tell me that, but like <laughs> I, I don't necessarily feel it now. Obviously, Huntress always post crisis Huntress always had this origin story more or less, but. I didn't read her original series that came out like the late eighties, but I know that like her mafia background and her vengeance was played up with a lot more consistently as part of her character. And for mm. this version of the Huntress, kind of, you know, all of a sudden she becomes that version. It doesn't work for me. I'm not saying it's bad, but like, I don't feel it. I don't feel that like, you know, her staring at the mountain with the sun, you know, I, I, no matter what you call me, I burn. That feels very shallow. And on some levels, it's not the Benson's fault because they're trying, they're just trying to, to do right by the character. But I feel it's just a little too small of an info dump for me to care about her origin story and to feel her anchor in this modern story. Um, would you agree or disagree? 
I'm still kind of having a hard time accepting her as Helena Bertinelli just because, you know, that's the, the, that's, you know, me fanboy, you know, like pre, you know, Flashpoint, you know, Helena. And even though she's kind of morphing into that one, it's just like I can't forget that, like, you know, they're not the same. Although Rebirth has kind of been like, you know, bringing some of that stuff back with that one shot that like, you know, these characters do still exist and they're out there with changes. So maybe she is, you know, pre Flashpoint Helena just morphed or something. But yeah. Right. I mean, and, and that's my own handicap. That That's nothing against the story itself. That, that You know, that's what the story's working with. Yeah, I, I'm not as taken with her as I am with pre-Flashpoint Helena. So I think you and I agree with that, Don. I just feel like she had so many layers over there. Uh, you know, you couldn't really put your finger on, <laughs> you know, is she a good guy or is she a bad guy? You know, she's a teacher. She's doing all this stuff. Should Batman trust her? Oh, uh, she's a killer. <laughs> uh, uh, but here. People joking uh, you know, about I her being to... a teacher constantly. Well, you know. But here it's hard because I read Grayson. I really like Grayson. And, you know, you have her as matron. And then I feel like you're t- trying to take that idea of Helena and shoehorn her in to Huntress. And I feel like it was just a, it was just a different character. And it would have been easier to come up with, like, a new character that became Huntress and just wasn't Helena Bertinality. And, and I think that that was just, unfortunately, what the Bensons were given. Uh, Helena was already in continuity. She was already a certain way. So they couldn't really change her that much to a certain extent. They can do a little bit with her because we didn't know of Matron's backstory, so we get to know her a little bit more here. And I think that's, you know, one of those things that should never change, just her history with um, her father and um, the family and what happened with that. Uh, but no, she's not as engaging, I think, um, as I as I wish she would be. But I think perhaps it'll come with time. Like, you know, I think it's a big moment that she comes into the clock tower and her mask is off, which clearly, you know, they know who she is. So what else is she going to do? But I'm hoping that as the team grows together, that her characterization will also grow because she's sort of the least developed, I would say, of the of the three of them because the other two already had their own series and she was just, you know, a character in, in Dick Grayson's show. So mm-hmm. um, so I, I get what you're saying, certainly, um, and I'm hopeful that it'll change and, and I think it was just almost par for the course with what the Bensons had when they came on. Uh, yeah, I concur. And I think that, like, uh, it's tough, but because, you know, it, you would like to have the original Huntress back or at least, you know, oh, re- retrofitted yeah. like, via the mm-hmm. timeline. Well, so technically, the original Huntress is Helena Wayne. Yeah, because they opened up in the 52 with that, that miniseries, which revealed that she was like from Earth 2. The hun- oh, yeah. Huntress? Where, where, where did yeah. she go? I, uh, she, maybe she's I still on Earth 2. I mean, with Power Girl, oh. they had Yeah, because the one that used to be Robin and then became Huntress. Yeah, it was yep. very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those were sort of the, the big two uh, points there. It, it was really, this was the Huntress show, uh, quite honestly. I thought we were supposed to learn of the Santo Fenice relationship, uh, which we didn't. It was really just um, about Huntress. So this was more of like uh, an info, an info situation. What do you guys think of, since I've only been talking to myself on this show about Lady Viper, what did you guys think when Lady Viper appeared? And did you remember the Bronze yeah. Age tale on um, that four issue story where uh, no, that girl turns I must into be a, a snake, snake forever? His, yep. his. How can anyone forget that story? Okay. That was that was that was fun. Um, oh, I thought that the kind of, like the dialogue was 
she looks ridiculous when she's like slithering away like <laughs> and her oh. costume is cut and she's talking you see like everyone running stuff. away and then like she's like slithering after them like wait for me <laughs> that's, that's terrible okay. <laughs> that's true she's like on a dance on her one like little fin tail bow thing what did you guys think about the star wars reference Remind me of it again. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, I'm like Batgirl's about to grapple them, and like Black Canary kisses her, like for good, for luck, and they fly oh, up to the Oh, yeah, like a little Luke and whatchamacallit. Luke and yeah. Leia, yeah. Luke and whatchamacallit. <laughs> you don't know Leia? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, that, that was, that's always good. No, well, I honestly thought it was kind of random. <laughs> I mean, I oh, got well. it. But... Yeah, because I didn't even, uh, until you brought it up, I didn't see that action. So I was more It could be like, foreshadowing oh, that, no. like Luke and Leia, they're twins. Oh, that Dinah and uh, Babs are actually related? Yeah, well, no, that they're twins somehow. Yeah. yeah. Dinah Gordon. Dinah Gordon. Listen, that uh, means that Barbara Sr. Yeah. left Dinah in a foster home. Well, she's the world's worst mother in the universe, so. Which yeah, I'm like, why muffins? not? Okay. Uh, well, if there aren't any more things on this, uh, what would you give it out of ten birds? I thought this is a it was a decent issue. Any any, any personal problems I have, like with, with like you know the way they kind of draw Batgirls, like these like these kind of freaky looking eyes and stuff. Like <laughs> it looks like they're kind of just, just doing Raphael Albuquerque with a different artist. Um, it's a decent. I mean, you know, I would give it a six six and a half. It's not a bad issue, but like some things just don't work for me, like Huntress and other stuff. Yeah, I'm also six and a half out of ten. Like it's good, not great. I'm gonna raise you one and give it a seven and a half out of ten. So I feel like we've lost. We've lost a little bit of the Oracle thing, uh, which I talked about in the last episode of this show. But you yeah, know, it's supposed to be who is Oracle, and then we've kind of like Oracle is always connected slightly to each issue, but it's just like gotten off the tracks. And I kind of just wish it were more oriented um, with Oracle. But I guess you had to bring in Huntress somehow. So there you go. <clears throat> okay, so here we have. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Why did I miss that? Why do you do that? You know, you you sound like Jabba the Hutt when he's dying. Oh, when oh, 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 oh. <laughs> you know when he's being strangled by oh, Leia. Shoot. Lovingly strangled. Oh, now you remember her name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Who could forget Slave Leia? Okay. Well, here we go. Whoa. What? Vapa boom. <laughs> Okay, our last issue of the night, Batgirl number 57, a.k.a. Batgirl number 5, Beyond Burnside Finale. Writer Hope Larson, artist Raphael Albuquerque, and colorist Dave McKegg. Teacher has transformed into a horrifying genius. She sees, <laughs> she sees every move Batgirl makes before she makes it, and while Batgirl has <coughs> a fun are you okay? And while Batgirl okay. has a fun thought process to come up with an idea, she is shut down. Teacher steals the formula and jumps out the window. Batgirl chases her down, saying she has so many questions, like how she could decode bioencrypted bacteria and synthesize an intelligence strong when she didn't even pass the Chinese college entrance examination. Batgirl finds herself in some sort of hostel. Not really sure. It seems Teacher's parents were drug dealers, and they cooked their own product. So, of course, Teacher learned chemistry from them. But she wanted to help people not feed their weaknesses. Batgirl says she isn't concerned with helping people, but the money that she would get. 
teacher doesn't bite and reveal herself, but Batgirl soon finds some hair on the ground, and she remembers uh, some of the side effects of the drug. Remember, some hair loss may occur. Teacher sneak attacks and knocks Batgirl out. We then witness a mindscape where a young fruit bat says her catchphrase again. You know that one that we have no idea what you're talking about? You can't Cast the, the picture when yeah, the past is saying your way. Anyway, thank you. And Kadansan. And Kai <laughs> also appears and helps Batgirl figure out how to fight teacher. Kai helps her remember that Batgirl is a genius and that her mind is filled with inessential stuff. So what she needs to do, basically, is shut off her eidetic memory in order to create some space. So she's trying to free up some RAM. Batgirl's afraid she won't get the eidetic memory back, but Kai ties a reminder around her wrist. Dreamscape Kai then kisses her and the world vomited. And then she wakes up. <laughs> she goes after Teacher, and with her mind freed, she's able to stay one step ahead. She knocks Teacher out, and while tying her up, she's reminded of her memories of Kai tying a thing on her wrist which then all come rushing back to her. Batgirl decides that the formula is too dangerous and powerful to give to Grandpappy blood, so she turns Teacher over to him instead and then turns them both over to the police. Later, she gathers student, moth, and construction worker together and gives them a new teacher, Fruit Bat. Batgirl goes to the hospital and bids Kai adieu. He wants to pass along his apologies to Babs. At the end, Batgirl watches the sunrise and considers what happened to her memory. When Frankie calls and Batgirl goes running off. Next, Homeward Bound with Poison Ivy. Uh, I know. Um, they're best well, friends from um, from uh, that, oh, that show that we did a few years ago. Yeah, The Batman. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. Hey, quick question. You know, I always like these little quick ones that are easy. Isn't there going to be a language barrier? How is Fruit Bat going to teach someone who is Chinese, someone who is Japanese, and someone who is Korean? Well, <laughs> well, they're Fruit Asian, Bat so they can herself? all learn the same, isn't it? Oh. That's they get not true. <laughs> they get interpreters. Okay. You would know that by the way that they're writing this comic. Oh, okay. I no, like seriously. Would... I mean, like, I mean, like, that's a very good point. Like, what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> they they, they get interpreters, of, of course. Okay. <laughs> I guess that that was that question. I just saw that as an issue, but uh, we'll, we'll. She could also there. teach them with like you know body language. Yeah, that's you true. You know what I'm saying? True. You know um, what I'm saying? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. Thank you. How how does the explanation for shutting off her uh, uh, bat girl's eidetic memory like a circuit suit you? What do you think about it that doesn't. sequence? Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Tell me more. Tell me more. Well, I, did she get very far? Well, tell me more. Tell me more. Like, does he have a car? Um, I'm pretty sure eidetic memory doesn't work that way. <laughs> She's not okay. a robot. Like, I, I, I've hated the eidetic memory since New 52, and it's like, yeah. all of a sudden, we just, invent, we just invented this superpower that she has, but we don't call it that because it might be a real thing in real life. But Well, like, eidetic memory work, is real in real life, but it doesn't work the way that, like, it does with Barbara Gordon. Like, like you can't turn off parts of your brain that way like i'm going to turn off the part of my brain that like knows math like it doesn't work <laughs> okay if, if, yeah so if just just, don't i don't, like don't even it. know why i even have to in explain comic land, that you like, just can't, you don't exactly like yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, <laughs> we shouldn't even have to explain it. That 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 would be like trying to explain, like, you know, you cannot breathe underwater. Okay. But what if I open my mouth and concentrate real hard on it? No, like, you, you don't breathe underwater. You don't turn off like, parts of your brain. She's like, golly, that sure was a lot. It's just, it's like, uh-huh. I mean, like, if they explained this as, like, some sort of, like, cybernetic enhancement that helps her walk, I would have bought it. But they, they, this is, like, you know, her real-life human power. 
I don't know. It's, it's, it's a bit much. Okay. I mean, it was it was certainly interesting. It was weird going in that uh, dreamscape. Um, I can see kind of – well, the turning off I can't necessarily see, but I can understand the whole thing of like she's filled up her mind with me- – like there's lots of stuff hindering her. So was there a way to sort of free her mind? And this leads me to this next question, which I'm glad that Don is here, because I wondered if you felt like there was a similarity but here between Babs and her memory and Cass and her language skills. Because if – right? Because the fact that she mm-hmm. didn't really have – well, she did have a language, but she didn't have a spoken language. And that was a way for her to really perfect, you know, the art of fighting. And you can, you know, change that if you think. But was there a connection with that between these two characters in that way, you think? Well, the, okay. Well, a couple of things. Like the like the only, the connection I I, I uh, first heard was like was when the teacher was like, "I know every move." That's why I coughed in the beginning. I know every move before you make it by watching your body. That's straight up Cassandra's game and Lady Shiva. Oh, they, they don't want they don't want you to know that. When Cassandra basically like, well, it's a couple of things. So like when she learned how to like communicate. It wasn't just, you know, like a flick switch and say, oh, well, there's that problem taken care of. Like, wait, she, she could wield the capacity for language, but she still, she still did not know how to speak at all. Even though she showed up part of her fighting, the part of her brain that receives language through body language, even though that was kind of like shunted, she still couldn't like, you know, translate that into like reading and writing at all. It was just, it was just easier for her to access. This is straight up, you know, okay, I, I need to stop, uh, remembering everything uselessly so I can do that, I guess. So I need, I need to like, you know, just, just ignore my memories of the past several weeks, which I don't necessarily understand why that helps her fight better because she's not actively, she's not actively using her memory for attention and fighting. A lot of this is really kind of on the fly writing, I think. They're just kind of just throwing this at you and like, oh yeah, this, this is how it works. And like, I, I'm really not buying it. So, um, I, I think that like it approaches kind of the similar way, like, you know, like how the brain works, how you kind of uh, receive information. But I think that it was done, uh, but more believably, uh, in Cassandra's series. Cause it wasn't easy for her, even though she could, uh, learn how to talk after that. I kind of checked out of this arc in like part two, like, and, 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 and I've been reading it and I've, yeah. I, I've been reading it, but like, Sometimes when, like, you're reading, like, a run of a story, do you ever get to, like, a story and you're like, oh, I kind of, you know, don't care about this. So, like, you don't stop reading it. You keep on reading it. But, like, emotionally, you kind of, like, checked out of the story and you're just reading it to get to, like, the next arc. That's kind of what this whole thing has been for me. I'll talk about that. Uh, I guess because we're, we're talking about the storyline as a whole, like this, this yeah. Asia yeah. saga. <laughs> Asia saga. Boy. I want to know that like real quickly, just uh, like the little red ribbon that he ties around her hand. Yeah, that's a, that's actually like a thing in Japanese culture. Like, oh. it's like a string, like a red string of memory or or like connection. I've seen that in a couple of shows. Like Yu Yu Hakusho did that. I've seen that in a couple of novels. So that's actually a thing. The only problem I have with that is that Kai was Chinese, I believe. Exactly. <laughs> well, there are so many like confused cultures in this in the storyline. Which goes back to my problem that I've had every issue is that I wish she would have stayed in one place instead of each, you know, going to three different Asian countries. Well, and then one. she had time to like have adventures with Nightwing during all of this. Yeah. Well, I heard you in trouble, so I left Japan and came over here. <laughs> um. Do you feel like we've resolved the fruit bat quote now? I hope so. Do you think um, this is what it meant? Like your past is in the way, so you've got to shut down your identity. You need to free yourself I, I from those memories. I never that in the first place. What's wrong with her past? I mean, she's not I dealing with know. being shot. She's not dealing with the Gail Simone saga. Like none of that is in her head. She's just like my past is keeping me from happiness. And like it's it's such a. I'm trying to remember why she story. left Burnside because she ran out of money or something like that. She needed to. Because <laughs> the run was ending. 
I mean, do you yeah, think she, she, like she's like stuff? she's like and Luke? I'm breaking up. Do with I remember why she left Burnside? Do, do you like? I don't. I never bought the whole. You know, your past is in your way. But do you think that it is gone no. now? Or do you think oh, do I think the past is gone now? Or whatever. Uh, no. I mean, she doesn't really get rid of the past. She's just able to shut it down for a few moments, and then it, it comes back. Um, but she says, like, she needs to figure out what just happened with the memory thing. So clearly she doesn't have a handle on it. So this is probably her new superpower is, like, a on and off switch. So I'm sure sure. we're not done with this whole thing. But, you know, to a certain extent, I feel like, you know, you know, the past, and this is going to get into like a philosophical discussion, I'm sure. But, you know, the past, I think can be a hindrance to some people, but I think it can also, you, you shouldn't forget it. Like you should remember where you're coming from, the obstacles that you've had to overcome, how that's either like, challenged you or you know made you a, you know into a better person or whoever you are today so i feel i don't know why it's like such a negative thing that like there's this, <laughs> yeah exactly she's got stuff she's got stuff in her past why is that bad everyone has stuff in their past it's not even like her past was holding her back either well it's, yeah. it's not even like she has like the worst past in the world either i mean it's, it's more of that like uh you know, trying to make uh, – I'm sorry, but, like, trying to make Barbara Gordon more interesting than I think, you know, they need to because it's, like – she's not a character with a tragic past. Yes, the mm-hmm. killing joke thing happened to her, but, like, beyond that, you know, she had a loving father. She, she has friends. You know, she gets along fine as Batgirl. Like, it's like they keep on trying to tell us, like, she has so much to deal with and so much baggage, but no, she does not. <laughs> I'm sorry. She really does not. And I, I, I find it pretentious that they try to, like, kind of give these cliched answers about, you know – I must deal with my past, so I must move to a country and get away from the people who actually did really like me in Burnside. Because it's just like, why? What, give us one reason why to do that. And they, 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 it's, it's more of a kind of, you know, telling and not showing, I think. What did you think of the villain names? Because I thought that they were dumb, but I didn't have anyone to talk to. The, you know, the teacher <laughs> and the student and the moth and the construction worker. They're, wait, wait, wait. The guy was called a construction worker? Or is it just like yes. dressed up like one? It's no, like that was also the, the it, it's like when you're in the planning session and you give these characters names until you come come up with a real name for them. Like construction worker, we'll come up with a name for them later, and then like they forgot to do that. Well, yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> like teacher. I mean, what you know? If if I, I, I think of a villain would call themselves teacher, they would be a lot more direct about being like a teacher. Like you know, I will teach the world my ways, order. But like they're kind of just selfishly doing stuff and committing crimes. Like so, it feels. You know, it kind of doesn't make sense. So after learning of the teacher's backstory, did you feel sympathetic towards her? And did you think that overall she was a good villain for Batgirl uh, to go up against? No. No, I didn't care. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. Uh, No, but I mean, I I didn't care. But what did did you think? Me personally? Yeah. Was I sympathetic towards her? Did you Um, think she was a good villain? Oh, did I think she was a good villain? (sighs) Not really. I mean... Because she, we don't even get to see her until, like, you know, the very end, like, the climax and everything. And so you kind of want someone who is challenging Batgirl every step of the way rather than having that person's minions being the challenge to right. Batgirl. And the whole story was pretty scattered anyways with the glow popping. There was, like, not one consistent sort of thing. So I, I didn't feel like it was um, necessarily... <laughs> the best person to to have her go up against. I mean, she's not she's not awful. She's like like the worst villain she's ever fought. Oh but the, no! But at the same time, I, I mean, save she, that she's... for Hansel and Gretel or Gretel. That was her name. Uh, Do you remember she had that? green hair and she was psychotic? It was in the Gail Simone run. Oh yeah, yeah, that was the one with Batman. You're right. Yeah, 
That was I thought that was worse than that one, but I don't know. But like I mean, she's, she's not the worst. But she, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking. I'm we thinking can that. play this game. That's fine. <laughs> Challenge accepted. You know, I, I think it's, it's not so much the villain's fault, but like the story the villain's in. Yeah. And I think that like by that way, she, I don't think she was defined well enough for me. Again, I, I wasn't paying that much attention, so I shouldn't say too much. Because I, I was I wasn't interested in the villain's plot. It was kind of interesting, you know, Barbara's deduction about it. Mm-hmm. That guy who like you know was like trying to get with her. Why does not speak? Yeah, I I like villains that have like a connect, like there's some sort of connection to Batgirl, and I don't mean like a personal connection, but like something they're doing is related to like something about Barbara Gordon. And I'm trying to think of like what the you know what is the connection here? Like what could make this uh, a villain? And I mean, I guess it's the intel that this person needed like intelligence enhancing to become a genius, and Barbara's already a genius. I I that's a very like thin I think connection, I- but yeah. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. But, That's um, okay, yeah. I really liked uh, Fugue, the last guy. Yes. Because uh, I thought he he had a legitimate axe to grind with her, from her. Absolutely. He had a serious challenge for her because he kidnapped her and, and gave her false memories. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had a, you know, he had a vendetta. He was effective, mm-hmm. and he had a very creative way to you know go against Batgirl. I thought that was a yeah. that was a great villain for her. And um, otherwise, usually it's, it feels kind of like the kind of throw ideas at the wall and kind of make me crazy or whatever. I, I like the Burnside villains, but I thought that Feig really, really made his mark, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think a successful iteration of this, you know, with the Big Bad and then the the Minions would have been, you know, with Digibabs, because Digibabs was really the big villain, but then she had, like, the, the motorcycle um, chicks and the... All right. They weren't Candy Crush. What were their names? I can't remember. What oh, yeah, the Jawbreakers. <laughs> the Jawbreakers, yeah. And then you had that really terrible dude um, with the No Regrets tattoo on his thing. So, you know, had the minions. So that was like a successful way to have someone. But, yeah, I, I don't know. And, and, you know, a good villain on Batgirl sabbatical, like, is this what the reason why she's she's going out and trying to get away from it all? I just didn't, I didn't see it. It would be cool if, like, maybe, like, kind of like Fruit Bat teacher or somebody was, like, significantly older than her and she would be fighting, like, yeah. a- a much older woman because it would feel I don't know a little bit it, there, you you can kind of bring come pull out from that some sort of like disconnect between you know certain generations and learning and the whole like teaching thing to, you know rather than just some random mad woman I guess yeah and I think have we ever seen it and I think the answer is no like uh Batgirl getting away from it all almost like post infinite crisis when Batman went away with Tim and Dick to like just train and like be away from everything like I would have been fine with her just training with different people and maybe there's like a small disturbance that she goes but you know she's learning different things like I I would have found that interesting could have visited all her friends in the DCU there you go there you go like that first arc of uh, the Jeff Loeb Supergirl where like or was it Joe Kelly? Where like each issue, like one issue she was with the Teen Titans, one issue she was with the Outsiders, one issue she was with uh, Power Girl. Yeah, the JSA. Like if she like toured the DCU, that was fun. I mean, I'm, so I'm sure we're we, talking about like yeah. like 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 the like what the purpose of her traveling ended up being in the end. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So my my sort of final thing is like, yeah, the arc as a whole. What you think of it? And was it successful? You know, her traveling because she's about to come back to Burnside. So this is it. Well, I mean, the, the the first ten is when I said that. Uh, <laughs> I checked out of the arc. Like, you in, checked out very yeah. Like, I, I didn't have that luxury. Yeah, it wasn't that interesting. Uh, how do I get into this? Uh, I think that just dive in, sir. What I will say. What I will say is this. Um, I like Raphael Albuquerque's artwork. I think he's a really good artist. He's a very expressive artist, and I think that he, I really like just the way he draws people, his personality, and stuff like that. But reading this issue kind of made me have sort of a revelation. 
I'm I'm really kind of over this whole Barbara Gordon as Batgirl thing in modern comics because it just Ooh. feels it just feels phony to me because it's all about you know she must it's 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 kind of like almost teenager narrative where she has to find herself or you know she has to get her life together or you know certain you know her social life or whatever and then this this like you know she must you know stop running from her past and traveling and trying to avoid her problems or whatever and it it would kind of define itself in the artwork because because Raphael he draws her overtly expressive I mean she's always kind of like scratching up her mouth and having these gigantic marble sized eyes and kind of making her looking very cute and stuff and that's all well and good but i i am i'm kind of beyond saving because barbara gordon to me is a grown-ass woman and i just think that it's it's just too hard for me to kind of you know retrofit my my line of thinking to see her so not imperfect but kind of being written as a flawed hero in this way because an oracle is a flawed hero and barbara gordon is a flawed character not you know how all characters are not perfect but the way they're kind of going about it is like it's kind of all youth oriented. It's like Spider Man. It's like you know we got to give her this this crappy love interest, and she must learn things from these these characters, and she must learn the meaning of certain things. Of these characters, and it's just like you know, but she's not a character that needs to do that. And I don't I don't see any value in her having to go through all of this because she's a character that doesn't need to learn things that her that she previously never had to. And it's, it's honestly it's kind of like the same thing with Spider-Man. It's like kind of so giving her these cheesy guys to like, you know, fawn over or, you know, oh, think back to when you were a little girl or whatever. It's just like, you know, she, she's I think she's better than these stories. And so this storyline, I don't think the storyline was necessarily bad, but it kind of really made me confront things I feel I was been combating with since August 2011, because it's just I just don't like seeing this anymore. I just, I just think I just think it's like kind of beneath the character and. I just would really rather see her as as more so than Oracle, just just as an adult, and not really, you know, because because this is this is a, the character to me. She's 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 basically Supergirl in in a uh, in a new costume. So I think the traveling thing was sort of a backfire because it kind of made me realize how pointless it all was, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I think the whole thing about Rebirth too is it's about getting these characters like you know either new beginnings or back to their roots, and this almost felt like you know what you would find in like those old Marvel annuals where like the annuals were would usually have the heroes traveling or something and take them away from like the rest of their story. And they were kind of inconsequential, the continuity. This should have been about building a new world for Batgirl, not like vacation or I, I don't know. Like if this is the beginning <laughs> of what the new series is going to be like, I hope that that's not the case um, because I like my Batgirl differently than this, but I'm hoping that now that she's back in Burnside, we'll, uh, you know, get something different. <laughs> I get something different. She's about to date the son of Penguin. Penguin's gay. Not that Penguin. <laughs> um, th- it's, well, it's not like, well, what? Well, it's not well, like what it passes do you, what down do you, from father to son. I said the son of Penguin. Well, what <laughs> do you mean she's dating the son of Penguin? What? Well, what? I didn't know. Oh, that. yeah. That, that, that's that's going to happen in the next story. They've announced yeah. that. Price. Um, uh, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah, I think the young thing is one thing. The other thing is just writers coming on. I think that don't really necessarily know or understand who Barbara Gordon is. And, mm-hmm. you know, this could be true of really any character, um, to what extent was research done. And then, you know, just sitting down and thinking about who <laughs> this person is. 
And, uh, you know, I had a problem from the beginning, like my, my critiques and criticisms of this and, and my problems with it are the same that it was to begin with. I totally, I hear you, Don, you know, the whole finding yourself is like, my goodness, you know, what, what does that mean? And yeah, you know, our kids are doing that, but she left, she left Gotham to come to Burnside to start anew and afresh. And to a certain extent that's, you know, to find yourself. And she did, she was surrounding herself with new people. She had a new attitude, a new look, et cetera. And then for whatever reason, she needed to, to leave that, leave all those people behind, go to a foreign country and just walk around. I don't aimlessly. I don't know. Like there wasn't even any purpose there where uh, I think there was a glimmer of hope with that one issue that she went to the MMA gym. And I thought this could, you know, this could be something right here because she could learn from something. But even then, it didn't seem like Barbara Gordon because she's like, oh, I'm only going to be here for a week. So I can't really <laughs> do much. Uh, so, that you know, that's a it's a little bit uh, annoying. I, I, I feel like not much was accomplished here. I didn't necessarily see her grow as a character. I saw more faults as a character here than, than anything. You know, she was able to walk away from Kai, which was like a stand up and clap moment. But the fact that she was even, you know, like slightly seduced by him, even though like there were warning bells going off, I had a big problem with that because I just felt like I, I don't think Barbara that was, that was, that was just totally that. unbelievable. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, you could say age, but I'm just like, you know, if there's any inkling of like there's something wrong with this guy, she's not going to go in or, or be kissed or kiss or whatever. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's I like I, a whole, I really, like romantic, like story montage where like throughout the montage, Barbara's like, how can I get rid of him as they're like, you know, robot and then there's the kiss. Yeah. Like night dancing and stuff like, yeah. Like, get rid of him by, like, leaving. Like, he doesn't have a gun. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like, to a certain extent, she's lost some of her abilities. Like, everything has been put into this eidetic memory, but she's, like, lost her techno skills. Because there are those times that, while I appreciated her reaching out to Frankie and keeping that connection, which I think is needed if she's going back, there were things that she could have done on her own if she were, like, the actual Barbara Gordon that we know who has, like, awesome tech skills. So, am I, like, sick? of Barbara Gordon as Batgirl. I don't think I can say that. But you know, I'm, 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 I'm not going to say you to say that. I love the, I love the character. The Barbara Gordon podcast. I know. But I, well, I mean, I, I'd be fine, you know, if Steph were in the cow, you know, that sort of thing. Am I ready for that? I, I, I don't know. I'm just sick of her being written like this, basically. Uh, I, I felt like, you know, we have, it's like they're, I don't know. It's just ever changing. Like we had the Gail Simone run, which was really dark. And we all had a problem with that. And that was very confusing for me. Cause I'm like, why is it like this? And then Burnside, I think brought a glimmer of hope back. The, the negative side was that, yeah, she was de-aged, but I felt like it was better. And now we have this where I feel like it's better than Gail Simone. Maybe um, it's hard. Cause they're like very, yeah. they're two different <laughs> things, but yeah, it's just, ugh, I don't know. I, I feel like I've been pulled pulled around it's we can't get anything and somebody mentioned rebirth i guess it was you josh and it i was, think this yeah. one this is where i was because i thought rebirth i don't understand what it means and i think some books i've said this before some books have done a great job and they've taken pre-flashpoint and mixed it with 52 to to a nice extent uh, and it's worked well together this one was like we're just I mean, we're not really going to look into the past at all. You drop the name Amy Beddoes, and it has no connection at all with the past, which is a <laughs> bit of a problem. Uh, that's like a heavy name to drop. And, and I said that no I checked out of the arc. Like, I woke up for a second Did when they said Amy Beddoes. Amy Beddoes, yeah, but there was no continuity. <laughs> there was no connection. Uh, Don called it Conti porn. Um, and then, you know, the uh, – yeah, so it just feels like it's uh, – it's just – yeah, it's a bummer. I feel like it ended – 
as a whole, you know, the arc, I think it ended better with this issue because it, it was like up and down. It was like way, way down. But it seemed like it resolved well. I'm glad that Barbara Gordon was asking questions. She's like, I have so many questions because I would have had those same questions. So I'm glad that there was some like actual um, <laughs> resolution there. And I, yeah, I'm not looking forward to her, you know, dating son of Penguin. I guess we'll see how it is. But why can't she just be single for a little while? That's all I, I want. Because she's young and she must be. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I, I think that on its own, I, I really don't think it's a bad story. But a lot of what this character and this comic book rides on is how much they presume you love Barbara Gordon. And if you love Barbara Gordon deeply, as 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 Stella of the Batgirl Jigoroko podcast does, you're in trouble because you really got to know wh- who she is and what she's like. You can't just yeah. you can't just fart out, you know, a, a happy go lucky, <laughs> you know, teenager character mm-hmm. and think that that's that's cutting. It it feels like not doing the work, in my opinion. Okay, well, uh, final grade on issue. Five. <laughs> Uh, five. Two out of five fruit bats. Whoa. Wait, two out of five? So you're going to give it a four out of ten? That's oh, nice. I'm sorry. <laughs> two out of ten. Whoops. Yeah, welcome to, <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Batman universe. Where would you? Okay. <laughs> I, give it a, I give it a five out of ten. I, I like the art, but I don't like what the art's showing me. And, uh, yeah, I, I turned off my eidetic memory well. for a second, so that's why oh, I did the gosh. wrong grading. I'll give you a little bit higher. I think... A 6.5 out of 10. Um, like I said, I think it does leave it, I don't know if I can say a high note, a higher note than was in previous issues. Uh, I'm happy to be leaving. Uh, I think there was there was a potential for a good story um, with, you know, Asian culture and things. But I think because of the globe hopping, it didn't really turn out too well. So. You know who would work better for this type of story? Flamebird. This would make uh, sense for Flamebird. Yeah, it's true. Except true. for her memory. <laughs> That's the yeah. one thing. <laughs> Flamebird, turn off your eidetic memory. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Yeah. Well, doesn't she have like a new name now? Um, after Batwoman, like, isn't she like what Hawkfire or something? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Like, she gave. I don't know. She, she. Sure. I, I don't know. According to like the internet, because I, I, I didn't read that much Batwoman after the New Fifty Two. She's like, uh, she has like her own like new costumed identity now. Oh, cool. Oh, we're now over to Chris for his Batman 66 review. Ah, that's like finding a sliver of pumpkin pie left with just enough Cool Whip to put on top of it. Thank you very much, Stella, and congratulations on your seventh anniversary. I'm very honored to be a part of your podcast. Hello, Bat fans. Welcome once again to the Batman 66 review segment. Thank you very much for downloading, and as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. I'm Chris, and I'm very glad to be with you. Today, I'll review Batman 66 meets Steed and Mrs. Peel number 5. Issue number five was cover dated January 2017 and is a DC Comics Boom Studios crossover with their characters based on the British TV series The Avengers. The cover art was provided by Michael and Laura Allred and the contents were originally released in download format. Our next chapter is entitled Fog and Ice and was written by Ian Edgington and art provided by Michael Dow Smith. When we last left our heroes and Detective Inspector Gordon... They were cornered by blade-wielding beefeater Cybernauts, with Mr. Freeze and Michaela Goff watching remotely. Thinking quickly, Emma asks Robin to get the coolant tanks from the diamond display, and they both spray the Cybernauts, freezing them in place, and Batman and Steed then topple them. Our heroes make their way to Fogg's Manor and sense a trap. How right they are. Our heroes split up, and soon Emma and Batman fall prey to an enlarged trapdoor sprung by Lord Fogg, leaving Batman clinging to a batarang with one hand and Emma 
with the other as they are suspended over a vat of boiling pea soup. Steed and Robin fare no better as Mr. Freeze springs a similar trap door to them, with Steed using the handle of his umbrella to keep him up while hanging on to Robin, and they are suspended over a vat of liquid nitrogen. Chapter 10. Sugar and Spice Batman instructs Emma to reach in his utility belt to extract a pellet from a certain pouch and toss it into the vat. She does so, and the boiling soup instantly solidifies into self-hardening fire retardant. Batman assists Emma getting to the floor above, where she promptly takes out Lord Fogg. Meanwhile, still suspended, Robin snares Mr. Freeze with a bat rope, and Mr. Freeze inadvertently lifts Robin and Steed to the main floor while he reaches for his freeze ray gun. As they make it to the main floor, Mr. Freeze fires his ray gun, but only manages to connect with Steed's umbrella, and Robin punches him out. All of the four heroes regroup and reconvene while looking for Michaela Goff. As the group enters another room, Goff remotely seals the exits, and four women, who were students from Lord Fogg's Criminal Academy, seen from the TV episodes, approach. But upon closer inspection, Batman states that the four, in reality, are cybernauts, to be concluded. Though you wouldn't know it by reading this story, the Cybernauts were a formidable threat on the Avengers TV series. The violence of what they were capable of just hasn't been seen here in these chapters. And yet again, we're subjected to another similar cliffhanger with our heroes being cornered by Cybernauts. And I'm not remotely feeling any suspense, much less any interest. I think we've been shortchanged as we've run out of ideas with the same cliffhanger being repeated more than twice. I don't think the artwork has gotten any worse. There are some nice panels here and there, but nothing more. As we've run out of cliffhangers, I think I'm running out of things to say regarding this miniseries. Even in a 15-chapter movie serial from the 1940s, the cliffhangers that they gave us were different. The bit with the trapdoor was good, but then we lapsed back into something we already saw. I should point out that Mr. Freeze spoke with an accent on the 60s Batman TV series, but doesn't appear to speak with one here. I thought that was a bit out of character. I'm not sure what surprises, if any, we'll have in the final issue, but I think we'll chug along to the conclusion. I'm going to be a Grinch and give Batman meets Steed and Mrs. Peel number 5, 4 out of 10 bats. Over on the TBU website, Jerry Green gave this 2.5 out of 5. Fans of HBO's Game of Thrones can find Diana Rigg, who portrayed Emma Peel, as Lady Olena Tyrell, grandmother of Marguerite Tyrell. Rig is excellent in the role, with her wit and sarcasm when appropriate. I have always enjoyed her performances. Diana Rigg was also a Bond girl as her character Tracy wed James Bond in the 1969 film on Her Majesty's Secret Service. And I seem to recall, I think she also briefly hosted the PBS series Mystery. Next month, I'll comment on the 1998 feature film based on the show. I'm still working my way through the third volume of the IDW Batman comic strip reprint book, and I've yet to reach the story sequence where Batgirl appears. But I know while Batgirl does appear, her role isn't as much as I had hoped, and it's a bit less than the previous volume. 1966 Batman TV fans should also be aware of the new release of the book, Batman, a celebration of the classic TV series by Bob Garcia and Joe DeSears. I ordered this from my comic book shop via previews, and I'm not sure if there were any issues, as my prior order was canceled, and this got resolicited a few months later. Now, I just literally got this out of the shrink wrap a day ago at the time of this recording, so I'm not able to give it a full review yet. I can say that the paper utility wrap was a nice touch. Thumbing through it, I don't think the episode guide included is as exhaustive and as detailed as Joel Eisner's The Official Batman Bat Book, 
or has as many pictures of the female characters in Renato D'Angelo's book, Batman Bad Girls. However, the book does have many sharp color pictures that look like they're high resolution from the series, and some of them I haven't seen before. The book does appear to contain an exhaustive study of the show, some behind-the-scenes pictures, and information, and has some storyboards. Yes, hardcore fans of the show may have seen some of these pictures in the book before. The book lists for $50, but if you can find it for less online, I think this would make a great holiday gift for any 66 Batman fan. Before I go, I'd like to wish you all a happy and safe holiday season. Thank you, and may the coming year give you joy and pleasant surprises and reading and podcasts that you enjoy. Listeners, please feel free to leave any comments for myself or for the podcast on the TBU website, and please leave us a good review over on iTunes. If you wish to contact me directly, I can be reached by email at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. Thank you for your support. How will our heroes escape another menacing attack of the Cybernauts? Hey, didn't I say that last time? Will Robin be heartbroken over the fate of the female Cybernauts? What surprise person will make a surprise guest appearance in the final panel of this story? The answers to these cagey, cackly, catchy consonants to be answered next time. Same Stella feed. Same Stella sight. Hey, guess what, guys? A very special Shipper Spotlight. I love shippers. Okay. Get over your own shipping bull. Why are you saying that? I know. Oh. I remember recording that episode too. It was, it was the uh, it was the um, the Flashpoint Batman story, and you're like, you know, Batman's married to the Joker, to the Joker, to the Joker, to the Joker. <laughs> 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 yeah, I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. Let, let, let me tell you about shippers. Get over, get, get over your own shipping bull****. I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Stop talking about that. Shippers. Shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Babs. Dick, Dick, Dick and Babs. Batman and Cat, Catwoman. There we go for the shippers. Batman's married to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien said, 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 any shippers, I'll kill them. Dick and Bats. So we at Batgirl the Oracle have a history of, um, you know, trying to, yeah, we, we. I guess Stella over at Batgirl the <laughs> Oracle. Because, because my name isn't Shag or Tom Panneri, so I'm not a regular on oh, the show. Oh, heavens. Um, oh, heavens, yeah. Have a history of doing ridiculous couplings for um, uh, Shipper Spotlight. They are and for this okay. One, I take offense. At, they are not ridiculous. There is a good history, and it makes sense. I don't put two random people together. But I mean, we we chose like couples, like the last year that I did. We purposely chose ones that were like a little more outrageous. We were like kind of trying to top each other. Okay. I mean, they're outrageous and, in what they do. I guess. Yeah, like you, you had a request for me. You said like, you know, like, do you have anything crazy like Jimmy and Lucy? Because I did Jimmy and Lucy, yeah, and after yeah. it, you're like, okay, get me something like, and then you cra- did like, Patsy. We did Patsy. So then for this one, Barry and Iris, okay, and if all I you know, think of would be Barry, crazy, so I'm going to be surprised, I guess. Yeah, you know, you're, you're. Gonna oh be no, not this one. <laughs> yeah, so um, Barry and Iris. If all you know of them is the TV show, where I'm sorry, Jesse Garrett, their brother and sister deal with it. Um, no, they're not. You know. 
Oh, okay. What do you call um, a male and a female that have the same father? Uh, I feel like we did siblings? this two years ago. But, but gosh, I wonder who John, who does John Wesley Ship play on this show? I guess it's not his father. Oh wait, it is. And 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 Joe West, um, he he did what to Barry? You know, but whatever. <laughs> that actually sounds worse than it is. But actually, yeah, you're, you're gonna <laughs> <laughs> okay. run, Barry, run. Yeah, so if all you know of Iris and um, and her father, too, because you're going to learn some interesting things about her father, is um, from, you know, the Flash TV show. Spoiler alert, you know, your world's about to be shattered. Um, so I'm going to go over there, um, the Barry and Iris Shipper Spotlight history as it happened. Some of that has been retconned by, like, things like the life story of Barry Allen trade paperback and, like, crisis and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to present it as it, hap- as it was happening, though, before the retcons. So some of the details are different. So Barry and Iris um, first appear together in showcase number four. And Iris is only t- referred to as Barry's quote-unquote lovely companion. Now remember these labels because these labels that Iris has with her relationship to Barry become important later and get called into question. In these early stuff, she's usually just mad at Barry because Barry's like showing up late because of Flash stuff. And you know Barry like winks at the reader. She's like, oh, you're the slowest man alive. He's like, ha, ha, ha. In showcase number eight, Iris gets her last name and her job. She's a reporter, like Lois, and her last name is West. Um, showcase number 14, we get a little more light shed on their relationship because Barry's referred to as Iris's boyfriend. And then by the time Flash gets his own series, Iris dumps Barry for being late. So Barry uses a projector from Mirror Master to make her see him everywhere until she takes him back. She's, like, walking down the street, and she sees, like, someone that looks like Barry Allen, and that's just Barry, like, messing with her with, like, mirrors. So there's, like, a two-part story in Flash 111 and 112 where Barry has a rival for Iris's attention. So he um, he basically acts like a heel. So Iris dumps the other guy and chooses Barry. So Flash number 114, Captain Cold tries to marry her, and she tells Barry that, you know, she wouldn't he wouldn't have a girlfriend anymore had he done that. And then in Flash 121, and remember, I'm, I'm setting all these up to establish what their relationship is. Um, Iris is accompanying Barry to his college reunion because, as the text states, she's his girlfriend. She contemplates if Barry's too scared to propose, and she thinks maybe the Flash can help Barry propose. Mm-hmm. So um, Flash 126, Barry reconnects with an old childhood sweetheart who the manager wants them to get engaged. But he says, no, I love Iris. I can't cheat on her. There's no room for anyone else in my life. So now we're going up to Flash 134. Stella, at this point, what would you say Barry and Iris's relationship is? G- going steady. Okay. Don, what would you say it is? Going steady. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, how would you define going steady, I guess? Exclusively dating. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so in Flash 134, we meet Iris's father. He's not, you know, um, Joe West from Rent. He's an old, you know... He's an old white order. man named named Ira West, and he's oh, basically wow. an absent-minded professor, and he's um, he's not happy with Barry. Ooh. He says, you know, I want to know what your intentions with my daughter are, and Barry thinks, how can I tell him that we're just friends and that there's no romance between us at all? Huh? And I, yeah, yeah. But he Flash just said he didn't want to cheat on her. Pre- yeah, previously. I know. Yep. Can you explain that? Nope. Okay. <laughs> this is what was in the book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um apparently they're just friends and um you know and and they have to figure out a way to tell Iris's you know father who's an absent-minded professor like you know old man type and they eventually do at the end and he's like oh, okay you know so you they're not together they're just friends. So um that's Flash 134, Flash 139, Iris is referred to as Barry's fiance. That happened. 
Wow. We we get um so one issue they're just they're dating, another issue they're just friends, then another issue they're engaged. How many writers are on these different issues? It's mostly been the same writer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I checked. So this is like the the difference between E N and A N with Liz? I guess, except you know, the spelling of a last name and are these two characters getting yeah, married or are they different. just friends? Yeah. Yeah. So in Flash 151, Barry and Iris finally find an engagement ring after, quote-unquote, two years of looking. Mm -hmm. Iris tells Barry that he should ask the Flash to be the best man. Mm -hmm. And Barry decides, I'm going to cross that bridge when I come to it. So Flash 156, uh, this one's kind of important and pays off later. Barry's identity is revealed to the whole world, and Iris is ticked that she was never told. Uh But before Barry time travels to hit the reset button, you know, just like he does in the show all the time, Iris makes him promise to tell her the truth on their wedding day. And he, uh, so he goes back in time, you know, puts the genie back in the bottle. Iris doesn't know he's the Flash anymore, but he's made this promise that on the wedding day, he'll tell Mm -hmm. her. A promise that he's going to break, but he's also not going to break it, depending on perception. It's like the Yoda certain point of view. Then, Flash 161, one of the oddest stories ever from the Silver Age. Flash takes off his costume, and the costume starts talking to him and telling him that they'll never be apart. Oh, no. oh yeah. I swear to God, I'm not making this Sounds up. Sounds like Venom. Uh, the, it's wedding day for Barry and Iris, and Iris tells Barry the wrong time since he's always waited, thinking that he'll show up on time. Like, she says that the wedding's actually, like, starting, like, hours earlier than it is, so that way if he shows up late, he'll still be on time. But do the flash mishaps, Barry winds up being five hours late. And oh, Iris is, no. like, still there. Yeah, she's still there the whole five hours in her dress, like, ready to scold him and break up with him. So, as a result, Barry gives up being the flash and abandons his costume. And the costume starts crying. Um, for real, like, the costume sheds tears. Oh, um, if anyone wants to look at this, this is Flash issue 161. Barry tracks down Iris to try and win her back, and Iris tells Barry that she's going to propose to the Flash instead because it's a leap year. And back then, like, women can propose during leap years. What? So Barry, yeah, yeah, there used to be this, like, old rule that, like, a woman can only propose during a leap year. Okay. But how well does she know the Flash? I mean, he's rescued her, you know, numerous times, but, I mean, they're not, like, buddies. So Barry visits his old costume at the Flash Museum, which is where it is now, and the costume begs him to take it back. The costume cries and grabs <laughs> Barry, so he puts it on. But after he puts it on, he turns around, and Iris saw the whole thing. Uh-huh. And then crooks are, and now crooks are coming. So Barry, who just put on the costume in front of Iris, uses his super speed to save her. So Iris comes to the only logical conclusion that one can make after seeing all this, that the costume must have hypnotized her to make her think that Barry has powers and that he just put it on to impress her. So the two reconcile. Fans are getting a little impatient because in issue 164, the letter writers demand that they have a religious ceremony because apparently in like most comics, like it's a justice of the peace. So they say we want them to have a religious ceremony and get married. DC says, don't worry, there'll be a priest. So Flash 165... We get the real wedding, except um, Zoom has actually, like, replaced and disguised as Barry to marry Iris. Mm. And so Flash, like, interrupts the wedding ceremony to kidnap fake Barry Allen. And then they fight. Then real Barry Allen comes back. (laughs) Sorry about that little misunderstanding. And he marries Iris. And as they're driving off for their honeymoon, his thought balloons ask the readers, gee, I wonder if I should tell her my secret identity or not. Oh, no. So flash forward. So it's just disappointed with every with every revelation. <laughs> yeah, we're not even to some of the craziest stuff about this yet. It's like this is like just warming up. 
So flash forward, no pun intended, to Flash issue 174. A year's passed, and it's their first anniversary. Barry has still not told Iris that he's the Flash. And there was actually an issue before this where, like, the Garricks were visiting, and they were like, what, you still haven't told her? Like, dude, that's your wife. You better tell her. So he promises that he's going to tell her on their anniversary dinner. And when he tells her, Iris is like, huh, I actually knew all along since our wedding night. You talk in your sleep. And, And Barry says, wait. If I told you on our wedding night when I talked in my sleep, that means that I kept my promise about telling you on our wedding day all along. And they have a good laugh. And and she's, like, very good-natured about this. Like, yeah, you lied to me for a year, but I knew the whole time. Ha, ha, ha. This was, like, retconned in, like, the life story of the Flash trade paperback. Like, Iris is, like, a lot more angry about it as she should be. Mm -hmm. But in the Silver Age, she was, like... Then we get up to Flash 203, which um, this is, like one of the weirdest parts of Iris' storyline. The storyline is called The Flash's Wife is a Two-Timer. Based on that title, Stella, what do you think um, we find out about Iris? That she's having an affair with Flash. Well, she would know that it's Barry at this point. Well, you just said it was crazy, so maybe she forgets and has an affair with Flash. (laughs) Okay. So, Iris, her name is not Iris West. Her birth name is actually Iris Russell because um, she's adopted, because um, her parents miscarried, and then um, they found her and, um, you know, changed her last name, the West. And her father blanked it out. Oh, and they found her because she was a refugee from the 30th century, um, a post-apocalyptic feature. What? Yeah. This is why I wanted you on for so this. So she's like a legion of superhero? <laughs> she's yeah. like, in the 30th century, the world was like, you know, in waste due to the nuclear war. And her parents were like, oh, my gosh, the city's about to, like, explode. So they sent their infant daughter, Iris Russell, back in time. Is this like maintained in, at post-crisis? Oh, we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so she was sent back to the past, and she, like, she finds out about this because she finds, like, mementos from, like, when she was a baby. And she, like, confronts Ira West, her dad. She's like, why didn't you tell me? And he's like, I blanked it out of my mind. So her dad, you know, forgot that his daughter was actually, you know, from the 30th century. Well, how did he get, <laughs> how did he get back? Well, that's her adopted father. Oh. Well, how does he know? So, because um, there was, like, a locket with, like, an inscription, like, this is Iris Russell from, like, the 30th century. You take good care of her. So, Iris starts wearing this locket from the future. And, by the way, like, she goes to the future to, like, see her parents. It turns out that the whole nuclear war thing worked out and, like, everyone's A-OK. So, like, it becomes, like, a status quo thing that, like, sometimes, like, she and Barry will be like, okay, we're going to have dinner with my parents tonight. So, like, they'll go to the 30th century and, like, have dinner with her parents. It's it's a weird status quo. Uh, but her locket, it actually gives her, like, truth-telling powers. Like, so she has to, like, stop wearing it because, like, Batman will be testifying at a trial and she'll yell out, you're really Bruce Wayne! And, like, Flash will have to, like, cover her mouth oh. before, like, anyone hears it. And the Justice League is, like, really mad at Flash. So, like, dude, control your woman. Like, please. So they get rid of the locket. Um, Flash 275. This is when... Um, and this this actually uh, relates to Batgirl the Oracle in a few ways. You know, Iris and Barry have been married for a while, and things are not going well. Iris suspects that Barry might be having an affair. So she places a tracker on him, and she finds him in a hotel room with a teenage girl. And um, she's in tears. But wait, it's not what you think. Turns out that... The teenage girl is just a psychic who used her powers to try and take advantage of the Flash, but it didn't work. Uh, she stopped, you know, like, trying to 
have adult time with Flash when she saw his true face because she didn't think it was sexy enough. And and Barry's all like that. He's like, Iris, she didn't think I was sexy. Do you think I'm sexy? So the two make up and they decide it is time to have a baby. But first, they're going to a costume party that dresses and it's a dresses your favorite superhero party. Uh, Barry dresses as the Flash because ha ha ha. Guess who Iris dresses as? Batman. No. Close. Batgirl? Yeah, she dresses as Barbara Gordon Batgirl. And that's the last thing she'll dress. Which one? Black or gray? (laughs) Uh, The the Bronze Age costume. The blue and gray one, right? Yeah, it's like the Bronze Age costume. So at this party, there's someone dressed as Sandman going around, like, zapping everyone. Like, you know, like, just playfully, like, zap, I got you. And this this becomes important in later issues. You mean Sandman? Um, Oh, or you mean Spider-Man Sandman? No, 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 no. Like, yeah, with with the gun. um, Okay. So Barry goes upstairs and he finds Iris unconscious in front of like one of his like D list in her in her Batgirl costume. She's unconscious in front of one of his D list enemies named Yorkin. So Barry gets knocked out because apparently somebody like uh, put LS. Uh, no, what? it wasn't L. It was like PCP. Oh my god! Yeah, somebody spiked what Barry with like in PCP. Right in a- we are in the late seventies, like seventy nine. Okay. <laughs> so a guy who's dressed as Batman at the party says, "We got to get one of these people to the hospital. The other one's dead." And we see in the next issue, Barry's, like, thinking in his head, I'm not dead. I'm just, you know, knocked out. But he's taken to the hospital, and he's like, why doesn't anyone let Iris to see me? What's going on? And it turns out that Iris was de- was the dead person they were talking <gasps> about. Yeah. So Iris so was Iris dead was, in 1979? And, and, and this is the 70s where, like, they had Roy Harper on heroin, and Aquaman's son had died from Black Manus. So and he cut off It's kind of in arm? the era of, like, uh, yeah. no, that was the 90s. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some some dark stuff happened in the Bronze Age. He thinks that Iris being dead is just, like, a delusion from the angel dust until, like, he goes to the morgue and sees her body. It's actually, like, really tragic because, like, he's like, she's not dead. I don't believe you. Then, like, the next panel, he's, like, at the morgue and he's like, okay, I, I believe you now. I know that this is Shipper Spotlight on Barry and Iris. You know, this is – we're going to talk about Barry after Iris a little bit, but this all ties back to Iris, so bear with me. Barry does storm into the JLA headquarters to demand that they bring Iris back to life. And they say, uh, you know, we can't do that. And he attacks them. So the next issue, the JLA, like, beat him up and then, like, drag him to Iris's funeral. Well, who has the power and to bring her back to life? <laughs> it's actually really funny because, like, Hal Jordan's like, Flash, you can't just attack all your teammates because you want someone brought back to life. Why, well, I would never do that in the 90s. Touch on what he does in the 90s. <laughs> And he, we still don't know how Iris died. We think that it was this D-list villain named Yorkin. By Flash 279, Barry's been unraveling the mystery of the night of the masquerade party. He finds out that the Sandman person who quote-unquote zapped him was the one that, like, put PCP in his system with, like, the toy gun. And by Flash 280, he finally has a showdown with that guy, Yorkin, who falls into a sinkhole, and he's like, I have finally avenged Iris. But then he gets a phone call from a colleague saying, oh, we just found evidence that that's not the guy that killed Iris after all. So in Flash 281, Barry's looking at the security footage from the party, and he sees Iris in her Batgirl costume. She just, like, collapses and dies, and she was never touched by anyone. Uh, Later on that issue, he battles Reverse Flash, who says that because he comes from the future, he knows who killed Iris, but he's not going to reveal it to him. So Flash just goes to the future in the next issue to look it up, but it's been erased from history. Turns out Zoom lied, and he, like, erased it from history himself to, like, mess with Flash. So by 283, we find out the truth. Because Professor it would have been Zoom, thawing because Zoom is Wally's villain. But he calls himself Zoom. He calls himself Zoom. 
Okay, whatever. Sorry. So Professor Zoom, or Thon, he makes a video confession, and we learn the true events about what happened, like, ten issues ago. He had confronted Iris at her house, and he said, I'm giving you an ultimatum. You have to marry me in 24 hours, or I'm going to kill you, and I'm zapping. <laughs> and I'm going to, like, hypnotize you with future technology so that, like, you'll forget about this and you won't tell Barry. But the hypnotism's going to make my offer be in the back of your subconscious so that you'll ponder it in the next 24 hours. So at the costume party, there was actually a guy in that original issue dressed as Reverse Flash. We now know that that was the real Reverse Flash. He confronts her again, and she slaps him, so he amnesias her again. And then when she was in that room with that D-list villain, he used his super speed to appear almost invisible, and he stuck his like hand into her brain, killing her instantly. So that, that was the fate of Iris. Flash and Four Reverse kids. Fl- so how yeah. long that took Flash 10, re- 10 issues to unravel that? Yeah, that took ten issues to unravel that. What was was that the main plot going on for those ten issues, or was it a subplot? It was a main mm, plot. Okay. So the Flash and Reverse Flash battle, and Barry leaves Zoom stranded in the time stream, basically as a prisoner begging for mercy. You know, because that was the and DC said that they were never going to bring Reverse Flash Black back after that because like the readers would never like forgive him for killing Iris. Um, now one letter. Um, actually, I'm not going to mention that letter writer thing because that's irrelevant to this, but. Um, so a few years later, you know, this um, Flash issue 321, there's a few things of note. Zoom has now escaped from the time stream because DC changed their mind. Um, it's been years <laughs> since Iris died. Barry has made peace, you know, with um, her death. And he's falling in love with a new woman. And he's named Fiona Webb. And he's like, I'm ready to move on from Iris. The book tells us that it's been four years since her murder, which is funny because remember when, like, DC had that five-year timeline? Mm. So by issue 322 of Flash, Barry and Fiona are engaged, and he's, like, ready to move on from Iris. But um, Zoom, right before Barry's on his way to the wedding, and Zoom shows up. And Barry, instead of going to his wedding, he chases Zoom around the world. It's this, like, big battle. Like, they literally go around the world. It's like those giant chicken fights from Family Guy. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And um, Zoom starts writing a message in the sands of Miami Beach for him. And the message says... Chicken fights. And the sand says, um, guess who's going to kill your wife again? And when Barry sees that message, he's like, oh, heck no. So Zoom is running towards the chapel where Barry's jilted fiancé is, like, waiting, you know, for him to show up to the wedding. And he's got his hand stretched out. He's going to put it through her skull and kill her like he did Iris. And Barry, like, stops him at the last minute. Like, gets there, like, one second before. But the day is doing saved. It, yeah, in doing it, he he snaps Zoom's neck and kills oh, him. Wow. Yeah, which starts this trial, and th- this is all going to come back to Iris. I promise you. Um, <laughs> this, this is this, this is major. This, this is this is the trial of the Flash. Yeah, this the, this starts off the trial of the Flash storyline because Flash is arrested for this. Um, Who's you know, writing? He goes right on now? trial. Do you know? Oh, I forget who the okay. writer is. Um, it was Carrie the same Bates? guy. Yeah, yeah, Carrie. Yeah, it was Carrie Bates for like like since Iris died. Like he wrote like the last. And what of the year book. are we in? We are this is right before crisis. Okay, yeah, I'm this just is trying like, to keep track yeah, of yeah. this. Okay. Yeah, this is this is 80s, and Barry and, and because Flash is arrested, like the world does not know where Barry Allen went, and he never told his fiance that he was the Flash, so she thinks that like she's been abandoned at her wedding, and she's like gone crazy. Flash is on trial for killing Zoom, but there is a juror named Nathan Newberry. He becomes very, very important to this story. Oh. He kind of looks like Bob Rosakis. No, not Bob. Oh, what, what's his name? Who played Super Mario? Um, I got the name. Bob right. Hoskins. Bob, Bob Hoskins. Why is it Bob Rosakis? Bob Rosakis is a DC. I know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> like, I don't so even know what he looks he like. He kind of looks like this, this juror. He kind of looks like Bob Hoskins. Okay. 
and no, yeah, Bob Hoskins. That's, that's yeah, him. yeah. And he's trying to convince the other members of the jury that you know Flash should be acquitted because this was in self defense. He was trying to you know save this person. At one point, you know, um, this juror, Nathan Newberry, he's helping Flash, like, you know, fight Abracadabra. Mm-hmm. And they kind of have a bonding moment where, you know, Flash feels really connected to him. Um, Stella, do you know what the secret of Nathan Newberry is? Is he actually Zoom? No, he's actually Iris. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. With it, wait, so, it, um, with some sort of image modulation? No. Like, this is Iris with, like, man body parts. Like, Iris is the first transsexual um, DC uh, girlfriend. I'm not making that up. Iris, like, <laughs> Iris, like, you know, knows what it's like to have, um, you know, bits and so pieces down Tyrese there. Is. Iris has... Um, yeah. why? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this, is why I, this, is, this is why I didn't what want to just record this and send it to you. <laughs> so... If you recall, Iris comes from the 30th century, and her parents knew the exact moment that Zoom was going to kill her. So they, when Zoom, this is all revealed in Flash 350, which is actually the last issue of, like, Flash's series before Crisis. The Russells, her birth parents, they use future technology to pluck Iris's soul from the moment of her death into another body in the future, which isn't the man body yet. She's in the body of, like... Um, some random, like, dead homeless woman, which actually kind of creeps me out. Like, they give Iris, like, some random dead woman's body, um, which is, they later recon, like, post-crisis, oh, that was actually, like, a clone of Iris that they grew, but in the original story, it's, like, a random dead woman's body. So Iris is living in the 30th century, you know, and they're seeing, you know, hey, after you die, this whole trial of the Flash thing happens, and because of, like, some things going on in the time stream they have to make sure that like the trial of flash goes the way it's supposed to so they send iris back in time but she can't go back in her body she has to inhabit the body of nathan newberry that juror Mm -hmm. so they take her soul out of her body and put it in nathan's body uh nathan's okay after all this he gets his body back you know they make sure that you know flash is acquitted and everything he decides that instead of living, you know, after he's set free, instead of making up with his fiance and getting married, he's going to go to the future with his dead wife and uh, not tell anyone about it. So he and Iris decide to live happily ever after in the 30th century. The caption actually says, and they lived happily ever after for a while, because, you know, Flash was already dead in crisis at that point. The books, like, had scheduling issues. Mm-hmm. And Barry also has a new face, because he got, like, plastic surgery before the trial, so that if he was unmasked, like, no one would know he was Barry Allen. So it's like... The last page of Flash's book is him in, like, a new face, kissing, like, Iris and like, another person's body. It's really Sounds weird. Sounds like Mission Impossible, too. Yeah. So, as we know, Barry goes to Crisis and dies. And he and Iris do not get reunited until um, he comes back in Final Crisis. Because Iris, you asked me if, you asked if that whole thing about Iris being from the future stuck. That's actually, like, a big part of her character throughout, like, the 90s. Because that ties into the origin of Impulse. Because... When Barry went to die in crisis, he didn't know that he had impregnated Iris. She has two kids called the, you know, who grew up to be the Tornado mm-hmm. Twins, and and they die. But one of them is the mother of Impulse. No, no, the father of Impulse, rather. And um, Impulse and Iris go back in time to the '90s and see Wally. And Iris is kind of like living there for a while. And Iris, she looks like you know Ultimate Spider-Man Aunt May at that oh. point because she's like she's raised two kids into adulthood. She's a grandmother mm-hmm. now. But when Barry comes back, they have to explain, you know, why in the, you know, 2009 Flash series, she doesn't look like a grandma because that would be creepy when she's kissing, like, 30-year-old Barry. 
So they give an explanation that the Speed Force, like, de-aged her when Barry comes out of, like, the time stream. So they live happily ever after as husband and wife. The book tries not to mention the fact that they're grandparents because that would make them seem too old. (laughs) And then Flashpoint happens, and um, they don't remember that they're married anymore. And I have not really read Flash one year later. But, yeah, that's Barry and Iris' history. One year later, Um, you mean New 52? New 52. It's actually really – it's by uh, Francis Manipool. It's actually really good. Yeah. yeah. So that's Barry and Iris' history. They dated. Then they weren't together because they told the father that they were just friends. But then they were engaged out of nowhere. She turned out to be from the future. She died. She became a transsexual. They (laughs) lived for together in the future and became grandparents. Did I miss um, how she got out of the transsexual phase? She her after the whole trial of the flash thing happened, they um they took her soul out of that body and put it back in like the thirtieth oh century body that they had. Legally split. No problem. It's at like all. that Which, cover like, with Batman and Superman that they're gonna switch bodies or whatever. It's weird because like to this day, I mean maybe the new fifty two changed it, but like the iris that you see, like right before Flashpoint, she is not in her original body. She's in like the body of some dead thirtieth century. Woman. Yeah, if you re- that, remember after Final Crisis, there was a new Flash title, like like with Jeff Johns and like Iris looked just like she did like in the fifties. I believe yeah. with modern. Women. And it's like that's not your real body, Iris. You're not fooling me. <laughs> what What made you want to read this? Um, I was like, oh, The Flash is a TV show. Let me, you know, like... Well, uh, a, few, a few years ago, you had read The Life and Death of Barry Allen, which kind of details all this. Like, this they detail novel. a lot of it, and they, and they and it retcons, like, some of this stuff. Like, in Life and Death of Barry Allen, like, they're already engaged when he becomes The Flash and stuff like that. I, I guess, hot or not, um, you know, we'll vote around the horn. You know, Don, <laughs> would you say hot? Candace Patton, hot. Candace Patton's not in this. <laughs> uh, well... When I think of Irish West, I think of Kenneth Patton. So yes, hot. I, actually, I, I ship I ship West Allen quite a bit on the show. So I don't care what happens in the comics. So hot. <laughs> After all of that, I'm I'm not so sure. <laughs> she, she's like, like this must be want to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> I can't say hot because I'm kind of very very creeped out over the fact that like Iris is like inhabiting all these other people's bodies. I mean, you it, know, it it was insane. It's not her fault. What do you mean it's not her fault? Yeah. I mean, I guess she didn't ask to be killed by Zoom, but... Uh, I, yeah, yeah, why always, couldn't you say murdered? It's funny because they're portrayed as, like, one of the preeminent DC couples. <laughs> I I told all this to um, my friend Alexa because, like, she watches the Flash show, you know, and stuff. And, and, when, and after I explained all this, I said, oh, and by the way, in the comic, she's white. And that, like, got the biggest shock out of her. Not, like, the whole, like, time-traveling transsexual. She's like, she's white? <laughs> How dare these people do it? Um, <laughs> well, yeah, turn it. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, the couple. Yeah, I mean, yeah, she's like she's the original Flash. Not the original Flash, but like the the famous Barry Allen Flash's love interest. Um, but the Flash is a very dynamic character, so I don't mind that she's gone through all these crazy things because you know the Flash wasn't always Barry Allen, and he wasn't always alive. So, meh. And there was a period in the '90s where like. Because Barry was the only one that she survived, like, she never, like, told Wally and everyone until Impulse came. Like, there's issues of, like, Wally's, like, solo Flash title where he's like, man, Iris has been dead for so many years, I sure do miss her. But, like, and, like, it would take years for him to know she was alive. And I'm like, oh, that that's tragic. Just tell her that, tell him that you're alive. Yeah. Well, I guess it's just desserts because it took him years to tell her that he was Flash. Yeah, because, yeah, like, the whole, like, you know, talking in your sleep thing. And yeah. 
That, it's like, kind of like Mary Jane revealing after all these years. Well, it's also like, do you remember the new, in the New Frontier story where it's like, you know, Iris, I have to tell you something. I'm the Flash. Yeah, I know. Here you go. Here's your costume. What if they decided on um, the Flash TV show to do the thing that it turns out Candace Pat and Iris was from the future and she's not Joe West's daughter? Uh, <laughs> what if they made her into a man? <laughs> you they get, made into like, well, Bob Hoskins like, is dead. But she's like, in, she's in the, bo- like she's in the body of like, exhibit or somebody. <laughs> it's really weird if you read Flash three fifty. I like, hope it's Ice T. They're, they're like they're tied up together on this like death <laughs> trap, and they're having this like tender talk. And he's like, "It's you, isn't it?" And like the reader doesn't know it's Iris, and he's like, "I always sensed that it was you. I don't know how you're here, but now that you know you're back, we'll be together well, that's forever." The thing, that's what makes that, that couple hot because like you legitimately. You know, he's not going by her by like you know what she looks like. He's going by her by like the person that she is and her soul and her heart. That's I think that kind of makes it <laughs> what a if, very meaningful. What romance. if she got stuck in that body and they had to be together that way? Well, I mean, then there you go. I mean, like, that's 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 that would be how it is. That, that that's not you know. I mean, granted, they would probably find a way to make her look like Iris again, but I think that like it, what, what would you expect Barry to be like? Oh, you're a gigantic man. <laughs> Never mind. All those <laughs> all those years of love, I I, I resend. Uh-huh. Well, and the life story of Barry Allen trade paperback, they kind of, like, corrected a few, like, wrongs that the books had done. And, like, they have Barry, like, tell his jilted fiancé that he's the Flash before he goes off to the future to give her some closure. Because, like, as the other series had ended, she was basically, like, in a loony bin because, like, Barry had abandoned her with no explanation. Oh, yeah, that was awful. That was, that was, that was one, sexist. Yeah. What's her name? Fiona Webb. So what happened to her in the end? That was it? I mean, yeah, that, that, that was it. She's, like, she's never appeared again. But um, I love. What about Patty? She's. I mean, she wasn't really a part of that storyline. I mean, she was. Oh. She was in the books as like a supporting character in the like the Bronze Age and stuff. But but not. Uh, no, because Barry was married to Iris. Like, okay. you know. So like, what the, for when, most it, when did he marry her? Like in the in the sixties? Oh yeah, it was still like the sixties. Like yeah, late sixties when they got married. But then there's that bizarre stuff where like his costumes like crying and everything like. I remember that comic. Is that spot. ever resolved? No, that was like a one. Do you think it's just like in um, Barry's mind that is crying? The book doesn't explain it. It's <laughs> like, and <laughs> I want you to explain. The book I mean, has a it, horrible view on its own readers. Yeah, the, <laughs> these, these were weirds, and I glossed over like some of like the other crazy stuff just to make this like more timely. But yeah, it's um. It, it, it's it's very very bizarre and i read a lot of crazy stuff to like prepare for this crazy. like i was like pouring through the books like i was looking like when do that when, when do barry and iris get engaged and i like find this random book where like iris's dad is like we're like we're just friends you know mr west i'm like wait you are and then like the next issue like oh we sure are engaged i'm like Okay. Well, it was a weird thing in this because this season, like he's like he's like, oh, Joe, I know you know it's, it'll be weird for you to see Iris and I kissing. It's like, but you did ship them like all of the last two years. Um, you and I talked about that earlier. Yeah. Or it's like it's like why 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 is Jesse L. Martin vaguely uncomfortable with it? Yeah. <laughs> I have my own issues with them on the show, but like you know that's. <laughs> I think it was the idea of them being together is fine. That was fine for Joe, but like seeing them actually like physically intimate is i think that's different <laughs> i made time. a horrible mistake what have i done <laughs> <laughs> well in like season if one if you were a like, father and you walked in on your child making out with a man what would you do a man that you raised <laughs> my child <laughs> you know with a grown man <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, a man that you raised. You like, raised her. And you oh, raised him. My grown, my grown because they're brother and sister. Kissing a man. Well, I mean, incest aside, how would you feel? <laughs> incest aside, that, that, that's, that's a, a very big thing to put aside. <laughs> that's a kettle of fish. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. is, is that an Asian saying? Hello. <laughs> It's a kettle of fish. What does that even mean? Shishan, is that that's you? That's a very specific. That's a very specific scenario that I need to weigh. The it's uh, kettle of fish. Yeah. So was that the craziest shipper spotlight? Um, Did that live no. up to the hype? Well, but I feel like Patsy. I mean, what can really Patsy? Patsy, Patsy never had a penis. Iris did. That's true. The wee wee, if you will. Yeah, Iris had a wee wee. Or like Iris, like, and it wasn't like she wore like a costume. Like she, she knows what it's like to have a wee wee. Still, do you, think she, do you think she and Barry can relate to that now? Like they have conversations about what it's like having a wee wee. Yeah, I'm sure it's. I mean, can barely control the thing. As far as I'm, what? <laughs> what do you? You know nothing about man biology. What do you mean barely control? It? It's, it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that'll do it. Uh, this has been a momentous and super fun. I yell, we cry. There was jackpots. I don't. I'm sure it's all. We're not sure we annoyed you a lot <laughs> on your own What'd show. You sorry, I'm sure we annoyed you a lot on your own show. Annoyed For that, I'm sorry. Me? I don't know. Well, just when people accuse me of something, I don't do. Anywho, okay. no, no, no. It's all <laughs> We're still friends after that. Uh, remember, you can send any questions or comments to backworldoracle at gmail.com. My voice is going. <clears throat> like the show on Facebook. Oh, gosh. Thanks, Sean. You better take or a follow- glass of water before we do that commentary on Hero of the Year. Yeah, that's true. Or follow it on Twitter at Oracle. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support the Batman Universe with Patreon. Give me an iTunes review. And once again, thanks Mile High Comics for sponsoring Backroll Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Any final words, gentlemen, as we close out? Here's to seven more years of good luck with Backroll Oracle. Wow. <laughs> seven years. Take that other podcast that didn't survive that long. I'm looking <laughs> I'm looking at you from yellow to red and Starman. I know you did it last year, so. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh, no. I'm still looking at them. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Are those I'm real podcasts? At, uh, I'm looking. Yes. Say what? Oh, you're like outright sh- shunning and insulting real podcasts right now. No, 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 they are friends. They they know. Tyler Crone knows that I like him. He did okay. from Yellow to Red and Johnny Freiberg, I think his name was. And uh, um, I, and, and hey, I've I've certainly dropped a few podcasts over the years. So Beetle Benza. Yeah, yeah. I took a break from that to work on some other stuff. Yeah. Well, until next time. Fly on, on Babs. Hey, that wasn't too bad. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Love a happy ending, don't you? I think this was slightly shorter than last year. Yeah, I know, but you you always was leave it? our bloopers. Our no, I never presents. do. There are hardly, <laughs> there are hardly <laughs> any bloopers. We had this whole show. conversation, like after like our twenty thirteen like 
episode or something, and like about the movie cover, uh, uh, DC Comics, and like however, like there was something going on about like somebody's ding dong, and like we started laughing about it, and then like Josh was like trying to ignore us for like ten minutes. He's like, I can't even do this right now. That's right. Oh, <laughs> I forget what it was about. Though. It was Magic Mike. I was telling you. Oh about. yeah. Did it you see? Did you see Double XL? I didn't. Oh, I was missed talking out. about I, I the pump, and I said that it just like larger in front of your eyes. <laughs> Josh like, was like reading something else, praying it to be over. Oh man, <laughs> which is weird because I don't even think I'm that much of a prude among the three of us. Well, like, but Stella's the worst out of all of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. When you least when you least expect it, she's like, "Yes, it also dries for you." And I was like, "What you just?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I said that. Iris can't control her ding dong. I wonder if there's like a jackpot sound effect Ka-ching. that I could like put it every time. It's yeah, I know, like but yeah, like the slot machine. Remember when the old lady goes, "It's about time." Do you remember that? <laughs> oh yeah, from uh, from uh, Justice League. Wild cards. It was like, oh, you you could do Sarah Valentine going face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. I'll see you as a man. In a <laughs> Embrace. Cut to outer space. Cut to earth. Ka-ching. Finally. <laughs> it's about time, says Cyborg. I think my favorite part was yelling at Don. <laughs> Excuse me. I am not a part of any of this. <laughs> How dare you? I like I like this yeah. review in the Batgirl comic <laughs> because <laughs> no, no, there was no there was no like like middle ground at all. No, that, well, but that, that that was a fun discussion though. Like, <laughs> I found it amusing. That was like our warm up. We should have done it, but that was just the level, the order of the trades. What's that? Are you blow drying your hair? <laughs> You're it's gonna laugh. I'm blow, I'm blow drying my feet because they're cold. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Of course you are. <laughs> Donovan has a vibrator for his feet. Oh You're <laughs> terrible. Oh, yeah. It feels good. I, I used to have a heater in college. Um, I'm not sure. I may have sold that, but uh, right next, I, I was recording right next to the window, and the window is um, cold. So I guess it imitated coldness. If you know what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. I hope you do. Whoa. That young man was suggestive. Hi, so deep in your eyes I touch on you more and more every time When you leave I'm begging you not to go Call your name two or three times in a row Such a funny thing for me to try to explain How I'm feeling in my pride is the one to blame Yeah, Cause I know I don't understand Just how you love can do it no You've done to me 
Tennis shoes don't even need to buy a new dress You and he ain't nobody else to impress It's the way that you know what I thought I know It's the beat that my heart skips when I'm with you But I still don't understand Just how your love can do what no one else can Looking so crazy, lust got me looking, got me looking so 